Wednesday, January the 6th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you're all having a, a very nice start to 2021. Going to have two shows coming up for you this week, and in the coming weeks, we'll probably be having uh, two shows, most of them, as uh, as the new year changed. Some new sponsors here with That's What G Said, some new stuff we will be covering but like always, you're going to get the same you know, variety of different topics. We're going to go through each and every sport with two shows. We're just going to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit more. Like you know, today, we're going to talk a little NFL and some Sarah Candles with Tyler Herringer. So what we do is we just uh, go through each of the six games, talk about the the, uh, the point spreads, uh, give a little bit of news on, on those, just kind of a quick preview. And uh, and then on the later episode of That's What G Said later this week, I'm going to have Dave Weaver joining me to talk the Saturday games. And then Eric uh, Etoff 21 Sports is going to join me to talk the Sunday games. So we'll have tons of football for you all week long. So we got Tyler Herringer first. Following Tyler, we've got Don Landis, one of my longtime good buddies, used to work together over at Islands as waiters. Don is a lifelong Browns fan. He's from Cleveland. So we talk all about the Browns making the playoffs and then the sad news that the Browns are now decimated with COVID. They've had 17 players over the last couple weeks on and off the COVID list, still 10 on there right now, including their head coach and some co- some coaches. So because of the contract tracing, they will not have their head coach this weekend. We talk all about that with Don. This week in Stable Duel, we'll give you the, the week Stable Duel schedule. And then I'm going to talk about Tampa Bay Downs for Wednesday, horse racing. I went through the Tampa Bay Downs card, built a Stable Duel lineup, and I'll give you some horses to bet if you're playing Wednesday races. Make sure to tune in there for Tampa. Following that, Chris Griffin, track announcer from Sam Houston, joins us. Opening weekend at Sam Houston, one of my personal favorite racetracks. Chris gives us all the details, gives us the primer, sets us up for the meet. That begins on Friday. Then uh, we're going to talk about that Friday card with Andrew Champagne. Race by race, we spend about an hour discussing the Friday 10 race card opening night at Sam Houston to close things out. It's the old wrestling rewatch Royal Rumble 1994. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join me to talk about the Rumble that was won by two men. Brent the Hitman Hart, Lex Luger. We go through the entire undercard and then every entrant in the Royal Rumble and we uh, discuss the commentary, things we liked, things we didn't. That's all coming up on this episode which you can look forward to later this week. I mentioned we'll break down the Saturday games for the football playoff slate with Dave Weaver. Then we're going to talk about the Sunday games on the NFL slate with Eric Etoff 21 Sports. We're also going to have this week in wrestling segment with Chad Cooper so we can talk about what's going on in WWE, AEW, and NXT. Gabe Vartanian from the Live and Breathe Racing Group on Facebook is going to join me. We're going to talk all about that group and about Santa Anita for Saturday. That's going to be coming up later this week. We'll also have some NBA talk, some Cobra Kai talk. Yeah, Cobra Kai. Love uh, love me some Cobra Kai. I finished it up, but we won't discuss it on this episode. It'll be on the next one. Let's, uh, let's get right into our first conversation. We're going to be with Tyler Herringer. We're going to be talking about the NFL slate coming up this weekend. What is the schedule like for the playoffs? And then a little bit about Sarah Candles. Folks, if you like candles, 
listen to this. This is someone who created his own company, who has a candle that is healthier for you. It's better for you. If you personally use candles, give these ones a try. You can use the promo code Gino. It'll get you 10% off. It'll save you a few bucks. Listen to the passion from the man Tyler as we talk NFL and candles. I mean, who else is going to talk NFL and then some candles? Oh, yeah, that's who. Tyler Herringer here on That's What G Said. Friend of the show, Tyler Herringer, the head honcho over at Sarah Candles, those all-natural soy wax candles we're always telling you about here, longer burning, better for you. Tyler, a good buddy of mine, also a huge sports fan, played in uh, fantasy leagues with me the last couple years. Tyler has a really cool survivor pool, so I wanted to bring him on to talk about a few things right now. We're going to talk some survivor pool, some Sarah Candles, and a little bit about the NFL playoff schedule coming up this week. Tyler, happy new year, buddy. Happy holidays. How's uh, How you been? Good. Happy New Year to you too, Gino. Thanks for uh, having me back. Uh, all things considered, things are going pretty good. We got the NFL playoffs coming up. Basketball's back. Hockey's yeah. coming up here in the next week. And uh, before you know, it, baseball will be around the corner. And uh, just glad that we're uh, we got something. The normalcy, the a little, little normalcy. Yeah, yeah a little exactly. normalcy back. And you had a the last few years um, have been doing a really cool survivor pool. I've been in it. I of course uh, did not win, but I definitely wanted to give a shout out to. Some of the winners because those are difficult to 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 win, man. If you out if you win one of those, it's hard. You've outlasted a bunch of others. You've been very smart. You've been a little lucky along the way, but definitely skilled in your picking. And I think this year there were two winners to the pool, right? So let's give them a shout out. Yeah, correct. And and to go along with your sentiment, I mean, I know we're uh, we're a little biased, but but you and I, you know, we love our football and we take oh, pride yeah. in what we know. And I think I lost in the second week. You know? I think I was out week five. <laughs> yeah. I made it four or five. Yeah, it's it's incredible. <laughs> and like and like you said, there's so there's there's some knowing your stuff, and it seems easy on the surface. Just pick oh, one just team. Just gotta pick and, a winner, right? Yeah, winner, easy enough. Yeah. And so yeah, some we had we had two guys make it all the way to the end, and they're from the same family. So we had a couple guys, uh, Bruce and Chris Padrone, they're the same family. They decided rather than pick a team in week seventeen, they were just gonna split the pot amongst that's the two cool. of them. So that's what they did, but. I mean, pretty incredible to make it all the way to the end. Usually these survivor pools, you're lucky if you make it to week 12, week 13. Yeah. And it seems like with, you know, with the amount of parity in the NFL, you this can't year, really latch COVID, on. all the stuff mm-hmm. going on too. And it was just all the high scoring going on and just so impressive. So uh big, yeah. big shout out to them. They did, they did mm-hmm. a phenomenal job the this, this year in that. And uh, as you mentioned, Tyler, we got the NFL playoffs coming up. I can't believe we made it. There have been some games here and there that, uh, Maybe should have been postponed or canceled for a couple different teams, and unfortunately, the the Browns may be uh, up against it this week. But I will say we've got a pretty good playoff slate coming up, and it's cool because this year we have the extra team, so we're going to have uh, even an extra playoff game coming up. We actually have six playoff games this weekend, and the first one is Indy Buffalo. I'll tell you, Tyler, Buffalo's looked really, really good recently. They're playing as well as anyone. Yeah, I mean, they, they always say you want to be playing your, your best football November, December, because that's when it really matters. That's what Belichick's always preached. He's, I don't really care what we do in September. I want to be ready to go in December. And Buffalo, I mean, what they did to the Dolphins, when the Dolphins really needed to win that game, that's a oh, team that was you know, trying to win and doing, doing their best to win, and they made that look easy. And that's hard to do in the NFL, especially against a team that was looking to make the playoffs. So, you know, the Colts, they... They beat them earlier this year, but I, I, I have a hard time thinking that 
they'll be able they do have a good defense but i have a hard time believing they'll be able to put a full stop to josh allen and company here on this they're, weekend they are playing so well their buffalo their defense is getting a little bit better too they are just flying on all cylinders right now uh the second set so that's the opening game on saturday early saturday the middle saturday game the other wild card game is tampa at Washington, so we knew somebody was going to win the NFC East this year. Yeah. Somebody was, and it ended up being Washington. A lot of people got upset because Philly, what they did the other night, Washington mm-hmm. sort of maybe even backed in here. But uh, another team who's playing really well is Tampa. You know, they've had a sort of easy schedule the last few weeks, but they've been starting to click, and and Brady looks pretty good. Yeah, if, and then going back to Washington for a second, if one team had to win it, I guess. You know, Ron Rivera with what he had to go through with the cancer stuff and Alex Smith. Alex Smith. Oh, you're right. Exactly. Like, there's just a feel good story. So, you like, you know, although Philly, you know, did what they did, the Giants were six and 10. And, uh, you know, I'll take the feel good story over that. And Washington, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because where, where the, where the Buccaneers and Tom Brady have struggled is up against a good pass pass rush and a good defensive yeah, front and that's right. exactly what washington has chase young now, they can get after him can they score enough to keep up with the bucks you know tough to say i i i'd assume no but you know that defensive front you got chase young and you got sweat on the other side i mean they could they could cause some problems for brady and and teams that have been able to cause him a little bit of trouble the rams did it to him you know that's that's the kind of their weak point so we'll see what happens i don't know exactly where Mike Evans stands after his injury scare on on Sunday. He didn't play the rest of the game. I'm not sure if he's going to be ready to go, but that's a big piece for them. So, it, it, you know, I, I'd venture to say that game's going to be closer than people think, but I still I agree. Think the Bucks uh, end up winning. But maybe uh, if you're looking to wager, maybe you look at the under in that game. Or, you know, Washington plus eight and a half at home, you know, yeah. that, that, that if, and that might yeah. float up. A little bit too as mm-hmm. you get closer to the weekend Because people want to play the chalk And that might that might get up to 9 Even to 10 it wouldn't be a big shock So I agree one hit on Brady early Could could rattle him a little And I, I don't know just like you said I don't know if Washington can score enough to win But as far as just keeping it close here Yeah that, that's a sneaky Home yeah, team yeah. there yeah. You Give me 8-9 points in a playoff game I think I'd lean that way Yeah I agree uh, the closing Saturday night game is the Bears at the Saints So we've got the Bears who sort of backed in and snuck in Because uh, the Rams beat Arizona So the Bears have an opportunity here to go on the road and play New Orleans And so they are actually going to be the biggest underdog in the first round of the playoffs New Orleans right now is a 10 point favorite here I uh, I guess I sort of feel similar to the game we talked about before Like I wouldn't be shocked if you told me that Cle- uh, the Bears covered this game I just don't know if they can win. Yeah, and I again, it almost kind of goes along with with Washington. Like, yeah, good defense. Can they score enough to keep up? I mean, you know, the the Saints have their their issues. They've had some injuries. Got bit by the injury bug a lot. But I just think Sean Payton, Drew Brees. They're at home. They're in the dome. They've they played this. They played this exact game ten times in the last ten years, and they always come out on top. So. I you know can the Bears keep it keep it close sure but I could also see a scenario where the Saints run away and hide. On Sunday we've got three games. The first game of the day, the uh, the Rammies unfortunately uh, have uh, question marks at the quarterback position. We're not sure if it's going to be Goff, and honestly, Goff wasn't really playing all that well um, to, towards the end of the season before he got banged up. The Rams have to go play Seattle. This one uh, looks like it's about a four, four and a half point spread right now with Seattle as the favorite. I got to say, the Rams are probably 
Better than I thought they were going to be this year I don't know if I thought they were going to be a playoff team I probably expected a little more from San Francisco Who had a bunch of injury issues you know But um, their defense is Damn good the Rams mm-hmm. defense Can beat anyone With the ability to Rush the passer and the ability to Lock down a really good receiver Or two I just like With them same sort of thing I guess We've talked about with the last couple teams is like The, the last couple underdogs Defensively they can win, but if if it's a close game and they and Russell Wilson has the ball versus whoever's taking the snaps for the Rams, who do you trust? Exactly, and I think in in this in this scenario for you know for the Rams to win, I think there's probably only one or two paths to do it, and I'm assuming it's going to be Wolford. I just don't know how Goff can come back, and they're going to have to just run the ball and chew up the clock and just hope that Aaron Donald and Brockers and Ramsey could just make a play on defense. Yep. A pick six type of fumble, a strip Some sack score, or something like that. Set them up for an easy score. Yep. Exactly. That's that's really the only way I see the Rams as being able to, you know, the, the Seahawks offense has been good, but it hasn't been that great. And the Seahawks defense is a good defense and they're going to be playing against a quarterback who's made exactly one career start in the NFL. I Like I said, I think the Rams, if they're going to want to win this game, maybe on either side, it's going to be the defense that determines the game for the Rams or for the Seahawks. Whoever's defense can play better, make a play, keep the other team's offense off the field, that might be the team that ends up winning this thing. It's funny because you have the the two games that we talk about. The one is a, a total of 43, which is the lowest total. This next game, the total right now is up to 55, which is the highest total. So we're going to talk about one game where we're, defense is what we were talking about. This game will, will definitely be the opposite. Tennessee's defense is terrible But they're the home team here And Baltimore's a three and a half point favorite on the road Even though the last two times They've played Tennessee Tennessee's actually beat them once this year Once in the playoffs last year Baltimore has had an easy schedule At the end of the year so they were able to Sort of get right Their offense looks a lot better Lamar looks a lot more like the Lamar of last year But it is always a little interesting To be a road favorite against a team That beat you twice and Tennessee's one of the teams that I probably had the hardest time figuring out the last couple of years because good coach, awesome running game. I mean, when when Henry's playing at his best, he can win you a game. Tannehill's pretty good. Offensively, they move the ball, but their defense is bad. They just feel like one of those teams that can beat anyone or lose to anyone. I never know what to do with Tennessee, Tyler. I'm with you on that. Tennessee, they kind of shocked some people last year in the playoffs. And won a couple games that really probably nobody gave him a chance to win. And like you said, they can they can run the ball better than anybody with Derrick Henry. And this is a game where combined between the two teams, you might see over 500 rushing yards between Dobbins yeah. and Jackson on one side, Derrick Henry on the other side. And like you said, the they don't the Titans don't stop anybody on defense. And the Baltimore defense is pretty good, top ten defense in the league. So can their defense stop Derrick Henry and make Tannehill make plays with his arm? That's probably what their game plan is going to be. And I just, I see a lot of, I mean, like you said, it's the highest scoring, uh, highest over, over under of the weekend. And that's probably for good reason. I can yep. see this, this one getting really, really high up there. And it's going to be who, maybe who gets the ball last is going to end up coming out on top there because this could be a uh, high scoring affair, run and gun and a lot of rushing yards. And then the, the Sunday night game, just a little bit of a bummer for the Browns. Uh, I actually have, um, Coming up right after the conversation with you A discussion with one of my buddies Don Landis Who is a huge Browns fan And when I talked to him yesterday It was like hey we're going to be talking about how excited we are The Browns made the playoffs And then today it's like oh by the way There's a, another 
uh, they, They've had 17 people on the COVID list in the last two weeks And now their head coach will not be able to, to make the game this weekend He's been the real reason for their turnaround So, I mean, they've had a really great year And Vegas thought they had a shot in this game I mean, this game, when it opened up the other day It was actually... Along with the Baltimore game, the the smallest point spread. It was only a Pittsburgh was only a three and a half point favorite in this game, but now it's up to six because a lot of people are. Oh, you're not going to have your head coach. You're going to be missing a couple others. Olivier Vernon is also going to be out. So, just it's. I'm not a Browns fan. I've kind of become like adoptive Browns fan over the year, uh, but I just feel a little bad for them having to go into with this situation once you finally got there. Yeah, this is a tough draw for them, only because, like you said, they. They finally made it. They finally made the playoffs. The drought's over after all these years. They get a chance to kind of, uh, you know, go go on and take on the big brother, you know, kind of see if they can punch the big brother and the Steelers yep. in the mouth and take a game from them. And like I said, they got they got that two-headed monster running game. Baker's been playing well. Their defense is good. And Stefanski's been a great doing a great job for them and really taking them to the next level. And then they get hit with the COVID stuff, and it's like, man, how much more can get stacked up against them? I mean, there's a, you know, I, I won't give a, give up hope on him just yet. I mean, maybe they can, you know, Stefanski can game plan and kind of make sure he's got these meetings with his coaches and coordinators and everything and get everything buttoned up. But yeah, they just, they took what was uh, probably already going to be a tough game for them and, and turned it up another notch with all this COVID stuff. But uh, I hope for a good game and hope they can keep it close and maybe have a shot there at the end. Yeah, Browns Pittsburgh will be the uh, the final game on Sunday, and uh, uh, yeah, also you're a Browns fan too. Uh, you you might be an Ohio State fan. You you just found out right afterwards that Ohio State's cut dealing with some COVID stuff, and the the national championship game might have to be pu- yeah. pushed back a little. So not not the the best few minutes if you're a fan of those two teams, which I know a lot of people are. Uh, you know what else a lot of people are fans of though? Sarah candles, those all natural soy wax candles. I was hearing some great feedback of people who bought the Christmas. Uh, boxes and all sorts of different scents throughout the uh, the holidays. So, how are things going over at Sarah? How was the holidays? And honestly, I mean, 2020 was a year that just sucked for everyone. I'm sure it couldn't have been all that easy for uh, a company like you, who's a sort of a smaller business who does a lot of a lot of shipping out places. So, how did everything end up for you? And and how are we looking at 2021 moving forward? Yeah, you you definitely hit the the nail on the head there. It was a it was a tougher year for us. Not not necessarily because of uh, you know the the, the shipping delays, everyone, you know, people are generally understanding. So we were okay on that front. Everything kind of went out on time and, and we had a plenty of happy people. We didn't miss anybody or anything like that. It was more just, uh, on the supply side of things. It was tough to get, tough to get wax, tough to get jars. A lot of stuff's being shipped in large quantities coming from warehouses. And the, a lot of the warehouses had to shut down or be, or yeah. were undermanned or understaffed. Those are so things you a, don't even think about, right? Yeah. You don't even was, think about mm-hmm. the layers and how far down it goes and how far up it goes. Yeah, you do, you kind of take for granted. I was able always just to put my phone call into the to the supplier and say I need this many pounds of wax, this many jars, and then when they say, well, we don't have that, you kind of go, wait, wow, you know, and so you don't think that that could even be a possibility. But we were able to kind of to to budget our time and budget our resources and and make it all work. And we everybody that placed an order got their order. We didn't miss anybody. We didn't short anybody. And uh, so we uh, we made it through 2020, and like you said, hopefully 2021 is going to be better. We're already planning. We got our uh, we're going to have some Valentine's Day similar to the Christmas boxes. We're going to have kind of a Valentine's Day box nice. that's going to have a couple cents. So if you got a you know special someone in your life and you're trying to figure out what to get them and you you can't find any flowers or chocolates and maybe you want a couple candles, we're going to have that coming out soon. That'll be on the website shortly. And then uh, we're working on some stuff for spring and summer. We're we're optimistic that. Uh, 
we can get these vaccines going and get the COVID behind us and and uh, maybe people will be better spirits here come spring and summer. And uh, so we got some new scents we're working on and uh, we'll be releasing those here within the next couple of months. And uh, yeah, we're hoping for a good 2021. And some of the specifics too, like what, what I like and what what's, makes it easy for my job and when I'm promoting Sarah Candles is, uh, for first of all, the website, CERACandles.com. And so if you're someone who... Has candles, burns candles a lot And you purchase candles And and you haven't heard of Sarah Or you're just listening to us right now Tyler, tell us some of the things that are different About your candles Versus some of the other places Like what makes Sarah candles better, different When I say they're healthier Like, Give me some of the specifics there Yeah, so in general terms When you buy, you know, if you go to Any of the big box stores and you buy a candle just off the shelf Nine times out of ten That candle is going to be made with what's called Paraffin wax and paraffin wax is just a synthetic type wax, and it's much cheaper to make, but it has a lot of toxins and synthetic materials in it. And uh, just like, you know, if you go to buy almost like food, right, if you buy the organic yeah. food and it, you know, it's it's bell, you know, more well taken care of and it takes more time. So it's going to be a little bit more expensive. So the paraffin wax has like toxins and it has actually some chemical properties that you find in gasoline that you put in your car. And that's great. So you don't want to be, <laughs> you don't want to be lighting that in your home, but you don't, you don't think of it because when you light it, it smells like, you know, spring or flowers or, so you're not thinking much of it, but you're burning that in your house. And then what they do to make the, the wicks burn quicker and more efficiently, they actually have like lead in them. So now you've got a lead wick and you've got paraffin wax and you're lighting it in your house. And some people are burning these things for several hours at a time while you're sitting there on the couch watching the game or watching a TV show. Just breathing it all in. Breathing it all in, and it's getting into your clothes. It's getting into everything. And you don't even think about it, like I said, because it smells nice. So you're like, oh, this is a nice candle. So I, I kind of did some research and found out about that. And I go, oh, boy, this is this is not good to be burning in the house, especially if you've got people with breathing problems. Or, I mean, just in general, even a perfectly healthy, normal person shouldn't be breathing that in inside their house. So I said, okay, there's got to be an alternative. So we found there's a soy wax candle, and I started researching soy wax candles. And I see that for a candle that you can buy that has paraffin wax and maybe $15, $20, the soy wax version of that is like $50 or $60 or $70 or even over $100. And I said, okay, well, there's our problem. People are just buying the other candles because they're, they're just cheaper. cheaper. Yeah. And they, and they don't know, and they go, well, is it really that bad for me? Come on. I can, I'll be fine. And I'm not willing to spell, spend double the price to get the clean version of it. So they don't end up buying them. I said, there's got to be a way where we can make a clean burning, healthy candle for maybe a fraction of a bit more, but of an affordable price yeah. so that people can get it and people can burn it and they can know that what they're burning is fine. And that, you know, the reason why the, the, most people assume that if the wick it burns a little bit black, which you might notice with a Sarah candle, that's because it's an all cotton wick. So if it burns a little black, you just trim it a little bit and it won't burn black. But it's burning black because you're burning essentially cotton, which is completely safe. Even though it may look worse, it's a completely safe and natural wick to use. And the wax is all natural soy and it's completely safe. And the scent that we use is infused with natural oils, essential oils, and it's all clean. And so everything you're burning all the way down is completely clean. There's nothing, no lead paint in the jars. Everything is safe to burn in your home for a anybody of all ages and uh we get it to you for an affordable price so that's that's kind of the goal there is we're trying to kind of change the narrative on candles and get them to as many people as possible and do it in a safe way 
And that affordable price, I mean, uh, the big 12-ounce, the biggest size of 12-ounce candles are only $20 plus the shipping. So, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, so you, I mean, we're not talking uh, something that's going to break the bank. These are going to be better for you. They're going to burn a little bit longer. You're helping out a small business here. I mean, so many perks, so many positives. You could tell from uh, from Tyler here, he's very passionate about this, and this is something he knows really, really well. And, I mean, what are you up to, like 25, 30 different, different scents available right now? Yeah, we've got 30 cents available. We'll be releasing another five here for the spring and maybe another seven to 10 for the summer. So we'll be, nice. we'll be getting up there and there's always going to be something that, you know, there's always going to be something for everybody. And, and, and trust me, I'm, I'd never pegged myself as a candle guy until I got into it. So even if you, you're on the fence and you go, oh, I would never burn a candle in my house. They're not all flowery and fruity, even though those are the ones I like too. Coincidentally, there's some ones that are more manly and more musty and they smell like a cologne, you know, pretty Amber much anything you're, look, and... anything you're looking for, you can find on there. And, and even then, if you, if you want to try something, if you want to try a small one, it's only going to cost you 12 bucks and you can, you can give it a shot and you could burn it and you can let me know. And you could say, okay, I like that one. Or I like something similar to that. And if you've got questions, you, we've got the email address on the website. You can find us on Instagram at Sarah Candles. Send me a message. I'll reply almost right away. Right away. And I can let you know. If you say, hey, look, I'm looking for something that smells like this. You know, I was out at, I was over at my friend's house and he had a candle that smelled like this. Or I was out somewhere and I like this smell. Do you have something like that? And I could tell you right away. Oh, you probably like this one. So, you know, if you're, if you're curious about them or you've got questions, feel free to reach out. And uh, I think, you know, so far, everybody that we that I've given them out to or bought them or has used them, has liked them, and I think I've never uh, heard of a negative. I mean, <laughs> and, and I'm being honest, like I would, I, I wouldn't love to keep pushing them. Everyone loves them. What's nice too is that um, they're they're strong, but they don't punch you in the face. Too, you mm-hmm. know, like the scent, like some candles, like you said, they're really great, but they're like they're a little too much. They're they're mm-hmm. they're really a little too much. Like it just seems like. Uh, you you get that that nice soothing burn um and like you said you know whatever your mood is or if you're you know someone who likes to use these something looking for a gift you know selections like any person in your life you can find a scent that will match up really well to them for any season for whoever that type of person is you got the three different sizes always having all sorts of different little deals like with the the christmas box and with the with valentine's day coming up so uh i mean tyler yeah we absolutely love them i know uh you, you got in touch with with emily who comes on the show right away right away mm-hmm. um and, and back and forth and so you do a great job customer service again give the folks uh the uh, the website one more time yeah sarahcandles.com c-e-r-a candles.com uh sarah at sarah candles on instagram you can uh and then on the web on the website, if you go to the website, there's an email there too. You can email either way. If you got any questions, you have any suggestions or anything like that. If even if there's a scent that you like out there that you say, hey, I noticed you guys don't have that. Is there something you have like that? Or you know, maybe that'll spark my thing. I'll go. We've got some interest in this kind of scent, and I can work on developing it and make that scent available to you in the future. So you know, if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, feel free to reach out. And uh, I like to talk to as many people as possible and get these candles into as many homes as possible. Great, great things happening over at Sarah Candles. There are few people who could go from talking about the NFL playoff slate game by game and the point spreads into the intricacies of a candle and the soy wax. I don't know anyone really, Tyler. <laughs> just, besides just you, me, just me and you are the only two. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the only podcast on record talking candles and NFL football. <laughs> 
And I'm sure you're going to have a, a shameless recap or something coming up here, too. <laughs> you, you know it, uh, Tyler, buddy. We always love having you. We'll uh, uh, Come Super Bowl time, we'll have to have you back again. We could get a pick for the Super Bowl and maybe a, a couple props or some uh, some crazy fun stuff leading up to that. And uh, if you don't or I do, let's let's get a squares, something like that going for uh, for Super Bowl. We can, we can, I'm yeah. sure we can fill one up if we, do, if we need to. That's a great idea. Yeah, I would be looking forward to it. I'm in, looking forward to the playoffs here and uh, hope we can all make some money. Tyler Herringer, one of my longtime buddies. I've known Tyler for almost 30 years coming up now. You can visit the website sarahcandles.com and use that promo code GINO. Get you 10% off of your order. Tyler, buddy, uh, let's have a, a nice weekend uh, with some good football games this week and uh, looking forward to the Lakers keeping kicking butt. And like you said, Dodgers just around the corner, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on as always and uh, enjoy the games. That was Tyler Herringer, folks. We will be back with much more on That's What G Said. Do not go anywhere. Hey, big thank you to Tyler for talking some NFL with us and Sarah Candles. So uh, you heard, if you're someone who likes candles, give these ones a try. They're better for you. They're, you're going to get better bang for your buck because they're they're cheaper and they're going to burn longer, healthier for you. None of those toxins they are going to be filling up your house. SarahCandles.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. Let's talk about uh, another sponsor. One of the longtime sponsors, along with Sarah Candles, was Cindy Carava, full service realtor. You can visit the website cindycarava.com. Now, moving is a process that is not easy. It's not fun. There's a lot of different things you have to do, a lot of different boxes you have to check. You don't want to have to worry about everything. So, you need a really, really good realtor. That's Cindy Carava. And full service means she can help you in many different ways like selling, purchasing, leasing, even if it's just connecting you with someone like a vendor, a handyman, a painter, a landscaper, a gardener that she's personally used in her own homes. If you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan, she will connect you to the lenders that she works closely with and she can recommend covering all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, parts of North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Maybe you're just curious to see how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. You can find her all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, on YouTube. There are reviews about her on Yelp, on Zillow. Easiest way, CindyCarava.com. You can find all of her contact information there. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Make sure to let her know that Gino sent you. Now we shift the... Over to the the poor Browns. It's still going to be in the football conversation, but we're going to be talking about a team who had a great, great year this year in the Browns. They made their the playoffs for the first time in almost 20 years, and now we find out they're going to have to go in on the road and play one of their biggest rivals with a shorthanded, undermanned team. We talk everything Cleveland Browns with a longtime buddy, Don Landis. Kick back and enjoy the in-depth Browns discussion. So we got the NFL playoffs coming up this week, and uh, this conversation was uh, supposed to be a, a, a happy one with a, a good friend of mine, Don Landis. I've known Don now for about 15 years. Don uh, is from Cleveland, and he actually moved out to Southern California out in L.A. when I was 18. We worked together at Islands as waiters, got into tons of debauchery, drinking, going out partying. But uh, right off the bat, we hit it off, and Don – uh, was very close with my group of friends because we're all just degenerate gamblers. We've all been playing fantasy sports for uh, over a decade now, and we love to get 
crap. We've got a, a group chat where we all talk tons of shit to each other, like I'm sure many of you out there have. And he's going to join me now because he's a big Browns fan. He's also a he's, he's a Cleveland guy, so he's also a big Ohio State fan. We were excited to talk about what a great year it was for Cleveland. Yeah, you, you, you squeak out the win against the rival. You find a way to get into the playoffs. And then we find out, Don, the news today that I think uh, in the last 10 days or so, there have been 17 players for the Browns placed on uh, the COVID reserve list. At the current time right now, Don, we not only have players but coaches, B.J. Goodson, Malcolm Smith, Anderson Dejo, Harrison Bryant, Denzel Ward, Kevin Johnson, uh, Batonio, Javon Patterson, uh, Kadero Hodge, Bill Callahan, O'Shea, Jeff Howard, Petzing, and head coach Kevin Stefanski. So a happy conversation has turned a little sad for you today, Donald. Seriously, buddy. How you been? Man, good, good. How you and the family doing? Everybody staying safe over there? Yeah, it's cold, but was was getting excited for this weekend and Monday, <laughs> and now it's just, Jesus. Wait, wait, whatever, 18 years, 17 years, and then, of course, shit hits the fan the week of. So let's talk a little before some of the positives, and then we'll get into previewing the game and what we what we can expect a little bit for this weekend. I mean, the last couple of years, so so bad, so struggle. But then, you know, a few years ago, Baker comes in and and he looks like he's the guy. He has a great second half. Then last year, he takes that step back. Whether it's Baker, whether it's the coaching, whatever it was, then you bring in Stefanski. I think I saw a stat that he had more wins this year than like. Five coaches for the Browns had in their history with eleven. So I mean, as a as a fan, how much do you love this guy over there? Because it seems like he has just done everything right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, if you're a sports fan, you 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 watch the game and you pay attention. You don't, you know, it, it's game by game, right? It's a full sixteen game slate. You base them on the season. Like the the city's been starving for a winner and. She's just a quarterback for so long. It's been so inconsistent. It's like one bad game and, and, and the roof's falling in. So, yeah, I, I think last year you can throw it on coaching. I don't think they're on the same page all around from the front office down, you know, to Kitchens, to Baker. Um, I know they wanted Stefanski last year and analytics kind of lost out. Um, you know, um, what's his nuts from Kansas City that we had our other GM. I don't even remember his name now. Um, I mean, that was his guy and he paid for his job with it. Right. It was, it was an absolute disaster yep. where we are this year is where we should have been last year. Yep. They, they, they wasted a year. Now you got Baker on his what third head coach in three years, um, his third offensive coordinator. So I, I mean, to, to, to just dismiss last year coming to the crazy season this year of COVID and I mean, and a new coach with all of yeah. that too. Right. Like no, had the no coach. season. Yeah. I mean, so, so for, I, I don't know, maybe the first six games, I think we were four and two, but Baker's still getting shit of, Hey, is he the guy? I mean, he, he had nothing to work with, right? He's working on a new offense on paper. They're not practicing. They're not getting together. He's not running anything. I mean, it took him six to eight games to pick it up. And then and you then, have that and, streak of like four weeks where there's just Terrible weather every week that you're playing in, where oh, you can't really three, do anything. Three, three home games in a row. There was yeah. 50 mile an hour winds. It was 20 degrees. It was rain was coming in sideways. I mean that 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 uh, Vegas loss was pretty bad. But I mean they got to play in the same conditions. They didn't. That my only complaint with Stefanski. I think he's a really calm. I think he's a really good coach. Never looks rattled. I just I, 
you got to run the ball. You got Chubb and Hunt there for a reason. Yeah. Game days like that, get it on Mayfield's hands and run the ball. I mean, that's the other thing, right? So that's that's kind of the media pick too. It's like well, Stefanski doesn't trust Baker Mayfield. It's not that he doesn't trust Baker Mayfield, but you got two guys that can run an average six yards a carry. Who are you going to give the ball to? You're and, gonna an offensive line that or, great. Yeah, right. I mean, you do what's smart. You don't just because you got a good quarterback. I mean, he's still a game manager, but doesn't mean you need to throw 50 times to win the game when you got, you know, one of the top two rushing offenses in football. And I think what what Baker has done a good enough job since that weather spurt where, I mean, if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics too, and just with the eye test, like he's making better throws. He's much more accurate. He's not forcing stuff. He's throwing it away a little bit more. He just seems like he's getting it. And, and you could, you can just expect that from a guy, just like you said, so many different coaching staffs in a year, in, in a couple different years. It's funny because I think what ended up happening too, from just like a, an overall media and like a national perspective of the Browns is everybody got so high on them at the end of Baker's rookie year when you guys were, had that really good stretch at the end of the year. So then everyone was expecting, like you said, last year to be the year that, that this year was. And when it wasn't, everybody just quickly gave up on Baker and, and the rest of the Browns. It was like, oh, they're terrible. No. And right. All- and then the rumors start coming out about Beckham and he's gone and he's trouble. I mean, honestly, the guy, the guy's kept his mouth shut. He's been pretty busy yeah. here and, I mean, again, so then there he's learned a new system, too. So is Baker learning and probably trying to force him the ball a little bit at the beginning of the season because of how last year went? Yeah, they're trying to shut everybody up. But I mean, again, they got comfortable in the offense. So a good offense, if you look at New England, right, doesn't matter who you put into it, it it works. Right. So they've actually played better without Odell. You know, not not saying at that point in the season, the season went on, they would have got really good with Odell, mm-hmm. but they plug plug and played, and and their offense has been clicking pretty hot, and Baker's been playing pretty good. Yeah, and and you, what's nice about about the Browns for the most part, like you said, it, when they stick to that run game, they can beat anybody with that with that template. Just to keep running the ball because we've got one of the best run games where you still are a little bit weak in some spots is in the secondary and maybe some holes in the defense. But what's nice is like you look at the roster overall and okay, you got you you check a lot of the boxes that you need. It seems like you're getting that quarterback now. You got a really good offensive line there. You've got a couple of very nice backs, which are great. But you've got the guy on the defensive front in Miles Garrett, who's a game changer. You're not missing a whole ton from actually feeling like a Super Bowl contending team. So it's nice. In like you you look around with this team, you sort of know what you get. You're going to get an above average offensive game, probably a slightly below average defensive game. And if things go right, you can beat anyone. Unfortunately, this week it doesn't feel like things are going right with with the, with with everything that's that's happened, Don. I mean, and and that's what's a bummer is that you know missing a player here here and there is is one thing, but uh, uh, missing a head coach who's been very impactful so far. And like you said, a lot of his demeanor and just kind of keeping guys calm on the sideline. I'd be a little worried if the Browns are down ten or fourteen. Our guys going to start getting a little bit nervous now when they look around and the head the head honcho, the calming presence this year. Who's helped turn things around isn't there. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, before jumping to Kobe Newby, they remind me of the way you're talking about their line and just their team all around. They're last year's Tennessee Titans. No, you're right. Awesome, awesome run game. Quarterback that can, you know, Tannehill throughout his career until he got to Tennessee wasn't that good. Very good comparison. In a system that, you know, managed the game. Derrick Henry took it over for you and their defense did what they had to do. Kind of bend, yeah. don't break. 
Like and make they got, plays. They got you got the defense the right that can make plays. Year. Yeah, right, right. So that's, I mean, that kind of reminded me of them this year towards the end of the year. They got real hot. You know, Baltimore was a great game. I know Pittsburgh had some guys resting, but that was a huge win. Obviously, the Jets, bad loss. But again, they didn't practice. Receivers out. If if they can, and again, now we get into COVID. I mean, to me, like they're the, what are they? The six seed set up nice because if you were or do beat Pittsburgh, I mean, you don't face Kansas City, the AFC championship. So, I mean, you could beat Indianapolis or uh, Buffalo. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's set up to go. Yeah, the whole the whole COVID thing, man. I mean, it's, it's, to me, Stavansky's like having your quarterback have COVID. Man. I agree. He, he's, he's huge. He's just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're you you're taking out the probably the coach of the year. So the guy comes in, gets you ready to go to gotta go, can't even coach the game. You got Petonio, who's probably, you know, the best, if one of the top two offensive linemen on our team, guard in the league. It's he's I think one of the longest tenured Browns, you know, been through the one and fifteens, though in sixteens. His first playoff game, can't play. That's such a bummer. I mean, it's they, just yeah. And, you know, just from a pure, you know, gambling perspective, when all the betting lines opened up after, you know, uh, after the games finished on Sunday, this game was the game that was actually the shortest point spread of all six games. This one and the Baltimore Tennessee game were three and a half. So yeah, to, me, the, to me, that that Vegas given Browns the game, if definitely a chance. Uh huh. Absolutely. Last, last possession game, you know, or goes either way on the road. I mean, some, yeah, I was some, I was surprised at that line. I think it's creeped up to five now. I think it's like five or six, even in some spots, because of all the news that's coming out, everyone's jumping on Pittsburgh, and that, and also just to keep in mind, and like in this particular matchup, right? Pittsburgh was not as good as they looked all year. Then they had that stretch where they were awful, and honestly, they got right for one half. Correct. Against Indianapolis Correct. right? And then and last week they, they actually played pretty well To be honest I thought Mason Rudolph played pretty damn well Better than I was expecting him to play against you And I think there were probably a little bit of nerves For the Browns That's why I kind of liked your chances coming into this week Don because it felt like You got the you got the big one out of the way last week, and it felt like this week would have sort of been playing with house money and like not really as much of a pressure situation going on the road in a spot where a lot a lot of people think you can win, but even Vegas thought you could. And now you're still a you know you're still not even a touchdown underdog, but things are going to really have to go your way. It just it didn't feel like it would have been that big of an upset just a few days ago before all this came out. No, you're right. Why well, I was shocked at that spread. Right. I, I mean, I'm the same way. I was. And again, you're not once you, you want to get to the playoffs, and once you get to the playoffs, you want to win the Super Bowl. I sure, mean, absolutely. Once, once we, you know, won that game last week, it's like, I mean, let's not be satisfied. You've made it to the playoffs. Don't be happy to show up, win the game. So I agree. That probably gave him some momentum. To your point, Pittsburgh was playing like crap, man. The, it, Roethlisberger wasn't playing good at all. Really bad against the run, too. Oh, really? They were bad, bad against the run. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, Again, there's a chance. I think it, you got Alex Van Pelt there, who was kind of working with Stefanski, playing call, uh, calling plays. So I don't think much is going to change in terms of play calling, but your overall game management, right? You're throwing your special teams coach. You know who's going to make the challenges? Who's going to call timeouts? It's going to be a, what seems to be a close game. I'm not sure what the weather is yet. It's been kind of cold and crappy here, so and that could play a factor. I mean, you, you got to believe the Browns are going to look to ground and pound, and Pittsburgh is going to air it out because our DBs are horrible. 
Yeah. I mean, they step up, we get some Garrett, get some pressure, you know, anything's possible. I mean, another injury that we didn't talk about, Vernon's out. Oh, that's huge. Dude, he's had a better second half of the Nine season sacks. Garrett has. Yeah. Unbelievable. Garrett, I mean, Garrett got COVID too. If you pay attention to him during the games, man, he looks winded. He can't make it as much as he, yeah, his, his stamina is completely him, different. Yep, and he's mentioned it. He's tweeted out. about it and yeah. he's posted stuff about it. And that's, that's just been a bummer because, I mean, when you, you go through this this team and you look at them, you know, there are five losses this year, two of them to Baltimore, that one really awesome game that could have gone either way on Monday night, one at Pittsburgh, and then they had the weird weather one against the Raiders and the COVID issues yeah. with the Jets. This team has right. had two four-game winning streaks this year. They never lost back-to-back games. Um, right. Baker has only had one interception since Halloween. They've been playing really, really well. It just is such a bad, so bad timing for this to get in here. But, hey, I mean... Crazier things have happened. This was like it, it felt like so like so Browns, right? For you to have like a day of excitement and then like this to be like the next day of like, oh wow, well, we're really gonna be up against it. Um uh, a couple more things here to talk about with uh, my buddy Don Landis. We're talking Cleveland Browns is their big playoff game coming up this weekend. They play on Sunday night against the Steelers, 8:15 Eastern time. Current betting line is uh, it's up to around six now. It actually opened up at three and a half. Pittsburgh favorite up to six now with all the the COVID issues and everything we've been talking about. But what? So let's say it's a, this is a close game, and you need to hit a forty-five yard field goal. Do you trust your kicking game right now? They didn't even trust him on Sunday. Yes, I know. So bad. I thought they were going to cut him. I did a, a month ago to get to give too. another kicker just time to. Get acclimated to kicking in Cleveland and stuff. I mean, it odds. Are, I mean, they still had a chance. If Pittsburgh would have lost Indianapolis, we beat the Jets last week. Would have been for the division. So yeah, you, you would have been playing for a home game. Yeah, I mean, his his history and oh uh, no. So the answer is no. Yeah. Kicking, <laughs> kicking in Pittsburgh is just as hard as kicking in Cleveland. It's crazy. I mean, the only thing that they got going for them. I mean, there's no fans there. It's it, that place is tough to play. I, I was at the last playoff game in Pittsburgh, the last time the Browns went. We were kicking the shit out of them. It was like, I, I think it was like 23 to 7 or something at halftime. I mean, that crowd was so rowdy. And once you went up on them, they like turned on each other. I mean, of course we blew it, but it, no fans there. That That's a lot. I mean, that's a couple of points, maybe even not a couple, maybe a point, you know, on the road, uh-huh. you're taking, you're taking that away. I mean, that's where I think that three and a half came from again, man, if they could just keep it on the ground and run, I bet you they cover that six if it stays there. I agree. And then, you know, you start to look around too, because the AFC is, is very good, but it, it's very good towards the top. And, but you look at every team, you've beat the Titans, you've beat, the Colts you've played right there with the Ravens they can't really scare the hell out of you Pittsburgh I think you're very capable of beating Buffalo you mentioned they're actually playing as good as anyone right now they're they're they're, they're, lights out they're a little scary but the Kansas City hasn't been dominant all year they've sort of been kind of messing around with teams like it what's what's cool about the Browns and what I just wish they had 
like a full staff and a full everything going into this game is that there there is a template for you to beat everybody. I don't know if you're quite good enough yet to win three or four games in a row, but I definitely feel like you could win two and upset a couple games by just running the ball. Hey, we know you you know what they're going to do. We're just going to run the ball at you. We're going to have some play action. Baker's going to have to make a play or two here or there. If he does, we're going to be in good shape. You know, and that's what that's what sort of stinks. Like, I think there are other teams that you could have looked at and said, I, I don't know if they have a chance to win. But with the Browns, they you do things so old school, and you have such a good identity with that run game and the ability to to sort of you know control a game with that. That it's just a little unfortunate you have to come in sort of under man like this. Uh, they were definitely the the. I mean, besides the Bills, who's a higher seed, they were definitely the team. I don't think anybody wanted to face. I mean, Baltimore is playing pretty hot, but again, just over the course of the second full second half of the season, the way the, the run game and Baker came around, they definitely were the AFC team you didn't want to face. No, I mean, Pittsburgh still probably doesn't want to face them. They they know they know how they've been playing. They, Tomlin's a good coach, and now this is even. A- a little worse sometimes because you sort of like in your head if you're the Steelers you go okay now there we're you, you, there's a little more pressure on you when they're missing players like this or, and they're missing staff like uh okay now we got a rival coming in again and we're at home and we're supposed to win this game now for sure so sometimes you kind of like take your foot off the brake a little bit I don't know if you're gonna the Steelers are gonna do that in the playoffs here or, you know something like that but it's it's a mental thing sometimes where you just can't even really control like knowing who you're playing against and when they're not li- all lined up against you you just sort of don't feel like you have to give it as much um but man yeah it's just a really great year for the Browns I told you like when I was texting you throughout most of the year I think at, for just from a gambling perspective, I loved seeing sort of early on in the year they were undervalued and there were a lot of people that would be against them. So I felt a lot of the time I was getting good value on the Browns in spots or just sort of like even when they they weren't the greatest against the spread team this year. But but a lot of those when you could look at like one of the games they could have covered that Chubb just rolled down. Like there were definitely situations where even against Tennessee, like other ones where that game looks a little closer than it should have. They kicked the crap out of Tennessee. They played yeah. really good against Indy. Like they had some really good performances this year And I started you know sort of Like get taken uh, taken like Browns ownership they were like my uh, my Other team here because uh, I just I thought uh, you know between Baker Stefanski and what they did this year uh, Was really really good so Dude, Yeah family I mean, wise you forget The worst bad beat in The history of football when they Took that safety yeah. <laughs> in the Baltimore game. Yeah. Holy crap. Oh, that was twenty yards backward lateral. He's got to hit a to lose that game. You need the field goal kicker to hit a fifty-five yard field goal and then a safety. Like yeah. it, those are like the sequence of plays after you drive down and like have an awesome drive to put you back in the lead. It was just oh, uh, just a, a bummer. But uh, no doubt about it, a coming of age season for. The Browns for Stefanski for this group moving forward. You feel like you've got a good nucleus. Now you just got to add some pieces in some spots. And who knows, maybe you get a little lucky this week. And then uh, you, you might have enough time in between to to get at least a play or two back. And then who knows, maybe you, you can win a game or two and, and make a little noise here. Uh, crazier things have happened. This is an 11-win football team that very easily could have been like a 13-win football team this year. So, uh, Don, we also found out just a few minutes ago... Uh, that Ohio State is having some COVID issues now. Now, uh, now these aren't related. These are not related, but it's just crazy to think that for someone like you, who's a fan of the Browns and the Buckeyes, and over the weekend you have the Bucks 
get the opportunity to make it into the final four uh, to make it from the final four into the final then you get the browns winning and clinching a playoff game and within you know like really 24 to 48 hours we find out all this information where now both teams have had covid issues the only sort of saving light for ohio state is that there's a possibility that game could be postponed a week if if it if it looks like it's really bad yeah, I, I was reading a little bit before we got on. So Gene Smith, Ohio State's athletic director, I mean, he said they plan on playing. But I also read that the COVID issues affected a whole position group. So, I mean, I'm not sure what, what that means um, or what group that was. I mean, that, they're going to play as of now with that contingency plan for a week later, see how, this, how the week progresses. I mean – College football wants a competitive game. They don't want Ohio State to have half their team out and just yeah. hand it to Alabama. And this is different situation than the beginning of a playoffs where you'd have to bump everything back. Like in the NFL, it would be really hard to move this Browns game because then what do you do as far as the week after, right? And then everybody's games have to be moved back a little bit. When this is the final game, you can actually do that. In fact, they've talked about maybe even doing something similar in the NFL where they would maybe have an extra week in between to the Super Bowl and like quarantine some players. They they have the option to do it when it's the last game. So at least... That's it's sort of an option, but I mean the Buckeyes looked they looked so good in a big upset. And it it wasn't even like one of those games where Clemson came back. Everybody was waiting for them to come back, right? You're sort of all waiting for them to make their run. They did it. I was waiting for them to make the run. I, we were up by twenty one. I wasn't I wasn't real comfortable in that game until the final whistle. I mean, just how it goes with rooting for anybody in Ohio, but it, I they looked awesome. I know they only played six games and they got shit for getting voted in. I mean, they were top two coming into the season. I mean, they're loaded on offense. And and honestly, that, that spreads high in that game. I just I, I, I saw this matchup at the beginning of the year pre-COVID. I knew Ohio State was coming back loaded. They were gonna come back with a chip on their shoulder. Just happenstance. We got to play Clemson again, get a little revenge. I mean, Dave Dave's a great motivator. Yeah, I think those good. kids, those kids think they should have won it last year i mean they're going balls out they're sick of hearing about alabama seven point dogs i think it's up to eight now saban's daughter's talking shit about <laughs> faking covid so fields can get healthy i mean they're gonna they are gonna use all that i mean i i expect them to come out like this clemson game they have all season they come out flat next thing you know they got 55 points on the board and you're behind by three touchdowns could be a a really good couple of weeks, but hey, you know what? It's already been a good like few weeks just getting here. Now, like you said, you, you once you get there, you, you want a little more. We're always going to be greedy. We're always going to ask for a little more. So hopefully, you can get a a Browns victory this week. We want to just keep running the ball, pound the ball, put a little pressure on Roethlisberger, Garrett, come after him a little bit. No big plays. Try to limit the plays. Hopefully, a couple of receiver drops. They've had a few of those for a while too. You know, one one or two drops early, and then they start thinking about it. It gets in their head, and and just keep pounding the rock. Don't turn the ball over, Baker. No mistakes. And there's a temp. There's a template to win this game Doesn't matter who the head coach is Just play clean football and you got shot That's uh, coming up this weekend with the Browns It looks like we'll have a a, a NCAA championship game next week We're still not sure, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one Don, if uh, if the Browns win We're going to have to get you back next week uh, To recap that one and preview what what happens uh, The following week Hopefully I'll be there man, go Brownies Don Landis, one of my good buddies Don, you tell Joy I said hello uh, And the kids, uh, send them all some love 
Uh, thanks for doing this, buddy. Really appreciate it. It's definitely been too long. I was, uh, I was telling Stephanie, I was like, yeah, man, Don used to, we used to do, uh, was on the play-by-play with us all the time over uh, when we would do at PCC and, and talk some That's stuff. Right. It's just been, That's it's right. been, it's been way too long, buddy. I miss you over there. Hope you're doing well and good luck this week. Same, man. You have a good one. Don Landis talking Cleveland, talking Ohio State. We're going to take a quick break, folks. Don't worry. There's going to be plenty more to discuss here on That's What G Said. A lot of fun catching up with Don Landis from over there in Cleveland. Uh, Don, uh, great guy, good degenerate also, and uh, have a lot of fun talking sports with Don. Best of luck this weekend to the Brownies, Don, and we'll have to get you back on here again to talk some more sports sometime coming up. Now let's talk a little horse racing. What's going on this week over at Stable Duel? So, Stable Duel, daily horse racing contest. You can download on your phone. Download the app. Free to download the app. And then you get in call, uh, involved in contests each and every day based on whatever track you want to play, however much money you want to enter. They have contests for free, actual free roll contests that you get involved in and you can win money. They have contests for as little as a dollar, Five dollars, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, all the way up to a hundred, hundred and fifty. Some of the bigger contests. Here's what is the the point. You are selecting a lineup of ten horses, and it's based on a salary cap format. So it's similar to a lot of the daily fantasy stuff. If you've played daily fantasy sites before, you know how they based off the salary cap. So what that means is you can't just pick the favorite in every race. You have to. You know, massage the the salary a little bit, and some races you got to take a stand, take some some bigger prices, and you get points if your horses finish top five, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. More points for the amount of lengths your horse wins by. If you end up winning, it's a ton of fun. It's just a different way to play. You're picking horses based off their morning lines, and I have videos that I'll post on social media all the time where I show you exactly how to go through the app, select your lineup. It's really simple. If you ever have any questions or any any trouble with it, just let me know. Send me a a message on uh, Twitter, Facebook, anything. I'd love to help you out. Here's a schedule coming up for this week. Wednesday, January the 6th, over at Tampa Bay Downs, there's a $5 contest. There's also a $50 double-up contest. You have to finish in the top half in order to get that double-up. Over at Parks, there is a free ride. Yes, a free ride. You can get involved at Parks for free with at least $100 in the pool in prizes. Gulfstream Park Series, they have a $25 buy-in, and the winner of that gets the free buy-in to the finale of the Gulfstream Park Series. There's also a $100 Gulfstream Park triple up, so if you're in the top, I think, 25% or so, you triple your money up there, uh, so... Those are your Wednesday options. On Thursday, you've got the Gulfstream Park Series $25 buy-in. The winner gets the free buy-in to the finale. That's the second leg of the series. You also got the $100 buy-in double up. And then at Charlestown, there's a dollar buy-in on Thursday. On Friday at Gulfstream Park, there's another $25 buy-in third leg of that series. Another another instance where the winner gets their free buy-in to the finale at Tampa on Friday. You got a $5 buy-in at Penn National on Friday. You've got a free ride at Sam Houston. You've got a dollar buy-in at Santa Anita. You've got a $10 buy-in and a $100 buy-in. That's a triple up. So you've got Gulfstream, Tampa, Penn National, Sam Houston, Santa Anita. Five options for games on Friday. Saturday, it's the Gulfstream Park Series. $25 buy-in and the winner 
gets free buy into the finale on Sunday. This one has $2,000 in prizes. You also have a Tampa Bay Downs contest with a $50 buy in. It's a double up. You want to play a little smaller at Tampa. They have a $5 contest also going and uh, contests at Santa Anita. And then for a $1 buy in, you've got Sam Houston. On Sunday, Gulfstream Park finale, $25 buy in, $3,000 prize pool from that. Gulfstream Park series all throughout the week There's another free game on Sunday At Laurel, at Tampa Bay They have a $10 game, at Santa Anita There's a $100 triple up and there's also A $10 buy-in So incredible options For you this week Over at Stable Duel And right now I'm going to talk a little bit about Tampa Bay Downs For Wednesday and there's a, a Couple stable duel contests that I just mentioned for Tampa Bay Downs for Wednesday that you can get involved in. Let's go through the Tampa card and it'll start in race number one, get those past performances out Wednesday, January the 6th. I'm looking at the number three, Little Green Machine in race number one. Now, he most uh, recently raced on December the 12th and he broke right on top, but he couldn't clear. So he sits second on the inside. He ends up getting shuffled back a little bit. He was third. He was tucked in about a length off. There was an opening in the inside. He moved right through it. It was a great opening for him. He ends up you know, clearing the field and separates by two lengths, but he just gets nailed late. That was his first start since May and he had every right to get a little bit tired after Waiting and having some of that early trouble I think because people see that he blew a big lead You're going to forget that he did have a little trouble And have to hesitate and if he didn't have that trouble Maybe he had a little bit more left in the tank Late now second off the bench Puts two starts together he might be on The lead in here I wouldn't be Shocked if thrown for a loop maybe sits a little Behind Um, and, and We know that little green machine can sit behind And pass horses if need be that's The three little green machine In race number one I'll make a win wager if we can Get around seven to two definitely using this one In my stable duel lineup In race number two I thought the six Foxy mischief was real interesting This is a six-year-old mare who's very Consistent she likes it at Tampa She's been doing some good work for the new connections For Sweezy as of late Uh, Two starts back against Stakes Company in the slop. Just put a line right through that. There's multiple excuses. She was in a little tough in a race that it was worth taking a shot against, and it was a race that was uh, in the slop. So, uh, you know, $60,000 stakes race, a little over her head that day. She steps up off the, the win at 20. Very easy to excuse the two back race. She's super versatile. She can stalk. She can come from way out of it. She also has some speed if need be. She likes Tampa. She has actually beat some of today's rivals in a very comparable race back in January right here last year. Lots to like about the six. Foxy Mischief, if she's 3-1, to one, I'll make a win wager on the number six, Foxy Mischief. In race number three, uh, I'm going to look at uh, two horses in here. I do think the five is super logical and will probably be a tough horse who gets bet down and is favored. She ended up last inside in a compact field. She had to maneuver through some traffic and angle, and she did run pretty well to still finish third. She doesn't have a ton of speed, so she just needs a little bit of help. The horse who I think may end up sitting in a really good spot is the two. Ridgely's Red Hot, who has some pace in a race. I don't even know about pace, but maybe just some tactical speed in a race that doesn't have a ton of it. I think she could be sitting... Pretty close early on So uh, let's use the, the 2 and the 5 um, In some exotics And probably not a race where I'm going to make any uh, win wagers But those will those will be the 2 I, I look to 
In the fourth attempt, I like the three Grim Grin and Ghost a little bit, who uh, most recently was in between horses. He was about two, three lengths off. He waited. He angled around. He's really solid. He fits nicely with these. Put a line through the November race at Penn when he had a, a brutal start that day. And the form, you know, looks better. Two starts back was just in against a, a little too tough. Number three. Grim Grinning Ghost. We can get around three to one. I'll make a win wager on that one uh, in race number four. In the fifth race, this is a, a race where I would just single in some of the exotics, the seven oyster box, who I actually liked in a stakes race at Gulfstream Park over the weekend, scratched out of that race, and will be in here. This is a horse who's beautifully bred to run all day. Stretch out should be no problem for her in here. So the seven oyster box, not a horse who I'll be wagering on, but may, maybe a horse who if you're looking for a, a single or, a, or someone to key in on. In the sixth race, looking at the, the number nine in here, Pachi. So this is a, a gelding who is now going to go second start off the four-month break, is going to cut back, drawn towards the outside in a race that does not have a ton of speed in here. He should be forwardly placed from there. If he can step forward a little off of that last effort, have a little more fitness on the cutback, I think the nine has an opportunity here to make some noise at a price. The number nine, Pachi, great horse for stable duel to throw into one of your lineups because it costs you nothing to use a horse at this big of a price and uh, maybe a nice horse to throw into some of your exotics. However, you're playing that Tampa Wednesday card. Moving along to race number seven. In uh, the seventh race, I thought the two bourbon tan, I I don't really love anyone in this race. I was looking at the one and the two both, so... To me, no real lean. I won't spend a whole time on a race that I I don't really love, um, but maybe a couple inside horses to at least use um, uh, underneath with with a couple others. In race number eight, the uh, one more maybe to mention in the seventh, the nine, Neat Street, a horse who has races that are good enough to, to beat this group and has some ability on the grass, so... Yeah, maybe like one, two, and nine in some of your exotics in in race number seven. In the eighth race, let's look at the 12 to the outside. Maletta. So Maletta was most recently going seven furlongs, now cuts back to five, was was going a mile at Gulfstream Park prior to that, and showed a little bit of speed. But I think she's going to be one that enjoys this turn back from outside. She's got enough positional tactical speed to put herself in a good spot. And cutting back, she should be able to sit off a a little bit in here. That's the number 12, Maletta, in race number 8. And then to close things out, I thought the three Mondays with Mike was going to be tough in in race number 9. A horse who debuted on the grass on December the 9th. I meant grass debut. He had uh, he had raced six times and hadn't really shown a whole ton. Maybe some early speed. Stretched out from six and a half to a mile and a sixteenth on the grass and was a really good third that day. Has every right to continue to improve and step forward and showed um, that, you know, turf might be what he has wanted all along. That's the number three Mondays with Mike. That's some Tampa for you for Wednesday. Tampa Wednesday. Make sure to uh, get involved in those stable dual lineups. Right now, we go from Wednesday at Tampa over to Sam Houston Friday. But first, before we even get to the Friday card, we're going to talk about the meet. We're going to set it up. What's the race schedule look like? 
major dates to look forward to, new names in town. Track announcer Chris Griffin from Sam Houston joins us here on That's What G Said to give us all the details for the upcoming Sam Houston meet. Opening week at Sam Houston. You heard a lot about Sam Houston last year on That's What G Said podcast. And uh, why I like to talk about Sam Houston in particular is it is a great racetrack for us, the customers, the betters in particular, the low takeout that they have for all of the multi-race exotics for your doubles, your pick threes, your pick fours, your pick fives. That's what makes me, that's what draws me as a better there. And also some of the people in charge over at Sam Houston, Texas has done an incredible job. They bumped up purses last year. They put a ton of money into their racing product and they've got one of the best track announcers in the game. A good friend of mine who's going to join us and preview Sam Houston, which is Opening this week, opening day on Friday, January the 8th. Track announcer Chris Griffin joins us here on That's What G Said. Chris, happy holidays, buddy. How you been? Gino, what's going on? Happy holidays to you. What an introduction, man. I want to take you on the road with me everywhere I go. Just have you bring me in. Uh, I know you guys are the big wrestling fans. You can be my valet. Just kind of bring me in and give me that kind of hype. That's great, man. I Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Not, 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 not a lot's happened in the offseason since we last spoke, I think, about Sam Houston. It's been pretty quiet, right? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, nothing going on in the in the year oh, 2020, but, oh, but we're back. Man. But we're back. And, and, we are. And, and we that's are. great. We've got a, a really great. Another thing that I love too is at Sam Houston, they draw those entries really early. So, like for the betters, I've had a, a few days already to start sort of looking at some of the entries. Uh, Andrew Champagne's going to join me. We're going to have a ton of different handicappers that join me each week here. You guys have a stellar crew signed on. I saw that you added Jessica Paquette. I already uh, reached out to her. She's going to join me in a couple weeks and talk some Sam Houston. So, it seems like a lot of the momentum and the energy from last year has really sort of carried over because of the last couple of weeks, I've already sort of felt a little bit of a buzz for Sam Houston. Yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, uh, we don't need to go back to, to last season too much, but, you know, we had great momentum during, during, the, during the 2020 season. Uh, the horsemen responded, the betters were responding, you know, handle was going up and, and, and things were going well. And, you know, the, things obviously changed very, very dramatically globally, not just uh, in Houston, Texas. So uh, we've moved on from that. And, and this is where we look forward and we try and, and have those same goals in mind and put together, you know, 2020 taught us a lot of lessons too, you know, about how we do and operate business and how you can do things this and that way. Uh, and we'll have some safety protocols in place for those that can join us on track. Uh, we're going to have this, this wonderful product that we're putting out uh, every week. Um, and, and just really looking forward to getting back at it, man. I'm, I'm ready to get back in the booth. You know, I, I've, I've been very lucky that I was in a couple booths during the off season um, at, in California and then in Monmouth Park as well. So, you know, I've been able to, to still keep my, my calling you know, keep, keep my edge as far as calling mm-hmm. races. And I'm really looking forward back, you know, looking forward to getting back this, 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 uh, this Friday night, 645 central time. It's going to be fun, man. We got 10 races on Friday, 10 races on Saturday, that 12% takeout that you spoke about. Uh, and then we got, uh, some pretty exciting news that I just, that I just received here, uh, pretty recently. So we're, we're looking forward to that as well. And, and we hope people join us and, and it's people like you and the people that get involved in the action and like watching the races and, and giving us that constant coverage. That's, what's going to make us really have a successful season. I mean, I got to give a, a major shout to just to Texas racing in general, because, um, horse racing in the last 10, 15 years, I mean, we're, we don't have to sugarcoat it. A lot of 
circuits a lot of racetracks have closed a lot of uh, race dates have sort of dwindled we're seeing smaller fields there's not always like a lot of positive energy from some tracks we've had a lot i i, I haven't felt that with sam houston and in particular the last couple of years i really want to give uh, a shout to the some of the people in charge over there and what they've been doing with texas racing because they 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 wanted to do this and what they've been wanting to do was like last year i think one of the tags was sort of a major league racing make it feel like it's uh, a bigger deal and it really does feel that that way chris is there someone or a couple people um that are sort of towards the top uh, there in texas that you can mention that have been doing a great job i know martha clausen because i've interacted with her um on t- you know tvg years back she does just a, such a phenomenal job for some of the the racing out there and promoting it and pushing it anyone else out there who's who's been sort of in charge and at the at the forefront of some of these movements yeah i th- i think kudos first to the, to the state of texas i mean the state of texas is really invested in in horse racing and and yeah and getting things rolling and, and getting these purses up and being competitive and you could see that ripple effect throughout the whole region i mean you know when you talk about uh lone star and and some of the other tracks in the surrounding areas you mm-hmm. just you, you know you've seen this real influx of horsemen wanting to run uh, the purses being right where they'd like them to be. And, and, you know, obviously everybody wants the purses to be as high as they can possibly be. But, you know, for the people that are that are working hard and this is a seven day a week job, you know, to, to get these horsemen rewarded when they win races was really important. And it was important to the state. And uh, you talk about specific people. I mean, there's there's many, many people to, to run down the list here at Sam Houston Race Park. But obviously, uh, Senior Director of Racer, Racing Operations, Frank Hoff, comes to mind as he's put a real nice program together and just done a fantastic fantastic job our general manager Dwight Baruby and uh, just everyone on the staff that's just worked hard and I'm happy to have the, that they brought me back you know it's it's been a, a lot going on and uh, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm ready to call these races but it, it's been an absolute team effort from a social distance and uh, we're gonna get it done and and there's there's just a real there's a real excitement level it, it's a bit uh, you know when you get week of towards opening day yeah there's a lot of things going on and uh, my role's changed a little bit, so I'm not getting as many emails as I was getting last <laughs> season. Um, but uh, but we got things rolling. And like I said, you know, like you talk about the added coverage and being able to bring in some really great minds. It's funny when I sent out that tweet about assembling a, a really nice group. You know, I just was sitting in the, the little TV studio that we have. And I was just thinking, about it. I was like, man, you know, we got a we got an NAC Hall of Famer. We got Martha yeah. Boston, who's just legendary. She knows everything in the region. Uh, you know, Andy Villanueva always gives us a nice input and he's got a, a zoom that he's doing now and um and then and then you had someone like jessica paquette who who i had had not known but i was introduced to and um she's been nothing but very very impressive with her knowledge and and how she markets and how she cares about the game and um we're looking forward to having her you know give us her insight when she can throughout the season and uh i I, i'm just looking forward to being able to cover this this racing at sam houston race park and being able to bring it to the fans and put that product out there that that people want to wager on and they look at us on friday and saturday night 6 45 and uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays will be fun too. You know, once we once we transfer over, we're going to go Thursdays through the rest of this month. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we once we add the Wednesdays and we're running at four o'clock. That'll be a real nice spot for us, I think. In that later afternoon, uh, not getting too far into the evening and and uh, stay off of some of these other tracks as far as their signals and make sure we've got that timed out well. And I think that'll that'll benefit everyone. And so, uh, as long as we keep uh, things safe and keep things on track, we're gonna we're gonna be all right. 
Okay, you already answered one of my questions. You, you just went over the what the racing schedule is going to be like. <laughs> Give us a couple of the big dates. What are some of the the big dates that we're going to circle and keep an eye on? Steaks days, Texas bread days. Uh, there's at least three or four of them throughout the meet. Yeah, so you you know everybody always talks about Super Bowls and whatnot. You know the Houston Racing Festival has been. Uh, I've been introduced to it over the last two seasons, and it's just been. I I've been blessed because I've been able to call Midnight Bisu in, in 2019, and then I got to call it just an absolute thrilling race last season where Lady Apple beat Street Band and Serengeti Empress and My Lady Curlin and so on. Um, and so you've got two horses that ran here in the last two seasons. You know Midnight Bisu. We don't need to go through her accolades, but then Serengeti Empress, I see her, uh, you know, the Eclipse Awards are coming up. I see her on a lot of ballots. So uh, there's real quality horses that that are coming here to Texas and, and really looking forward to the Houston Racing Festival, which will be our only Sunday afternoon program. Uh, so we, we, we just really... Uh, focus on that day. You're going to have a real nice race in the Texas Turf Mile, and then you're going to have the John B. Connolly Turf Cup, which is always a great race. And uh, we're looking forward to just some some more big names, and hopefully see a, a real nice uh, superstar. You know, come come out of the region and come out of the racing uh, on that day. And then after Houston Racing Festival ends, you know, then we start getting into uh, our big days where we focus on the Texas spreads and we're mm-hmm. in Houston, Texas. So in focusing on those Texas spreads and the breeding program and where it's going and seeing these horses get more competitive, you know, it's interesting. I was just watching um, the racing at Gulfstream park over the weekend and they, they, the stakes winner was a Texas spread. If I'm not mistaken, Cone Lima, I think is, is bred in Texas. So, uh, you know, looking at the breeding operation and where that's gone, I, I've just been really uh, impressed with that. And so we'll have Texas preview day. And that'll be coming up on February 20th. And then that is a precursor to Texas Champions Day, which is going to be March 20th. So you take a look at that. And, and, and those are three of our biggest days of racing. But I think adding the Wednesdays and Thursdays at 4 o'clock is going to be a real strong move for us throughout the season. Uh, I, I think the betters will respond to that. And uh, when we put on these big days, you know, hopefully the weather stays nice. Um, hopefully we don't end up with a situation like last season, but we're not living in last season. You know, do you know, we're moving forward and we're looking forward to it. And like we say, we always just appreciate the, the coverage and, and, and getting these betters involved because, uh, as I'll just keep saying, you know, there, there's, there's options for you as far as wagering your wagering dollars and your, your, your precious money that you are investing and betting. Uh, on our track so we're hoping that it appeals to you and you want to get involved and you like those horizontals and we're offering you a low takeout and and that's obviously been a real big selling point for us and so it's all there everything everything is in place so now it's just up to to open the gates let them run and we'll see what we do and when those gates open they're going to be a, a few new faces in town um that i, I thought i saw uh, but relu gutierrez is that right uh jonathan yeah. wong is going to bring some in it looks like sophie doyle is going to be around uh for the for the full meet who are a couple new faces um that that may be you know having a lot more horses or mounts or entries coming up in the in this meet yeah great point i mean uh, frank lucarelli got in front of it pretty pretty you know he was pretty ahead of time on the whole deal you know he set the string here uh, he's got one entered there uh, on Friday night, so looking forward to that opening night. And um, Jonathan Wong, as you say, that came together, and and he's going to send a string as well. You know, there's an ever-changing situation at some racetracks, and and that afforded opportunities for uh, horsemen to to travel and and come to this region. So uh, because of that, we'll just kind of see how that that plays out this season if they'll be competitive which i think they will i mean obviously they're very good horsemen um you talk about the names of the jocks room yeah that's that's an interesting one too because uh you're not going to have Deshaun parker you're not going to have david cabrera this season 
uh, as they have chosen to write elsewhere. Because of that, it, it allows big opportunity. Obviously, Stuart Elliott is going to be very, very competitive here, um, writing for Steve Asmussen and, and being in that barn. Um, as you say, Sophie Doyle, Ray Lou Gutierrez, I've heard nothing but great things about. He's got a, a, an agent that's very active uh, in, in getting mounts and, and communicating about his riders. So I think that's going to that's gonna bode very well for him. And uh, I, there's there's some spots here for some jockeys to really uh, have opportunities. Lane Luzzi, you know, he's he's had a real nice season in 2020, and I think he'll continue that as well. Um, Lindy Wade, you know, you could see him kind of making a rise as well. You know, the name kind of the, the list kind of can go on and on. But yeah, it's nice to see new names. You know, you see a Ty Kennedy and you see a Weston Hamilton. You know, it's nice to see these these new names joining us. And we'll just see how it how it all plays out. And that 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 jocks title. Right now, we'll be up for grabs. We'll see who kind of grabs that mantle and and takes it and moves forward with it. But from a trainer's perspective, obviously, you still recognize some of the names, and they're going to have big barns, and they're going to do very well. Carl Broberg, yep. uh, Steve Asmussen, obviously, you know, Danny Pish had a real nice season last year. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see how they all stack up against one another. Uh, Mindy Willis, you know, she's always going to have some nice runners. Uh, you know, it's I can kind of go on and on and on. Yeah, you keep nice, going. It's... That's a real nice situation to be in you know when we can rattle off several several names where we know they're going to be competitive we know they're going to run we know they're going to have horses that fit in these spots and um it's just going to make for some real nice racing and you know as long as we stay away from some of the weather and 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 keep everybody safe as far as those that can join us live it'll be good We're, we're we're really looking forward to it and it's uh I'm ready to rock and roll, but I want to make sure that we're getting this social media game right too before we kick things off. There, I was gonna you, you just are just perfect. Like every every next uh, topic I'm gonna go to, you lead me right there. So we're talking about the social media game, and in the last you know year or two, that has become something that you've focused a lot more on. You're getting daily video uh, videos all the time. You get little stuff from uh, the mornings where you uh, get conversations with jockeys who are working horses out. Stuff with uh, trainers. Um, we had a handicapping video last week with Jessica a couple different things that sort of talked about what she looks for in handicapping so yeah that's definitely um, uh, become sort of a focus over the last couple years is building that social media presence and just trying to get as much information out there as possible so where do we follow you and and what are some of the things that we can look for uh, this year on on, uh, Sam Houston on social media yeah, so the social media on Twitter it's at shrp. So you can you can find us at shrp on Instagram if you're following IG. We're we're going to have more pictures and some coverage there, but that'll be at Sam Houston Race Park, and then you can follow us and and friend us on Facebook as well. Um, for for me, as far as how we cover the racing here at Sam Houston Race Park, I because I've got some time and I'm able to get out in the mornings and shoot these videos. You know, I I, I really keep viewing it as you know I'm taking this as a professional sport and I want to cover it, you know, and if I'm watching another professional sport, you know, how many press conferences do we see? How many of the, the practice videos and the coverage and the, uh, the, the insight, you know, as much as we can bring that to people, as much as I can do that, then, then I'd really like to do that this season. I think that it, it gives you, it just keeps you in the loop. It keeps you, uh, it, it keeps things fresh. It makes you real interested in what we're doing and, and, and how things are going here. And if we can try and get some comp, some, some, uh, some, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought, losing my words, but no if, if we can, if we can get some added interest from people and insight from jockeys after rides or trainers, after oh, a, a absolutely. Race, you know, great. I think that that's going to, that's going to help. And I think anything more, what, yeah, I think I think that's what people want to see and want to hear. And you can take 
from it what you can take, you know, and, and, and not every trainer or jockey is going to give you every single little detail of what happened. But maybe there's something where they can just say, you know, the the horse just didn't, you know, needed blinkers or this and that or something. So whatever we can do, whatever we can bring, that's what we're going to do. And and uh, like I say, hopefully just people respond and they're looking forward to to our our, our racing and 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 getting involved and we'll know on friday that's going to kind of tell us exactly what's going on well i've been uh, i've been very excited and waiting for a while i uh would text back and forth with you last year i had like one of the best meets i've ever had at any track last year at uh at sam houston for the few months so i'm definitely i I've, I've been like putting the pressure on myself already to have another great meet coming up so i'm ready i'm excited for it you had mentioned what's great about sam houston too with new new connections coming in and the turf courses you're always going to get um you know you're going to get the opportunity for full fields when people know that there's grass racing and there's dirt racing there's real quality um i i just can't say enough positive things about uh, about sam houston chris we worked together a little bit last year there we did some stuff together at pleasanton and uh it's for my money uh sam houston just does a great job and we're gonna do our best here on that's what g said to make sure we cover the races there every day get all that information out have great guests here anything that you ever need from uh from us you just let us know and we're, we're very happy and excited to be playing sam houston no, I appreciate that, Gino. We just appreciate the coverage. And then before I get out of here, I did want to say, I don't know if we touched on it earlier, but we are going to have a carryover going into yeah. opening night. So that carryover is over $51,000, 51876 uh, Because Texas Champions Day was was abbreviated last season, there was a carryover amount that will carry over into our opening night. And then we're going to do a mandatory on Saturday. So a mandatory payout on Saturday, uh, give you some nice uh, betting average and a little uh, – a, a, uh, a carryover going into our betting action this weekend. So we're looking forward to that as well. And that's an opportunity for, for betters to get involved and, and uh, we'll see, it'll be offered Friday. Doesn't get hit there. uh, Well, it'll get hit in in some respects, I would imagine, but uh, if it carries over into Saturday, it'll be a, a mandatory payout. Great stuff. Opening week at Sam Houston. Chris Griffin, track announcer from Sam Houston, talking with us here on That's What G Said podcast. You'll hear him uh, a few different times throughout the meet, and you'll hear tons of folks coming on uh, to give coverage to Sam Houston. Chris, uh, thank you so much again for joining us. We were really excited about uh, this week, opening week, and next time we had to just get the the specifics and all the uh, all the important information out. Next time we have you back, we'll handicap a couple races, but yeah. this time this time was more just setting the scene and letting everybody know what's to come. So thanks again, and we look forward to hearing your voice later this week. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Gino. Good luck, everybody. Chris Griffin, track announcer there at Sam Houston. We're going to be talking all about them this year on That's What G Said. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with plenty more. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. 
one click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone cross device functionality you can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices on the go handicapping and wagering Multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Thanks to Chris. Hopefully the, the first of a few times at least we'll have him on throughout the meet. And uh, the next couple times we'll we'll have him give out a, a horse or two that he likes. We just had to get it all set up for you. Because now we're going to really get into the Friday card with Andrew Champagne. Get those past performances out for Friday. Sam Houston, January the 8th. We're going to go through every race on the 10 race card. We each give out horses we like. We talk about the prices, vulnerable favorites, big Big horses uh, to use underneath. So everything you'll need for Friday. Make sure to get those past performances out so you can follow along. Here we go. Friday, Sam Houston with Andrew Champagne. Very excited for opening week at Sam Houston. This is a racetrack that I've really fell in love with over the last couple of years, mainly Takeout snob. What uh, what do I mean by? <laughs> well, I know my friend Andrew Champagne is going to join me. Knows is that you know when we're betting and we're betting as often as we are, I'm trying to find the the wagers uh, that are going to give us the most money back for our bet. And a lot of times, Andrew uh, Andrew Champagne, who joins me, uh, doesn't need much of an introduction because you all know him here. You hear him each and every week. But what what makes it hard to sort of be that snob, Andrew, is that at most places. It, it's a it's a wager like a pick five that's a difficult wager to hit and a lot of people don't feel that comfortable if they're playing on a smaller budget if you only have a certain amount to play it's hard to a lot uh, uh, what you would feel comfortable with hitting a pick five what's so nice about Sam Houston you get the 12 percent doubles pick threes pick fours pick fives all of those rolling multi exotic wagers which is just unlike any other racetrack it's a lot of fun. I fell in love with Sam Houston last year as well. There are a lot of big fields. They've got a turf course that runs a variety of different kinds of races. They card a lot of different conditions for a lot of different types of horses. There were some very good horses that came through Sam Houston last year. Serengeti Empress contested their big race, the Houston Ladies Classic. She, of course, went on, won the ballerina later on in the year, wound up running really well in the Breeders' Cup Philly in their sprint when she was second behind Gamine. It's a lot of fun. You're going to need to stay up a little bit later, especially if you're on the East Coast. 
But if you do, you're going to be rewarded with some really fun handicapping puzzles. And you mentioned the pick fives. I'm usually not a pick five player for a lot of different reasons. I concentrate on pick fours and doubles, but you can put together a $30 ticket that takes a couple of stands. And remember with those pick fives, Gino, they also pay out four out of five. So even if you suffer a bad beat, if you're say three deep in that race, you get three, four out of five payoffs. You get your investment back potentially, maybe add a couple extra dollars. There's a lot of different options that you can do here. And my heart just breaks for how their meet had to end last year. We probably need to address that before we yeah. get too much further. I mean, my goodness, they were trying to wrap their meet up in the midst of all of the COVID nonsense that was going on. They have a huge card that I actually was on with you to preview. Yep. They get two or three races in and they get hit by a fluke power outage. I, you couldn't make this up. It, my heart broke for so many good people. They deserve for that meet to end better than it did. But they're back on Friday, and they're back with a vengeance. This is a really good 10 race card. And how cool is this? So because of that day that had to cancel early, it was like a mandatory payout in in some of the pools. So what they did with the pick six, they've carried that thing over for $51,000 going into opening day on Friday. And then it's going to be a mandatory payout on Saturday. And then they, the news has been released that the reason they're going to be able to do that too is they're going to try to clear the tote and get ready for starting uh, next week when they're going to be going to a non-jackpot pick six. So that's going to be changing up. So, I mean, just really cool stuff that we don't see. Like, we're used to complaining about racetracks, and now we feel like we got our pennies pinched a little bit or somebody stole a buck from us, and they're doing the opposite. They're uh, continuing to to bring the betters back, and that's why we're going to talk about them. I'm going to be, you know, giving out selections and previewing their races each and every day with segments here, also stuff on social media, different videos, and uh, we're going to jump. Right on into it right before we start something that's uh you know we're a lot of good news we're talking about with Sam Houston, something that's very scary and uh unfortunate news now keep in mind, I'm going to read exactly from a DRF article. This is all very, very new in what's happening, but you're gonna see jockey c j McMahon listed on a lot of horses at Sam Houston on Friday, and uh jockey c j McMahon was charged with attempted murder. Charles Jansen, CJ McMahon, promising young jockeys, creator uh, sputtered over the, ba- the past several years, was arrested in Saturday in Lafayette, Louisiana, charged with attempted murder, along with illegal drug and weapon possession, according to records from the county sheriff. McMahon uh, was issued the charges following a traffic stop, according to records of the Lafayette's sh- uh, Lafayette Sheriff's Office. The records said that an active warrant had been issued for McMahon's arrest. McMahon, 26, was released after posting $80,000 bond. Scheduled to be arraigned Tuesday We are recording this Tuesday night So I haven't heard anything more as far as that um, You may be hearing this Wednesday, Thursday And, and you may know more news than what we know McMahon, it talks then about um, McMahon who took out his writer's license In 2011, he was 16 um, And it gives some of his stats afterwards And just mentions that he had been riding at Delta And that he was named on amounts at Sam Houston this week So Andrew, obviously so early in something like this It's hard to really make a like give give an opinion or a comment, but just really scary news and something that I think I thought we had to mention because almost every race you're going to see a CJ McMahon show up, and this would have been someone who right now at this particular point where there's no uh, Deshaun Parker, there's no Cabrera, 
Those are the two leading riders from last year There are a, a ton of really really live mounts That CJ was listed on That was just something I thought we had to mention Because it would have been inevitable To, uh, to kind of get to some of those horses All you need to know about how big this is CJ McMahon would have been Carl Broberg's first call rider At yeah. Sam Houston Carl Broberg runs approximately 93,173 horses per day At Sam Houston And CJ McMahon would have had his pick of anything that he wanted to ride. Now, again, the legal process is going to play itself out. We don't know a whole heck of a lot yet. We don't know any more than you do. We'll see how it plays out. Obviously, innocent until proven guilty. We're not going to jump to any conclusions. That's not what we do here. But it's certainly worth noting. And we'll see. Chances are you'll hear something at some point about his riding fortunes and whether or not he'll have to take off his mounts. We'll see what happens. Okay, let's uh yeah, we'll we'll give you more information on that here and that's what G said uh, as the the weeks come. I always want to give all the information out good or bad, be as transparent with all of you as possible as we now shift the focus. Let's get into the handicapping Sam Houston Friday. Get your past performances out. We're talking about January the 8th. This card goes off at a uh, 7.45 Eastern, 6.45 Central time, local time there uh, at Sam Houston. And race number one doesn't have any of the, the big exotic wagers. Pick four starts in race number two. They have the late pick five. But in race number one, you can play, you know, exactts, tries, supers, daily doubles, pick threes. Andrew, I probably won't play a ton in this race because I really did look up and down and I wanted to try to beat Nova Notion I just don't know who else really is going to go with him early on it just seems like there's not a ton of other speed I thought you know the the three inside horses I wouldn't be completely shocked if they won or they ran well in here but it feels like Nova Notion should have a couple lengths on them early at least in here yeah I certainly think so the last out effort on April 7th I think you can draw a line straight yep. through that. Yep. That was a $50,000 stakes race. He's a maiden. He had no business running in that race. He's in with his friends here. If he is ready to run, I think he wins. I think this is a pretty soft spot for the level. He's run well a couple of times here at Sam Houston. He was second off a similar length layoff back in February against similar, and then dueled early and faded to fourth two starts back. But it helps that he's run well fresh. I think that alleviates some of the concerns that I have here. Yeah, I can't see anybody going with this horse early on. The question is, is Nova Notion going to be ready? If he is, I think the race is for second. You look at a horse like number one, Cha-Ching Bling, who I think is going to be the wise guy horse that may well take some money and be the second choice. I would like him a lot more at a mile than six furlongs Great. to me it seems like he's got miler speed as opposed to sprinter speed and all you need to do is look at the two mile dirt races where he's run second at lone star park against very similar horses then you look at the one turn efforts and they're just not up to snuff so if you're playing along in the early pick three that starts in this race i think nova notion is a single yeah, if you're looking to to throw somebody underneath, um, the two would be one I would I'd throw at least into your tries. Just coming out of some open races now, back in with Texas Bread, and actually broke well. He kind of got shuffled back out of a spot early in between. He got caught. Um, 
I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's closer Coming out of a five and a half furlong race w- In a race where there's just not a ton of other speed He could be sitting second or third And just be closer than it looks like he's been In some of his recent races He's not that slow in a race where There are some pretty slow horses early So uh, maybe one to use underneath But yeah, I probably am going to wait till uh, till race two to, to dive in a little more Because I thought that, that yeah Or maybe if you think you want a single and a pick three with the eight um, I just, I couldn't really Find and make too strong case for many others uh, As we move along to race number two So this does start your early pick four And we have a 10,000 on two group They're going to be going five and a half furlongs In here A couple horses that I uh, I thought were a little interesting Andrew um, The one and the six I think are both sort of middle price-ish horses That I'll probably be throwing in the pick four I'll start with the, the six Wicked City Who's going to be cutting back here From a mile to five and a half furlongs But he he's got enough tactical speed, I think, to to still keep up with these horses early and get some position. And he actually can pass horses. He only went five and a half one time. That was back at Oaklawn in March, and so it's hard to really get a gauge. And what he's been doing recently has been going longer. And a couple of those races too. You're, you're looking at Gulfstream, Gulfstream Western Fairgrounds. Those are probably just better races in general. So um, on the cutback, I think he he's a little interesting. I'm also going to throw uh, the one into the mix on some pick fours. Um, you know who's going to be sending hard from the rail I hope it's going to be uh, A horse who last time out Was able to start Really well was three deep was in between Horses but then took back And and he just Really couldn't come on again and pass So I'm hoping that I don't know how much he wants to Pass horses I think they've sort of figured that out with him So I'm hoping from the rail their Plan is just to go for me Those are two horses I'm definitely going to be throwing into My pick four who are some that you're looking at well, you mentioned number one, Bogos, and that's my second choice. There are a couple of names associated with this horse that if you're following Sam Houston, you're going to get to know very, very quickly. Raylu Gutierrez in the saddle, trainer Austin Gustafson, who is 24% on the 2020 season. I think those two are stocked for a really nice meet at Sam Houston. That's my second selection. One of my price plays for today is because, look, if you look at this form, not a lot of these horses particularly fond of winning. You get a lot of horses that run second a lot, run third a lot, horses that don't seem to have any real excuse. And when I see a race like that, I like looking for horses that are making a significant change in an attempt to wake them up. That's why I've landed on number four, Roll on Curlin, sure. a horse that's very consistent and making his first start on this circuit for trainer Todd Fincher who's 20% on the 2020 campaign, obviously too early for 2021 numbers. But this is a horse that has shown some versatility. He's got a little bit of early speed, which he's shown in a couple of his starts, but he's also shown that he can pass horses late. And I like that after they broke the maiden with him last winter at Sunland, they kept him in allowance company for a while. And it's not like he ran terribly at Albuquerque and at Zia. And it's also not like those races are that far below what he's going to face here. Roll on Curlin to me, very, very interesting. A 10 to 1 on the morning line. I like the fact that they've got two works over the surface. The December 23rd work, I think, was just a gallop. They say four furlongs and 55 and two. That to me was just something to stretch his legs, get him acclimated with the surface. I like that he went significantly faster on December 30th. Granted, four furlongs and 50 flat doesn't sound fast. But that's 14th fastest to 55 at the distance. So relatively speaking, it's a pretty good work. And these are 10,000 non-winners of two-life claimers. We're not talking graded stakes races or anything like that. 
Give me Roland Curlin at or near that morning line price. Yeah, I'm actually going to play two different pick four tickets, and he's on both. Um, I'm gonna have one of them that has a single at the end And another that'll, that'll a little short But I think he's a must use in here He's just the most consistent in a race where you have a lot of questions I, I know he's gonna probably give us a, a good account for himself Is that gonna be good enough to win? I'm not sure But if he's around 8-1 to one or over That's definitely worth taking a, a swing on He was chasing lone speed uh, last time out he, he, he said he's got a little more tactical speed Even than it looks like on paper too He can sit pretty close So I'm with you. I don't. I don't have anything really against him. Um, so mentioned the one, the the four, the six, um, the nine. For me, uh, I, I probably prefer the nine. I guess to the five. If we're looking at the short prices, like I'm just a bachelor who's just dropping in class, and I think is going to get a pretty solid uh, jock upgrade back to the wind rider today. Uh, I, I just didn't really love the ride mm-hmm. that he got last time out. So um, I, I don't. I mean, I'm not in love with the five Golden Tiger. He could win. I guess I just prefer other Asmussen Elliott horses uh, throughout the card. Can I make a prediction that has nothing to do with the outcome of this race? Yeah. I think the nine gets claimed. Look at the pedigree. By summer front, turf on the top. Out of a Royal Academy mare, turf on the bottom. You're telling me they've only gotten this horse on turf twice, and, and one of them running—they're running him for ten grand. Somebody's going to claim this horse and at least try him on turf with that pedigree. He's crying out for it. I don't like him in this race. I cannot see why he is five to two. I Should know I... he drops, but I'm looking at the race that he won at Remington. He didn't beat a whole heck of a lot that day, and he's shown nothing since. The outside post can be a little bit of a plus in a race like this when you've got a rider that can work out his own trip, but I am against I'm just a bachelor, but I got to tell you, if I'm an owner with money to burn, maybe I drop the claim in the claim box just to see what we can get. Should I pause this and you can call uh, Darren Zocali uh, and see if they uh, want to maybe crowd, add a new claim? <laughs> we got to give DZ a, a shot there. So uh, we move along to uh, to race number three. We're looking at $5,000 claimers. They're going to be traveling a, a mile in here. I sort of have a – I'm definitely against the seven. Me too. I'm completely fine. If, like, if you're playing a pick four if the, and – if the seven beats me in the pick four, I'm fine. I'm completely okay with the horse who is in graded stakes company, two consecutive starts, and then shows up a year and a half later and is now in for five. That horse beats me, so be it. I'll find other horses that probably end up at like six to five to four to five that I like better. So I'm going to play against the seven in the exotics here, and I'll probably use two horses on one ticket and maybe three on the other. Andrew, the ones that I'm looking at, I thought the three and the five sort of stood out a little bit to me. The resilient Rick just makes a ton of sense. I mean, we just got a heart. We just got a horse who's super consistent right now, lost to another pretty consistent horse in satellite last time out. Who's a hard knocking eight time winner. And then towering Oak, who, you know, I thought uh, ran pretty well last time out, was close up early, took back a little bit to fourth, was a couple lengths off, was uh, was three deep, then moved up to second, and just got passed by the eventual winner, ends up finishing second that day, consistent, a horse who's proven at, Sam Houston. For me, I, I had the three and the five as my top tier. I'll probably throw one other horse in there, but who are some that you're looking at here? I like Resilient Rick a lot in this mm-hmm. race. Talk about the light going on after getting claimed. One four starts back against a low-level field of beaten claimers at Evangeline. They brought him to Remington, and the horse just, it, it really did seem like, I said, the light turned on. This is a closer that will certainly benefit from what seems like a hot pace in this race. 
I'm looking here and there are a couple of horses that are definitely going to want to go early. I think Gato Americano is at least going to try to go early from the rail. Bankroll Ben's going to go. Towering Oak's not going to be too far off the pace. We might see some early speed out of retirement funds simply because it's a $5,000 claiming event. And this is a horse that's been running up against graded stakes competition. But I think there's going to be some speed signed on. And I think that sets up well for Resilient Rick. I'm going to use a couple of prices that you didn't mention, though. One of them is number six, Rock in a Hard Place, who is a stranger danger yep. horse, making the, rare, the rarely seen Emerald Downs to Sam Houston ship. If anybody out there has any data on any of this, by all means, let me know. But Frank Lucarelli, a gifted horseman who has set up shop at Sam Houston with at least a string of horses, and I think makes some sense if you go back to the Santa Anita and Golden Gate races from last year. The other big price that I'm going to use is number eight, Blended Loot. Gino, look at the one-two turn race, the one-two turn route race, I should say, on the page. This horse ran second, beating a length and a quarter. Why is he twenty to one? Drawn well to the outside, has a little speed too. Shouldn't you know? Wouldn't be shocked to see I've this seen one. Far worse twenty to one shots get up and win in races where there's one horse that either you love or you hate, and we both don't like number seven retirement sure. fund. This perplexes me because not only do you have a horse. That connection saw fit to run in several graded stakes races as a three and four year old. You have a six year old that's still listed as a full horse, and you're dropping him in for a $5,000 tag. Maybe he wins by the length of the stretch. But I got to tell you, these are the types of favorites that I always was taught to go against. Completely. No, thank you. They beat me. They beat us. As we move along to race number four at Sam Houston, we've got Phillies and Mayors four-year-olds and up, which have started for a claiming price of 5000 or a claiming price of ten, five and a half uh, the distance. I am going to take a, a small swing here with a horse who... I wouldn't be shocked if he gets cut if she gets cut maybe in half. Uh, that's the nine stay thirsty, my amigo, just based on the connections here. You're you know, you're going first off the claim for Asmussen. But I, I actually like the last effort where you showed some speed in between horses, part of a four-way battle, pretty versatile horse who's drawn well, drawn towards the outside. So if I can get over seven to two, I think that's fair. That's probably where I'd had this horse more pegged than the than the eight to one. So that's a must use for me. I also thought Lone Star Lady with some pace. You know what you're going to get for her. She's going to come running. Um, I the it is it, it's probably going to be pretty quick in here, right? I think so, and that's why I like Lone Star Lady too. Yeah. I think you're saying a lot of the things that I had queued up. Uh, this is a horse that will certainly be coming late, and a really easy horse to root for too, because if you look at the barn, this is not a barn that wins a lot of races. This barn was 5% last year with just 10 wins. After being claimed in September, Lone Star Lady had three of them. So this is a talented horse that all she needs is a setup, and I think she gets it in here. And I thought I was being clever with Stay Thirsty, My Amigo, as my second selection, but you're absolutely right. Eight to one certainly seems a little bit unrealistic. I think we'll get bet down. Maybe not a ton, but certainly in the five, six to one range does step up a little bit in class, but does so for a really good barn has enough speed to sit close and potentially get the dream stalking trip two or three wide and then come calling for the leaders turning for home. For me, this is either three, nine or nine, three. And if you're playing anything stable door related, if they've got any contests on Friday, I think they have the the $1, $1 contest for Sam Houston. Teach you up nice there. Didn't I? Uh, But yeah, 
The the nine, I think, is going to be the bargain play there. But I think the three Lone Star Lady is the most likely winner, given the shape of the race. Uh, Carl Broberg has an entry in here. McMahon is listed as riding both horses. Obviously, that's not going to happen for multiple reasons. I'm not crazy about either of them, but I can't see them going off at nine to two if both of them run. If both of them run and you have two Broberg horses that in theory will have top-level jockeys, I think those two are the ones that are going to get bet down a little bit as well. And maybe that ticks up the price a bit on the horse that we like, Lone Star Lady. Yeah, I prefer the 1A, I guess, of the two, but I'm not in love with either of them. I had had the 1A in the fourth spot here. Um, And the 5 is one who I sort of felt similar. Like She wouldn't shock me in here. I like a couple others more, but if she just runs the same type of race she ran last time out, that's probably going to put her pretty close to winning this. Uh, Lone Star Lady was in a field of 6 and 5, went for the lead, 4 lined up across the track. So she did get a good trip, but again, she's probably going to get that same exact trip in here because you have a couple of those horses that battled. Karate Hottie was one of them. Little Red Vet is going to be battling. So you know at least you're going to get some pace from the two of them. You look to the outside, you've got Golden Lullaby, who's quick. Um, And it is sharp, but just sort of a wild card because we're not quite sure where she's going to stack up here. And then you have Apollina who's got a little pace too So it really does look like it sets up nicely For Lone Star Lady That's also why I like the, the versatility of the 9 So you and I have the same top 2 Just flip flop there And uh, so I sort of have 3 9 on a tier above Probably the 5 and the the 1A But I couldn't really get too cute With any massive prices in here I just thought it's it feels like it's going to set up Well for you know the, the more logical Short priced horses in this spot Yeah, that's for sure. There are a couple of horses in here that have just been running up against the short prices multiple times. Number two, Karate Hottie is a really nice horse. 8 for 27 lifetime, bunch of in-the-money finishes, but it certainly seems like she's a bit past her peak. She does have some early speed from the rail, and if you're looking for a horse to throw in third or fourth on your tries or supers at a little bit of a price, maybe that's the direction that you go in because at a minimum, she's going to be prominent early, and if speed's playing well, Maybe she carries her speed a long way at a bit of a price We move along to race number 5 At Sam Houston This is a 5,000 beaten claimer So you have 4 year olds and up which have not won a race since July 8th Or which have not won 4 races I'm going to play one Early pick 4 ticket where I probably Just end up singling the 9 I'll play another ticket where I use a few I just really feel like Insurrection in here Looking at a couple of his last efforts And now he's coming into a barn who's really really good Sam Sherman I'm going to have on the on the show here uh, Coming up in the, the next few weeks Also a very sharp handicapper And just really sharp with the horses they claim This one seems like he's in a he's, he's in a really great spot So the 2 back race In uh, in November There were 3 next out winners coming out of that race And then he came out of the race to finish 2nd So that was a, a really sharp race Last time out he was asked from the inside and he moved through a, a tight spot He he sort of had to stay out of tra- He was asked to, to kind of took back to stay out of traffic Then he moved through like in a tight spot Up to the lead He was battling with the 4-5 to five favorite And he just ended up being second best that day I think in this race he's going to sit more You know he showed speed because that was what he had to try to do To, to win that race He's going to get much more of an off the pace trip in here And he might get bet down a, a little bit But I do think he sets up This race sets up very well for him One ticket for me will be a single of the 9 Who probably ends up being the Chalk um, and a lot of it was because I couldn't really get too creative with much More in here with the, the other horses I were lo- looking at Andrew I think might end up being Like the second and third choices in the Four and the six or they're definitely going to be Some of the other choices and so when I'm in a situation like that and I like the nine a little Better it's just hey I'll probably single that One 
the one concern that I have with the nine, and I picked the nine second for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, is Stuart Elliott gets off to ride the six daydreamer. That's a little bit of a concern to me. No disrespect to Lane Luzzi, who's a good rider, but Stuart Elliott has the first call with the Asmussen barn. He goes and rides the six. And that's the only that- reason why it doesn't bother me. For what you just yeah. said, for thinking that he just says, I'm just going to ride for Asmussen because that's where my business is coming, you know. And so instead of riding the favorite here, I'll just ride the second choice. Uh, so that, that to me didn't concern me as much. But no, I mean, losing, because if Elliot's riding here full time, especially now with some of the vacancies we talked about, you have to imagine he's the odds on favor to be the leading rider. Yeah, that's for sure. His competition may come from a guy that I've already mentioned, Ray Lou Gutierrez. Sure. And he's the guy that rides my top selection. I like what I've been seeing from number four, Pomeroy Hayes, yeah. who comes in off of three wins in a row. Now, those were against Oklahoma breads, so this is a step up in class on paper, but this isn't the strongest $5,000 beaten claiming event you'll see for the level. I think this is a really good acid test for Pomeroy Hayes, and I think he's got the tactical speed to sit a great trip. Now, there is one other thing I need to mention, and if you saw my Twitter over the past couple of days, you know this. There's a horse in this race that's a great trivia question answer. When Nyquist broke his maiden at Santa Anita, he was not the favorite. Annie's Candy was the favorite, was one to two that day, got beat ahead. I think I might have been there. I'm not sure, but I remember the race really, really well for reasons that I have no idea how. But what a difference a couple of years makes. Because this was a horse that's actually won a couple of stakes races, 10 for 44 lifetime, in for a $5,000 tag in his first start as an eight-year-old. I'm not saying there's anything nefarious going on or that they're running an unsound horse or whatever. J.R. Caldwell is a very capable horseman, and this one actually goes into that barn after not showing a lack of a lot at Remington. But anytime I see his name come up, I go, wait, he's still running? Yeah. So we got Annie's Candy, who is a 30 to 1 morning line. Oh, for the last eight. Hasn't raced since October, but one who uh, will be a, a horse racing trivia question someday. No, when... And one who, by the way, I should say, wasn't bad late in 2019 and in early 2020 when running for Jerry Hollendorfer. Maybe the horse didn't like Remington. Maybe the horse didn't agree with trainer Joshua Duhon, who had him for a while. Again, Caldwell is a good trainer. I've seen worse 30 to ones. I wouldn't be stunned if this race falls apart and he does have some backlash. All you got to do is look at the record and the earnings and the top buyer speed figure. But looking at this, I'm going, wait a minute. He's okay. He's in Texas. I get that. He's eight years old. Oh, he's in for 5,000. Really? It's just one of those things that when you look through a form and you've been around the game as long as we have, and you follow these horses day in and day out, it's just, it, it, horses go in weird, weird directions. It's it's never a straight line, right? Nope, it's never, never a straight a, a straight path for for really any of them. Nope. Um, yeah, you mentioned the four, who's super honest, man. Yeah, this this would be a, a horse who I wouldn't have a problem with with winning. The six daydreamer would be kind of the other one I looked at, who just tried tougher last time out. Sort of, you look at some of the other horses who have a lot more races in here. This one's sort of at least lightly raced and hasn't doesn't have as many bad efforts, and you just have a top notch connection. So for me, I'll probably single a nine. I'll probably have another one where I throw in the the four and the six, maybe. But uh, a lot of my tickets will be on the early uh, parts will be re- revolving around the nine there as we move along to the start of the late pick five in race number six at Sam Houston. Optional 15 on two Phillies three-year-olds and up, which have not won two or claiming price of 55 and a half furlongs the distance. I, I 
I guess I couldn't get too creative in this spot, Andrew. The Philly to the outside is really, really fast. And I, when I see a horse like this who's really quick finally put it all together, I generally want to use them again the next time. I think she, you know, will no doubt be able to clear from the outside if she breaks alertly. You know, there are other couple horses who have some speed, but not the type of speed that she showed. It's just, you know, is she continuing to step forward? If she runs similar back to that race, I think she has the opportunity here. I just thought the three good with numbers was also pretty good. That Keeneland win is the race that really just jumps off the page if when you're looking at numbers and figures. And last time out, she really didn't run that poorly uh, over at Churchill Downs. So I'm I'm not like too creative because I just had three and eight or eight and three as my top two in here. One of the things to keep in mind is some of these horses have been coming from jurisdictions where two-year-olds are not allowed to receive Lasix. This is the phase-out of the Lasix program. Some jurisdictions are doing some things. Some are doing other things. And as a result, the top two choices in the betting, number three, good with numbers, and number four, condoodling, I love saying that, will be getting Lasix for the first time. And I'm not just picking this one based on the name. I like canoodling a lot in here. This is a horse that was pretty impressive. First time out at Del Mar, rallying from five lengths back, going five furlongs on the grass, which is not an easy thing to do. One going away at odds of six to one and has tried stakes company in each of the next three starts. And she hasn't been bad. She was fifth in the juvenile Phillies turf at Del Mar. She was fifth in the surfer girl behind Madone. Madone actually won the race before that as well. And then tried the Desi Arnaz where she lost all chance at the break. She goes to Todd Fincher for the first time, comes to Sam Houston for the first time, gets Lasix. Now she probably does need some speed in front of her, but I think that materializes. Perhaps Tiz Magic, the horse you mentioned, is the quickest of the quick. The question is, was the last out race an unrealistic jump up, and does she bounce in her first start against winners? I'm leaning towards the latter because if you look at the races two, three, four, and five back, you see the buyer speed figures, 55, 54, 54, 56. Then you see the last out buyer figure of a 70 late in the Remington season when the surface changed a little bit because it got colder. It, obviously in Oklahoma, those uh, winners can get pretty cold. The track changed a little bit. It got a little bit slower for some horses and some races. So I'm not saying it was a bad race. I am saying she's still got something to prove. I like canoodling in this spot. Good with numbers also wouldn't shock me as well. I can't get past 3-4 or 4-3 in here. Yep. Um, you know, I, I've, you're, I'm sort of starting to rank horses a little bit in tiers in some of these races. I had the 3 and the 8 are all using all exotics. Uh, the four, no knocks really on the four, just preferred those others. If the, of the price horses, um, as far as un, under horses or throwing them in your exotics, I would use the one, someone said so, who was really impressive. I'm just a little concerned of the trip that she might have to work out from the inside. She might have to get that shuffle back, but she was a pretty professional in her debut and she looked, she looked really, really nice in doing so. And this is a barn who I know from up at, at Canterbury, very capable of popping with a price and, and sort of a, a cagey barn who can really fire now and then. Uh, the five would be another horse who might be able to just sort of fall into a, a good spot. He flew. She flew early. She got a little pressure on the inside, uh, and and she backed up last time out. That was her first start in a couple months. Those would be some of my under horses. But I have sort of eight three, and uh, probably in my start of my late pick five, as we move along. 
to race number seven, start of your late pick four. 25 claimers, non twos, mile and a 16th on the turf course here. I will take a swing with the horse who is just named for me, Andrew. Gino. Gino. It's, it's, it's the horse who I think is going to be the lone speed in here. And it's the nine. G's a little crazy. Gino, you know, the, the, Gino, you Gino, can't, Gino, Gino. you're there too. You're there too. You know what I'm going to tell you. Oh no, Rule we're in trouble. Number one of getting a podcast guest is find someone smart who disagrees with you. Oh, no. I'm not sure you got the first part. You definitely whiffed on the second one because the nine horse is my best bet of the night. Me too. Especially at 10 to one on the morning line. Oh boy. Somebody call Chris Griffin and let him know he screwed up. If we can get uh, <laughs> I think I think it's Tam Nick Tamaro who does the morning line. Oh, that's I right. Think. It I is. Think, it's, I think, yeah, right. Yeah. I think you're right. I had the yeah. wrong guy because Chris is the track announcer and he did the morning line at, at Pleasanton. Places and I think he was doing a Pleasanton time. Yep. when he was calling that's there true. too. Yep. Sorry, Chris. Love you, buddy. Um, <laughs> I think if we can get like oh, anything at five to one or over would be fine with me. I, I th- and that's and that, and that's I'm okay with that. Um, this is a, a filly who last time out was facing first level allowance company. She broke great, but the rival to her outside did too, and that got her sort of pressed back on the inside. She got shuffled a little bit, um, and then she she wanted to go, but she was in tight. She was bumped around. I'm expecting her to just be sent hard. She's the quickest, and I think she can take them as far as she will go in here, Andrew. So we are both um, in chorus with G's a little crazy. The number nine I have on top, I'll make a win wager if we can get around five to one. This is a great horse in a stable duel situation because if we're both thinking she's going to get bet down a little bit, if she does get bet down a ton and she ends up at three to one. That's great because you paid for a 10 to one shot. It's only going to cost you a thousand off your stable to line up, but you're going to be getting a three to one shot or a seven to two shot. Who knows? Just I'm saying if that were to be the case. So this, these are the type of horses that I love in a stable duel situation. Maybe not betting to win in the middle of a pick four, or pick five. They're okay. Yeah, I like G's a little crazy for the same reasons you mentioned. I think she's the controlling speed. I think she clears easy and will have every chance to take the field gate to wire. I do not like the favorite in here. That's number one unforeseen for a couple of reasons. First of all, she's going to be over bet because she's a Steve Asmussen, Stuart Elliott class dropper. And I, I'm not totally without logic here as far as the talent level because she's got some Deep closers on the rail in what amounts to a three-turn turf race. Because remember, going a mile and a 16th at Sam Houston, they come out of the chute, and there's a little mini turn when it hooks up with the rest of the track. So there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong for a closer in a race like this between traffic trouble and the fact that there doesn't seem like there's a lot of pace yeah, sign. We on. like the nine for the opposite reason. Exactly. If there's one other horse that I would recommend in this race, that's actually a little bit of a price herself. I would potentially throw a nod to number seven. Holy yep. Creed. This <laughs> is a second. nice horse. Nine, seven. We're definitely some, in trouble here. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> got some stalking speed drops down in class for a sneaky barn. I, I think Holy Creed may well sit the stalking trip and may well have the racing look that Unforeseen doesn't. But for me, it's 9-7, and then who the heck knows. If she's a little crazy, winds up wiring this field or otherwise hitting the wire first, regardless of anything else that happens, it's probably going to be a good night for me. The 9 I have on top, the 7 I also have on second. Just, you know, like you said, put a line through that last effort and key off the turf form. This horse actually has really solid turf form. Yeah. Go back Beat to the October. favorite three back. 
Yeah, and then go back to the October 23rd race when finishing fourth. So she got bumped at the start. She lost her footing a little bit. And then she recovered nicely. She was sitting fourth. She was inside. She was four off. Then the leader ends up running off that day. She moved up to third, but the leader, Breeze Ryder, who ended up winning, was the four to five favorite who just really separated in the middle of that race. And I thought she actually ran pretty well that day, too. So um, I'm with you. I have 9-7. I put the one unforeseen in the third spot. Um, she was just buried in the inside. She did have some legitimate trouble last time out. Does that mean she's going to win today? No. Uh, but And like you said, I don't know how this race is going to shape up. But, you know, she's probably in the third or fourth spot here somewhere. The four would be the other one. I would look to Flower House, who is still still sort of lightly raced and... She's only had a couple races on the grass, and they were both at Arlington. They weren't bad, either one of them. So there's a little bit of turf upside there with Flower House. But 9-7, no doubt for me, as the, at the top two. So me and Andrew are in for sure trouble in race number seven <laughs> when we uh, agree like that as we move along to race number eight. Start of your late pick three on Friday over at Sam Houston. Uh, and this one, it'll be a Texas spread allowance, first-level allowance, four-year-olds and up. And they will be going six furlongs in here. This is one of the Brobird chalks that I sort of do think is in a pretty decent spot. And that's the one, Bowzun, who is now coming back from open races back in against Texas Breds. This is something that Carl Broberg really does well with the condition books. And he's not afraid to drop horses or move them up back and forth and, and just find really good spots for them. It's what you're capable of doing when you have barns at a bunch of different tracks and you can sort of mix and match horses all over the place. So I, I just think the cutback move back to Texas Breds for a horse who last time out actually ran a little bit better than it looks to going long at, at Remington Park. This horse was a, a, a Easy winner at Churchill Downs a couple Starts back against uh, 10 beaten claimers Things got really tight last time out For him and then he, he was three wide He was in between horses he took up He lost the length he lost momentum All of this while being wide He got to within about two before fading And he still kept trying all the way He just feels like he'll have a lot more punch Cutting back in here and as a lot Of these races do it feels like There is at least you know, three horses who want to be close to or on the lead. So uh, I'm I'm okay with singling the one in some spots and maybe some of the late exotics. Yeah, the Broberg entry looks really tough. You mentioned Bowzun. Best little man is also no slouch either. No. One one note, CJ. McMahon and they complement each other, both right? Of them, so we'll see what happens. There is another in here that I think you want to consider. And if you're spending a lot of money elsewhere in Stable Duel, this might be one that you want to throw in because he's going to be really, really cheap. I'm referring to the three Daryl's little Diablo nice. who when last seen looked really good at Lone Star breaking his maiden. Yes. This is his first start against allowance foes. It is not his first start against winners. His connection saw fit last summer. And by last summer, I mean the summer of 2019 they way, way back in the days where we can actually like go to the racetrack. To run him in the El Hoven stakes at Rotama, a $75,000 stakes race, and he didn't disgrace himself that day. He rallied to finish fifth in a 10-horse field at odds of 44-1. to 1. I think there's some talent here. Yes, there's a little bit of a layoff to consider, but this is a horse that two starts back at Sam Houston over the turf course. Yes, on the turf. This is a race on the main track. Beat a horse named Algebra by two lengths. Algebra is 3-1 to one in here. Daryl's little Diablo 20 to 1 in here. I'm not saying Daryl's little Diablo is a likely winner. By by no means am I saying that, 
But if you're looking for a cheap horse to throw in in stable duel and maybe he runs third or fourth and you move on, this might be the horse. We're talking race eight, Sam Houston for Friday opening night. And uh, Andrew just mentioned a, a very live price horse in the three. Uh, I was talking about the one, the the entry who Andrew even mentioned how, you know, I, I was going on about Balzone, but uh, Best Little Man, if both parts of the entry are in this for Broberg, you have Best Little Man who's going to show a little more speed, at least some tactical speed. And so you'll get two parts of the entry who, who complement each other very well. The seven was a horse who I, I looked at a little bit, just coming out of some of the open races and coming back in against Texas Breds. I feel like he's just been facing a, a lot tougher as of late. The eight uh, is obviously logical algebra. I just didn't quite love as much as a short price. And then the five would be my sort of bust out underneath long shot, rock the devil who cutting back, um, if he's able to be close cutting back, he might be a horse who's hard to pass late, even off of uh, off the bench in here. So uh, eighth race, I had the one stacked over uh, over seven, eight, and five, and uh, Andrew made a very nice case for a live long shot in the three. Let's uh, let's get to the late double here. What's cool? Late daily double, twelve percent takeout. Like I've I've someone Andrew who used to love. Playing the doubles in pick threes a lot But as I continue to wager more And more often I started you know realizing How much the lower takeout wagers Were were you know helping me And so I tried to focus a little bit more on them It's so refreshing now to know I can play a double I can play a pick three and I don't have to feel like uh, I don't have to feel like I'm spending up A little bit more than I want to from a takeout Perspective so closing things out I will probably uh, I'm I'm definitely looking at the six uh, first Eternal Force, who last time out he broke on top and then he was battling three wide. He was three deep of four. He was in between horses. Then he got shuffled back out of a spot. He came on again, and I, I you know he's zero for his last eleven. But I think you can make excuses for some some of these races. He's going to go third off the long layoff. He was just passed late by a a, a rival in, in his most recent, and I thought he ran pretty well. So I'm expecting a big effort. From the six eternal force Who I have as my top selection I do respect the uh, the Broberg also in this spot Though with the the one in particular The one a soap bubble who to me I think looks really really tough in this spot So I'll probably be building around Six and, and one one a in here Who are you looking towards Well you mentioned how there are some excuses With eternal force a horse that I picked Third and wouldn't be overly Stunned if he won We've done enough of these segments to know that when I see running lines like shuffled back, hit gate, bump start, four path, broke through gate, this might well just be a head case. And maybe that's why he's at the $5,000 claiming level for a very competent trainer in Ron McQuet. It wouldn't be the most stunning thing in the world if Eternal Force won, but I can say that about a bunch of horses in here. This is a spread race for me. Largely because I'm not crazy about either of the Broberg runners. They can win, but I'm looking and I'm seeing nine to five, and that just seems too short. If I had to make a top pick, it would be a reluctant one, and it would be number four arch rival. This is a horse coming in from the fairgrounds, probably running against better horses, and before that one, two in a row over at Remington, a horse that would certainly benefit from a pace meltdown. Question is, going five and a half furlongs, will he get that kind of meltdown? You mentioned the low takeout daily doubles, and that's great. I probably won't be playing the late double because I would need to use five or six runners in here in order to have any confidence going into the last leg. 
Okay, you definitely sold me in a race where I was a little short and didn't have much longer, uh, stronger of an opinion. So because I'm, you know, probably going to be singling in a spot or two, I'll, I'll throw in your four arch rival on a. What on a, a guy! What a guy! There we go. There we go. <laughs> you, you sold me. We move on to the closeout race. We've got maidens, three-year-old fillies, maiden special weights, six furlongs, the distance in here. I thought this race was was really uh, really difficult. Because the five foldum is a horse who I guess you're going to either, you know, be very interested in single or you're going to be sort of taking the approach that I am and spreading out more. Foldum is actually a full sister to tenfold, the multiple graded stakes winner whose shortest race ever was at a mile and 70. Not shortest win, just shortest race ever. Uh, he doesn't even run short, period. He's just a grinder long. So that's my concern with Foldum. Going six furlongs in here He he actually had a, a Pretty good start, he was taken back and He was four wide, he was just a few lengths off early He started to move up into third At the top of the lane, but uh, He just got within two, and it was a, a Nice race at Churchill, the winner was very Impressive, I I don't know I'm just not quite sold on him, Andrew And so I guess, at, at least that You, you kind of kind of have to start with him With the conversation of how you're going to play this race Well this is a move that Steve Asmussen did a lot last season at Sam Houston. He would take these regally bred horses that had struggled at some of the A circuits, the Churchills, the Keenlands, the whatnot, bring them to Sam Houston and get them a win so that their owners could retire them and say, hey, this is a winning half to insert horse here, whatever it is. There were a couple of horses like that last year with Asmussen. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's what he's doing here with Foldham. Had a legitimate excuse last time when close to a pretty legitimate pace at Churchill. You go 21-2 and the first quarter there, that's flying pretty good. First time Lasix, bullet work on December 24th. I need to use the horse simply because I've seen this movie before, and chances are they're well meant. I'm using one other one as well, though, and that's number 12, Prospera, 6-1 to on the program, and is another one that's got a pretty nice pedigree by twirling candy out of a tap at mare and has been working well for Brett Calhoun. You look at the works both at Sam Houston and at Remington, they're sharp. I think this one has some speed. Lindy Wade hops aboard. He's a very good speed rider. I think Prospera goes early and who knows, maybe Prospera gets brave in her first career start. One of the ones that I may put in my stable mail just to bet back when she goes two turns, because to me, this is the prototype of a two-turn horse that just needs the race. And that's number nine, Jubella, by Mineshaft, out of a Macho Uno mare, trained by Robertino Diodoro. Second time out, I want to bet this horse, assuming it's going two turns. I don't care if it's on turf, dirt, whatever, maiden special weight, maiden claiming, whatever. Get this horse going two turns with some foundation, and I chances are I will absolutely love that one. This race, though, six furlongs. I think it's 512. I think Foldham is well meant. And I think Prospera could well be a good one at a little bit bigger of a price. Okay, cool. This is where we sort of differ a little yeah. bit. Um, now we're so getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> so let, let's get a, a little uh, a little crazy with a couple horses. So all right, here we go. The, the three hooked on a kiss is one who I looked at, and I, I actually was a, a big fan of the Albuquerque debut, where this filly actually faced the boys in that debut. She took the left turn at Albuquerque. I'm like, yeah. that's funny. And that's what's great about Sam Houston. I'm watching Albuquerque, Zia Park, Remington, Churchill. We're getting replays from all over the place for horses coming in here. And Hooked on a Kiss finished behind a horse named 
give him heck Beck, who is actually coming in from Del Mar. And to be honest, that same horse in this race would be the second choice. You know, it would be very, very live in here. So Hooked on a Kiss raced well against boys in the debut. Then last time out uh, on November the 4th, that was a race that's come back really live. So far, it's produced three next out winners. One of the horses we were talking about a little bit earlier, Tiz Magic. So far, two maiden special weight winners and one maiden claimer. And this horse was just hooked three deep in between horses. Not the best trip. Down towards the inside should get a cozier trip. I think maybe sitting. You know second or third in here So I thought the three was a horse you know If you're trying to beat the favorites to throw in on your ticket I'll give you another one the, uh, the the nine who you mentioned Jubella I will probably Include for many of the reasons You mentioned the pedigree so the, the Direct damn pretty valentine is un- Unraced but she's produced Three foals all three are winners two of Them earned over a hundred thousand and both of those Two are stakes winners so a pretty solid Little pedigree for Jubella two And a barn who is very capable of popping Like this horse wouldn't be crazy To see her win but I agree with you I would Like her second best going a little bit Longer uh, a little more in here but at Least an under for me and probably one that I'd Flop into a pick five ticket uh, or a, A late pick four the eight Texas Tidelands who's going to add the blinkers uh, After her debut Where she had a great start And then she ended up dropping back to last In between horses It was bizarre She ends up going you know, from right up close, then she's in between. She's only three off. Um, she ends up moving up the rail. She angles around. She gets up to third, and she fades a little bit. It was just a weird, brutal trip. Now she's going to cut back from six and a half to six. I thought she was also a price horse to throw in and to include. How about a pedigree? Another pedigree horse for you, Andrew. The ten free flying fast. So the dam of this one, free flying soul, six for sixteen, earned four hundred and twenty thousand. She's a multiple stakes winner, multiple grade one place. She was third in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint in two thousand nine, and she's produced four siblings, all winners, no monsters. Um, free flying fast. Could absolutely improve second time out So I thought there were just some fun prices To take a, a look at And a lot of that just comes down with to the fact that I I, I can see they're trying to get some speed into Foldham I don't know if this is A trip that she wants But she could win this thing by 5 If she breaks alertly and is within a couple lengths This race is probably over Yeah, this is a really good race And we didn't even mention The two veterans that may well be on the lead early We didn't mention number two, Twilight Curfew. We didn't mention number seven, My Girl Lexi, who has run well a couple of times at Churchill Downs, granted against Maiden Claimers, but still Maiden Claimer at Churchill, Maiden Special Weight at Sam Houston. Yeah, it's more like a lateral move. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of different directions that you can go in. And if you're price shopping, you're going to find something that you like in here. And this goes back to something that we mentioned right at the top of the program. Sam Houston's racing office has done an exceptional job carting these races and getting really good horses. Five years ago or so, you hear Sam Houston and you go, eh, not that exciting, whatever. These are the horses on the Oklahoma circuit, ones that didn't necessarily cut it in Kentucky, whatever. Now you look at the trainers that are running at Sam Houston. You see Asmussen, you see Robertino Diodoro, you see Brett Calhoun, you see a guy like Jonathan Wong who has a a stable out in Texas right now. It's a good meet. It's a good product. It's a product that caters to the wagering public with the low takeout. And really, if you're one of those horse players out there that bitches about takeout constantly and you're not playing Sam Houston, just shut up. What are you doing? I know. What are you doing? 
This is it for you. This is a, a product that they have improved a whole lot the last few years. You've got turf racing and dirt racing. You've got big barns. You've got all levels. They're going to have some graded stakes races that they have run throughout the meet. They have real, real quality racing here. Last year, it was their tagline. They were trying to show major league racing. And you know what? They did. They improved the the product, the HD just the quality of the broadcast Also Chris Griffin's done an awesome job Getting more involved in social media Bringing some handicappers on And you know what that is what enticed me I was looking at them and going I was a takeout snob I'm playing these races And now I'm watching and I'm going Wow I want to talk about these races And I want to try to get the people That are listening to that's what G said To put a little bit of their bankroll And some of their time here Because they care about the customer And even just the little stuff they, they did with the pick six Putting it back in and then a mandatory on Saturday to give everybody else a, an opportunity to play into, you know, tickets that in pools that they, they got canceled in what was a freak accident at the end of their meet last year. Yeah. And again, that was just a gut punch. I love that card. We talked about how good that card was at length. These were good people that had a tremendous meet. They deserve to go out in a much better way. I'm happy they're back. I'm happy they've. Retain that commitment to a really fun product And I'm looking forward to betting this on Friday night Sheet plug, by the way I'm also looking forward to welcoming Chris Griffin To Champagne and JD this week nice. He'll be the guest and we'll preview opening night as well Probably talk late pick four Offer some tickets, offer some price plays We're going to have a blast, it's going to be fun He's doing the old car wash this week He was on the Beam uh, Jason With Jason Beam He's on that's Media what, Row Media Yeah, row. that's what G said uh, Champagne and JD And uh, as you teed me up to earlier um, I uh, am doing my best To make sure we have as many contests as possible Over at Sam Houston for Stable Duel So this week on Friday A buck They have a $1 buy-in at Sam Houston And then on Saturday A buck Another $1 buy-in both Friday and Saturday So an opportunity to get involved for a dollar You just heard Andrew and I go through the entire card race by race And we gave you horses on all levels from favorites to vulnerable favorites To price horses we like, to middle price horses to use To heck, even a few races where we mentioned specifically This is for Stable Duel, use this horse in Stable Duel So give a, give it a look, if you're playing Sam Houston on Friday It's only a buck, download that Stable Duel app uh, you, You'll really enjoy it Andrew, uh, before I let you go, I gotta give you some props too I've noticed you've been doing really well recently over on Stable Duel You've been, uh, the, the last like month or so It seems like you've been having a lot of in the money finishes Thank you, I, I appreciate that I had one really good day at Delta Where I actually won a $10 buy-in contest for for a little bit of money And this past weekend at Santa Anita there were three Santa Anita contests. I cashed in all three, so it's been uh, it's been kind of nice. And well, we've we've kept politics out of this this whole time. But I got to tell you, it makes that economic stimulus check look a little more impressive. I'll say that much. <laughs> well, thank you. You're actually, thank you. You're, you're actually going to hear uh, a little bit more Andrew Champagne in just a second. This is crazy. You're going. You're getting like behind uh, behind the 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 curtain now. It's being pulled back. Following this. You're going to hear Andrew talking with me and with Darren Zocali about the old Royal Rumble 1994. It's going to be old wrestling rewatch coming up this week. And it, it, with, uh, with the Royal Rumble coming up at the end of January, there were a few that we recorded, Andrew, but I saved the Rumbles for January. So coming up, we've got Royal Rumble 94. We've got next week, we're going to have Royal Rumble 2008 that you and I and Darren talked about. And then we just talked about... The Steamboat Flare match And the Chi-Town Rumble 89 So Rumbles, Rumbles, Rumbles Coming up through January 
looking forward to that. And now I get to gloat. And the best part is Darren's Goldberg. not here. Yes. <laughs> For those who have been listening to our old wrestling rewatches, you know that Darren Zocali is no fan of one Bill Goldberg. I have been taunting him half jokingly saying Goldberg's coming back. Then the rumors started. And I wish I could tell you I had some inside <laughs> source at WWE headquarters that told me this was going to happen. This was me busting his chops simply because it was so much fun. And then the rumors started, and now the rumors are reality. Goldberg is coming back at the Royal Rumble. And it's going to be so much fun when you, me, and Darren get together and I get to rub it in. And my goodness, if he beats Drew McIntyre for the title and winds up going into WrestleMania with a belt, oh boy. Andrew Champagne, uh, you heard, make sure to go subscribe on YouTube, Champagne and JD podcast this week. Chris Griffin from Sam Houston will also be on there talking about opening weekend at Sam Houston. Thanks so much, buddy. Happy New Year to you. And uh, people are going to hear your voice again in just a second. Thanks a lot. Back at you, Gino. See you in a couple minutes. (laughs) Folks, uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors and then we'll have a, a little more on That's What G Said. Awesome stuff from uh, Andrew. Always hard work, and Andrew did a great job uh, handicapping the Sam Houston Friday card with us. I'm just going to roll through my selections one more time in sort of a recap. So I won't play a whole ton in the first because I just thought the eight was going to be really tough to catch the the chalk there. Didn't look like a lot of speed in the second. It's the start of the uh, the early pick four. I made look at a couple different approaches in the pick four. I thought that the six uh, Wicked City, the one Bow Goose were were horses that I I will definitely be including. So I'm going to play one pick four that starts in race two that goes. One, two, four, five, six, nine, with three, five, six, with one, three, five, nine, with the nine. And then I'll come back and play another one where I use one, two, four, five, six, nine, with three, five, with three, nine, with four, six, nine. So those are uh, the two different pick four approaches I'll play starting in race two. In the third race, I like the five Towering Oak a little bit and the three uh, Resilient Rick. Those, to me, are my top two on a top tier. I am against the number seven retirement fund on the big drop. I also thought the six Rock in a Hard Place makes a lot of sense. So I have five, three, then the six below them against the number seven on the win end there. In the fourth, the number nine, Stay Thirsty Amigo. If we can get around seven to two or over, I'll make a win wager on the nine. I'll use along with the three Lone Star uh, Lucky, Lone Star Lucy, Lone Star Lady. I couldn't even read my own writing. I love when I do that. So I've got 9-3 above the 5-R Musical Moment and the 1-A DARPA. In the 5th race, I thought the 9 Insurrection was going to be really tough in here. Will be an exotic single for me, at least on one ticket. I'll use the 6-Day Dreamer and the 4-Palmroy Hayes under there. In race number 6, I thought Tiz Magic did have an opportunity from the outside to try to steal this race. Very, very quick. The three, good with numbers, will be a, t- a tough favorite to beat, I think. Uh, the one and the five would be some of the uh, the underneath horses. I would also include, someone said so, and uh, Ankyolytics. And remember, the pick five starts in race number six. I'd probably play a couple pick five tickets. One, I will play where I single the number one, Bowzon, in race number eight. Uh, and that one will start in this fifth race. Uh, in the sixth race, the pick five will start one, three, five, eight. With one four seven nine, with one, with one four six, with two three five six eight nine. 
That'll be one pick five. I can come back with another one and shorten up, where I'd go something like three eight with one seven nine, with one five seven eight, with one six, with three five six eight, something along those lines for the the pick five. In the seventh race, uh, you heard Andrew. He, we both like G's a little crazy. The number nine at five to one. Uh, I also like the seven Holy Creed. Uh, Andrew, we both have the same top two there. I have the seven Unforeseen in third. I will throw the one in a little bit more. I'm not quite as cold as Andrew is, but I, I much prefer the nine and the seven there. And uh, I would have the four Flower House underneath them if you want to go a little deeper. In the eighth, I did think the one, the chalk of uh, Bowzon is an exotic single, at least on one ticket for me. So I'll have the one singled in uh, at least one spot, the seven true saint, the eight algebra, and the five rock the devil. Um, If I'm going a a little deeper on another ticket, those would be the horses that I'd include. In the ninth race, I like Eternal Force. If we can get around three to one, I also thought the the one A soap bubble that version of the entry was the part of the entry that I liked more and thought was going to be really really tough in there. So I'm six in uh, one in race number nine, and then to close things out in the tenth, this is the race where I thought you could find uh, a couple of fun prices to include the three Hooked on a Kiss, the eight Texas Tidelands, uh, the six Wyoming. What are you going to do with the five Fold'em? Sort of how you have to approach that 10th race. I will probably throw Fold'em in, in, in a spot or two, but um, you know, I'm, I'm not really one that likes defensively using favorites. It just all depends on the way you build your tickets, right? If you're singling in a race where you've got more of a mid-priced horse to a long shot, it's fine to throw a favorite in that you don't love. It's only when you're using a ticket that's probably going to be chalkier. You don't need a favorite if you don't love them. Take a stand. And so I'll definitely have at least one ticket where I'm standing against Fold'em and throwing in a lot of those prices, even the nine Jubella. And, and I'll probably throw the two Twilight Curfew in who looks to be the, the speed from the inside there. Really pumped for the Friday card over at Sam Houston. So much to like about that Friday card at Sam Houston. And uh, we'll be talking about the Saturday card on the next episode of That's What G Said podcast with Andy Villanueva. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said, OldSmokeClothing.com. Horse racing, t-shirts, hats, zip-ups, quality clothing, hoodies, tank tops, long sleeves. Some of your favorites. Authentic. Midnight Bisu. Tis the law. You can show the horse racing fan in you. Represent them. This is a great gift if your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, one of your, your friends, someone in your family loves horse racing for their birthday coming up. Maybe a late holiday gift. Maybe just to show them you love them, or if you heard this and think, hey, that that might be perfect for them. Or maybe you just want to give yourself a gift. Hey, you got a little extra money uh, over from from uh, from Christmas, or uh, you want to just uh, you hit something big and you want to show one of the horses that made you made you a uh, uh, the big score in that pick four or pick five. Old Smoke Clothing dot com. They have custom designs. Whatever you need there, check it out. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you free shipping on your order there from OldSmokeClothing.com. We close out this episode of That's What G Said with the Old Wrestling Rewatch. All throughout January, we're going to be talking rumbles. First up, we've got the 1994 Royal Rumble. As a Bret Hart fan, this is one of my personal favorites. And I thought it was a really good show. Uh, overall, we get that fun tag match at the beginning. Another couple underrated matches here. And as always, Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne join me. We go match by match. We talk about all the commentary, every 
entrant and participant in the Royal Rumble. All the storylines around uh, early 1994 WWF. It's the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. Old wrestling rewatch takes us back to 1994. We haven't been back this far in a little while, and we're going to the WWE, well, WWF at the time. And this is one of my personal favorite shows. And honestly, I think probably my second favorite Royal Rumble uh, overall, the show. And I don't think it's the, the maybe the second best, but I think it is a really, really good show. Uh, most of it, there's. Maybe two or three things that bothered me a little bit The end of matches, the finishes We'll talk about the crazy Undertaker uh, Match here and uh, joining me Like every week, Darren Zocali Andrew Champagne uh, I know Andrew who is going to be ready To let loose in just a little bit because Andrew uh, Loves Yoko uh, But DZ <laughs> My favorite guy <laughs> but uh, but DZ, let's start over there as a, and, uh, You and me Are like the leaders of the Bret Hart fan club this is a show that I always would go back and, and rewatch over and over. This is one that when I was a kid and I would go to the video store and rent, I was always renting this movie, you know, or this one over and over and over again. I would be like, can we just buy you this thing? You've, you've rented all the time. But uh, 94 Rumble, it's, it's different. What I like even watching, looking back, is that in the Rumble, they've got three or four different pretty good storylines going on through the Rumble. So even you know looking back now, there probably were ten guys that you thought could have won, but there actually were five that would have made a pretty good amount of sense, you know, based on on the way the stories were going and how everything was. And we got our first tie, something that they ended up doing again later with uh, Cena and Batista years later. But um, what do you think of a uh, '94 Rumble, DZ? Give us your overall thoughts. Yeah, well, you alluded to it. Obviously, being a huge Bret Hart fan. Um, you know, this is this is a big big rumble for me in my childhood. Um, you know, look, it's it's got some great stuff in terms of the storylines. Obviously, the lead in to the to the Brett Owen stuff, uh, you know, is is we know what's coming from that, and and it's a phenomenal story that goes on for quite a while. Um, you know, it's great to see Owen kind of get kind of get elevated into that that spot. Uh, Owen gives one of the most memorable promos. In WWE history, first because it's a two-minute promo that's really, really good, and then of course it ends with the famous "I'll kick your leg out of your leg" fly. <laughs> um, so it's it's kind of notorious and and famous uh, at the same time. Uh, the you know that that's a good match. It also kind of reminds you that you know WWE at this time didn't know what the hell to do from a tag team perspective, and we could talk about that uh, a little bit later on. Uh, you got Razor in one of his IC title reigns, so there's, you know, that's always fun. Um, you have a casket match, which everyone was really excited for, and I'll be the first to tell you, you know, it's not exactly the most uh, wrestling savvy, technically sound casket match, and it does get quite ridiculous. But wait, when you were ten years old and the Undertaker's levitating over the ring, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Sure, um, it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's back then it was, and, yeah. and obviously the Royal Rumble. The thing that always fascinated me, and then I'll give it to Andrew. You know, where you talked about it ending in a tie, how they were able to do it, where you legitimately, and I know that they didn't really ever give you a great angle, but there's a couple that are pretty close where you can't actually tell who hits first. Like they, that was a bang bang play as they it's like, great. where, where, you know, Brett and Lex did a great job there of not screwing that up, which, That's a, and I feel like you, you almost need, 
like a Brett in one, like a Brett guy like that to do a spot like that, you know, yeah. because, and, and not saying that, like you said, like, like give Glex plenty of credit. He, he was good in this match too. And he was really good all, like all throughout the night, but the, it feels like that was something that Brett was like, I'm sure they went over a bunch. And as we get to Andrew, you give us some of your overall thoughts, but just something to ask and kind of think about too. What I thought was cool. Um, Andrew, I'm not sure if you knew they had a, um, a, a, Lost. It's called the Hidden Royal Rumble. Four days before this, at Madison Square Garden, where it was at a house show, and they actually had a thirty-man Royal Rumble, just like they would do, and they had Owen Hart win the Royal Rumble, and there was a final four that was the exact same final four as this, except for it was Owen instead of Lex Luger, and Owen ends up winning the match um, and on the house show. And it was kind of a test to see sort of how the crowd was reacting. Could Owen do it? And what's interesting is they they had some similar eliminations. You can actually find it on YouTube without any commentary or anything. Somebody just has a video, uh, like illegally videotaped it from the audience in '94. But wow, it's fascinating, that. you know, to to hear about that. You can you can look it up. And I read all about it in the recap, and I watched it and and read through it. So uh, Andrew, '94 overall. Hit us with it. I know I know what you're going to say about Yoko, but uh, give us the reasons what you hated about the Yoko stuff and then everything else. You know what? I'm actually going to go in reverse because I didn't hate this show on the whole. The Royal Rumble is very good. The Brett Owen Quebecers tag match is very good. There's other stuff on this show that's entertaining. Ted DiBiase has a very good night on color commentary. And guys, great mm-hmm. little trivia bit for you here. Ted DiBiase is the only guy to do color commentary on pay-per-view with both Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff. He did Sold Out 1997, the stupid NWO-branded pay-per-view. He did that with Bischoff. Now, Heenan worked with Bischoff, but only on TV, not on pay-per-view. So I thought that was actually a pretty cool little tidbit there when I read up on it. Now, the Yoko stuff. We're going to go into this in further depth when we get to the match. Let's just say Vince McMahon is in full Vince mode on commentary, saying things like, you won't see this every day, and have you ever seen anything like this before? (laughs) To which I responded to both questions, no, thank (laughs) God. I'll finish with this, and then we'll start looking at the card. I have seen a lot of very bad wrestling. My dad was one of the 13 people that bought the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view where a drunken Jake Roberts used a snake as a phallic symbol. I have watched Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior from Halloween Havoc 1998 multiple times. This is the worst thing I have ever seen on a major show. Darren, you get a pass. You were there. I can see how as a 10-year-old kid being there, how some of it would have been cool. It ages terribly. Yeah. I I can't disagree with you in in how poorly it ages. And my only rebuttal when we were talking about this a little bit earlier uh, in the night was that I actually... um, Everything from the moment that Yokozuna gets rolled into the casket when Crush is out there and then afterwards is pretty absurd, right? When you're looking back at it. I actually liked the way the match up until that point was booked where Undertaker just kicked Yokozuna's ass. The like first that, couple minutes, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it at all. Where he, and he was actually working at a really quick pace. He was looking like a badass. And it was 
um, I, I kind of forgot that the, the first part of that was decent. And then it gets to the point where we've got Undertaker legitimately at one point fighting off eight different guys in a match. And then it takes 10 to end up, you know, putting him in at the end. Then we get the green smoke stuff, the stuff where he's on the screen from the inside of the coffin, and then he, he levitates. It's funny. It's goofy. Vince at the very end saying, something supernatural happened here, you know, just like trying to sum it all up. Um, it 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 was not great. It's almost one of those things, though, I, I'd like. I laugh at more than it than it offends me in, in in a weird way. Like I don't know why it doesn't. I don't get the same like, Ultimate Warrior Hogan WCW vibes with that that I did with this. And maybe that's just because with this Undertaker character, this is always the kind of thing they were trying. Um, I I think I was more mad of just like the taking ten guys to put him in. And then the green smoke stuff was a little bit weird, but um, yeah, we'll get there as we get there, and I'm sure we'll spend a ton of time on that match as. As Andrew was mentioning too, I I just the the thing about Royal Rumbles is if you just get one or two really solid undercard matches, it's gonna make it for a probably what feels like a really good show because the Rumble even bad Rumbles are still fine. Like the worst Rumble, you're still gonna be a little bit excited. It's still gonna be surprising. There's some coming out that you don't know who, you don't know when, where, all that. So you get a good match or two on the undercard, which we got here, and it ends up. Being for a pretty, it ends up, you know, a pretty good show overall. And we kick things off with what, you know, I thought it was a really basic intro. I mean, like nothing yeah. it was super yeah. generic. We didn't get any buildup. We didn't get any of the welcome to the Royal Rumble, you know, where he would go through all the participants, anything like that. I mean, this was just super Royal Rumble 1994, no Yokozuna under like nothing. And so we then get Vince welcoming us in. He's alone. He runs down the card, three title matches And the Royal Rumble And he gets ready to welcome his partner But then the music hits for the million dollar man Ted DiBiase, he seems a little surprised Vince calls him WWF's John Madden And Ted mentions uh, Madden's new four year $30 million deal and he said that uh, It took, uh, cost the WWE more WWF at the, at the time to, to get Ted there So uh, Back then, John Madden in 1994 was getting seven and a half million dollars a year, and didn't have to fly. He had the Madden Cruiser. Remember, that's a good gig. Wow, think about that. Like compare that even today. It's like Romo gets a lot, but that's not even close. That's twenty twenty six years ago. A sixty year old color commentator was getting seven and a half million a year. That's wild. He was doing the wrong line of work. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It, it, you know, you know, checks in the mail. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> guys. I appreciate it. You know, we're uh, we're looking at some new sponsors come twenty twenty one. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna invest a little more. And that's what G said. So you're gonna, yeah, you're need quite a few more sponsors to get to that level. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So uh, we are set. And I gotta say, there are some shows where, and like I think at the very beginning, it takes a little bit for DiBiase to find his footing. I was almost getting ready to sort of. Like go down that Dusty Rhodes Macho Man with him where it's like oh no Guy with the great promo you put him on Commentary he's not good And he really I really warmed up to him Quickly um I did There were a few things early where it's like uh, he kind of Botched it and then he he definitely settled down And started to find his footing and I think he added a I think he added a good amount to the show I really do In particular because 
What's great about a guy like DiBiase at this point is he had so many interactions with so many guys on the roster because he was just a year or two out. So he could really add some some good stuff uh, from you know being involved in feuds and and knowing all these guys backstage. We uh, we get Tatanka versus Bam Bam with Luna, and these guys had a feud. I mean, felt like forever all throughout '93 and into '94. We've done a, a match or two of theirs, and I think one that we did was really bad, and one that we did was a little bit better than expected. They also, I think, were in a six man tag that was was pretty good too. And I thought this one was towards the the top. Half or like the on the above average scale, especially for them. Um, Bam Bam's going after Tatanka early. Tatanka avoids him. Quick start, cross body. He takes down Bam Bam. He locks in an arm bar. Then he slows it down. We got a pretty nice looking uh, jump DDT from Tatanka. He went up to the top rope, misses a cross body, big splash into the corner by Bam Bam, and he squashes Tatanka. Vince mentions that both men are in the rumble later on. We get a uh, Tatanka now turning things around. He gains the advantage. Sunset flip off the top rope, but he couldn't get Bam Bam to to flip over. So Bam Bam just does the big man move And just sits down right on top of him He's in charge, he starts to slow it down Outside the ring we get Luna Vachon Let's go <laughs> Tatanka Tatanka tries a comeback and, and Bam Bam hits him with You know what, it, it didn't look That great, but when you, and he was a little Tired and I think he was just kind of a little off But it's so impressive that Bam Bam just Can do a standing drop kick like that Just boom, out of nowhere Um he, he he's done some nice ones when you you know you pick up some of his matches, especially earlier on, like '87 when they're building him as sort of the young up and comer. Survivor Series '87, he does some uh, some pretty crazy stuff there. He's like rolling around. Um, he has a bear hug in though for like two minutes, just just slow, really slows things down. Uh, Dibias he says Tatanka should give up because he won't have anything left uh, for the Rumble later. The old in the bear hug, Tatanka's arm drops twice, but then on the third time he rallies back up. I thought this double cross body spot was nasty looking. They both went at each other hard. Go for the cross body in the middle. Um, both men thinking the same thing and they collide. Then Bam Bam hits a ghetto blaster kick and he mocks Tatanka's run. And Bam Bam goes up to the top rope. He misses a moonsault. And Tatanka hits him with a cross body off the top for the win. Pretty solid DZ. Better than I had remembered. And, you know, depends on which one of the which match you pick up between these two guys. They both can work. I mean, Bam Bam can is is a good worker, really good. Tatanka sort of hit or hit or miss, and I thought this was closer to a hit than a miss for him. Yeah, you know, when we do these shows, I like to go back and and kind of read some of the reviews on them because sometimes they highlight things in a match that maybe you'll miss. Mm-hmm. I want to go back and watch, and I was surprised that a lot of people kind of just foo fooed this match as just being kind of meh. I thought this was a nice little match. Me too. I agree. Uh, I thought the wrestling in it was really good. I thought Bam Bam. I mean, we we, we know Bam Bam can. Well, I'll let Andrew say it. Uh, but we know Bam Bam, we know Bam Bam can get around and can work. Uh, and but but I thought the you know you you talked about the ghetto blaster. Um, you know that that double cross body. There's a really cool spot where Tatanka's trying to get him in a sunset flip, and he just kind of sits on him, but it looks violent. Like the way he does it and comes down on his chest, it looks real violent. Um, you know, you mentioned the drop kick. Uh, obviously, you know we 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 know Bam Bam can do those things despite his size. But uh, and for me, I, I mean, I always got a kick out of the spot where you know he he mocks Tatanka's you know dance when 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 he when he does that ghetto blaster and knocks him out. Um, yeah, yeah I, I always thought that was funny. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, I, I thought the wrestling in it was you know I would say good. 
uh, and I, I thought it was enjoyable. It was the perfect length, and I thought it was a nice little way to start the pay-per-view. Little backstory to this match. This was supposed to be Tatanka against Ludwig Borga, who had just recently given Tatanka his first loss on television. Not sure what the plan was for the match. Borga insists he was supposed to go over, win the world title a few weeks later, then lose it to Luger at WrestleMania 10. There's nothing out there that corroborates that. This may well just be a wrestler exaggerating, which we all know never happens, brother. No. no. Um, I, think, I think it's fair to say that looking back, if we ever did like a review of the WrestleMania main events, if that actually happened, it's possible that Ludwig Borga Lex Luger may have been the worst main event in WrestleMania history. Yeah. No, <laughs> you could have been. It'd be up there. Now, we, we mentioned that our checks are in the mail. We're also going to be investing in big guy that can move t-shirts. So get excited. Contact Gino for availability. We'll be having these available on Pro Wrestling Tees or whatever the podcast version of that is. Everybody get pumped. Bam Bam Bigelow is the prototypical big guy that can move. Everybody drink. Glug, 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 glug. This is a decent match. It just seems a little bit thrown together because it was. Yeah. Borga got hurt. This wasn't the match that was. Although I'm, to I'm, I'm, I'm glad it was this. Borga Tatanka yeah. would have been even worse. You know, to yeah. make Borga was terrible. Yep. And one of the things that we've gotten from rewatching early to mid '90s WWF, which I'll admit you guys are bigger fans of than I am. Not to say it's not good in spots. You guys are just more passionate about the product than I am. Is Bam Bam was a really good worker for his time. He just came along at a time where big guys weren't expected to be able to work like this. If Bam Bam Bigelow is born 10 or 15 years later, can you imagine him around 2000 just tearing it up wherever he goes? We saw a broken down Bam Bam in ECW and WCW, and even then he was an enjoyable watch. He reminds me of Kevin Owens. You know, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Owens is Owens is better, but this oh yeah, is like yeah. The Owens prototype. can go more and, yeah. and can talk a little more. But yeah, like you see, like I could see Owens watching some Bam Bam stuff and kind of throwing his body yeah. around, cannonball like, style and stuff. Yeah. You know, Bam Bam was the prototype, and then you get guys like Owens that have built on that, and then off you go. This match was fine. The crowd was red hot. Bam Bam missed the moonsault, and the crowd went bonkers the crowd had a couple of very curious explosions at random points in this crowd was great for this show we start off with a decent opener where the face goes over is it anything you go out of your way to rewatch? probably not as it stands though it's a fine eight minute match yep and both these two men are going to be working later on in the rumble so uh, we then get the one thing about this show too is for the Quebecers, Brett and Owen, for the Yoko Taker, for and then for the Rumble a little bit. We got some pretty lengthy build-up packages and segments and a lot of of pre to kind of to set the table for you, which I'm fine with if it's okay if it feels like it's part of it. And in this particular case, it really was like we 
There was a story, a big story that had developed in the last couple months between Brett and Owen. We get the build up for the Quebecers, you know, all that backstory, which began really at Survivor Series. Owen's promo talking about being in the shadow and challenging Brett. Then Brett's response saying, you know, under under no circumstances would I ever step into the ring with my own brother. I will not find my own brother. Uh, both of them together on Superstars January the fourth. It looks like they're, you know. They've redeemed everything. They are back together. Oh, the the stuff though was great. It's like Owen is so good when you're watching it and how he's kind of like laying it on though. Even though he's he's like believing Brett that the little things he he's saying, you know, are like it's gonna be our year. The rocket's gonna be taken off with my brother right behind me. You know, just like little small things that are just great. And and he's kind of like. Tapping him on the shoulder, right, but right, brother. You know, this is for me. It's just phenomenal stuff here from Owen, who's just getting his moment and really running with it. We see the Quebecers lose the titles to the one, two, three kid and Marty Janetti, and then they win it back a week later. So we get Brett and Owen in the promo with Todd Get Pettengill. They talk about how they're going to win the titles and then they want to give everyone a shot. Brett says Owen is the best aerial wrestler and he's the best technical wrestler. And they are really like best buds laying it on thick with each other here. Um, and uh, and then we get a uh, where the Mounties. So DZ, as far as all the buildup, I mean, in my opinion, and I like Brett, obviously, but this is one of the better. If you're going to make a list of like the best five to ten stories the WWF has ever told, I think the Brett Owen stuff is definitely on there. Um, from from you know at this point Survivor Series all the way through basically for a year long I think it's probably not um, Mega Powers quite or some of the Austin Austin McMahon stuff but I mean it's probably in the next tier at least for me as far as like a really well told storyline and then of course every time Brett and Owen get in the ring you're gonna get great work yeah. It's and think about it. We've talked about this before. That storyline started to develop at the Survivor Series in 1993. It carried through the holidays, kind of went back and forth into the Royal Rumble. There's a match about the storyline. Then there's the Royal Rumble match. Brett wins the Royal Rumble. They kind of keep the storyline going. Owens pissed off that Brett wins the Rumble. Then you get to WrestleMania. They have a legendary match. Brett wins the title. Owen comes out at the end of the show. Storylines continuing. You get to the King of the Ring. Owen Hart wins the King of the Ring. They bring the Anvil in. More family stuff. Storyline develops some more. Goes all the way to SummerSlam. They main event in a, in a legendary cage match. This is a story that goes on for the better part of a year. They just don't do that anymore. You know, and, and people were talking about like the Roman Reigns Jay Uso story. It was really good. But it's kind of over already. Like I know it's not over cuz you know Jay is kind of like, you know, al- aligned with him now. But you know, they were kind of feuding for a couple of months and now they they formed a little faction and and they're moving on and you know, maybe Roman berates him from time to time and tells him, you know, I'm the chief and you're my little peasant boy or whatever they're going to do with it. And that's fine. But this story was the story between these two guys for the better part of a year. And I mean, Survivor Series, the next year, Owen's thrown in the towel, right? Yes, Survivor Series, that's correct. So it is more than a year. Yeah. Absolutely correct. He he convinces he convinces them to throw in the towel when Brett's mom grabs the towel and throws it in. 
You're a hundred percent correct. So it goes on for a year. Even in, it's into ninety five. You know, in, at the beginning of ninety five. Even and then because I remember there's like a blow off match they have on Raw. I think that's really good too that Owen and Brett end up having. So yeah, it was like it was a really well built store. And at the time, you could do that a lot more than you could now. Obviously, right, right. No, you you could, but but they don't really even plant the seeds long enough anymore. You know, it just it just kind of sometimes. It just kind of, I mean, look, it's December the 8th. A story came out today that they still have no idea what direction they're going in with Roman Reigns for WrestleMania. You could tell. Well, yeah, (laughs) it's probably going to be your main event, you would think. And that's wild. I mean, you're you're talking four and a half months out, and there's not even an inkling of what they're going to do. Now, I get it. It's a weird year. They don't know if there's going to be fans there. They don't know who's going to be available. I get all that. But but this would be any year. It's common that they don't know what they're doing in December for WrestleMania. And, you know, it just did not used to be that way. And that's why you get this story, which for me is, like you said, you know, it could be on your top five. It's definitely your top ten in terms of stories that, that WWE, WWF has ever done. First of all, there's there's a lot to unpack in what you just said, Darren. But first of all, We've got an inkling as to where they're going with WrestleMania. We just don't want to have that inkling. Oh, no, you have the inkling. <laughs> yeah. You have the inkling. If they do, they can't. I mean, we've said it. I can't, they can't. But there's no, there's so nothing else right now. And the thing is, too, is like it didn't – Roman, it doesn't feel like it would be the great time even yet. Like Roman should have a longer reign like yeah. this than WrestleMania. And then whoever – it is should be somebody that it should be like the guy should be Drew McIntyre, right? If it's going to be somebody that's a baby face to eventually beat a heel Roman Reigns, but they're on opposite sides, they're both the champs right now. What are they going to do? I mean, if you like right now, is it Kevin Owens is going to be in a few with him? Is it going to be something maybe with Daniel Bryan? Like that would look like you know they've had something sort of going, but Daniel Bryan's not really hot. So uh, Andrew, you're scaring the hell out of me with what you're saying. But the more and more I'm looking at it right now, it's like. What are the what are the great options that they have? Are they going to like try to shoehorn Big E or someone? Because I don't want them to push to put Big E in that spot if he's not going to win. And right now he shouldn't win. No, nope. you know, at that at that point. So that's where they've kind of they kind of put themselves in a little bit of a corner here with Roman now. Darren, chant it with me, Goldberg. Oh Goldberg. Oh my god. Do 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 do. Yep. Uh, Now, if you guys love that take, you're really going to like this one. I really like the Brett Owens storyline. I do. I acknowledge that it's great. I acknowledge that these are two great workers. I acknowledge that they've told a number of great stories. Brett and Sean hit me better. Um, Just as two guys who were complete and total opposites in everything that they did. And how they did it. Before you continue with that, let me just ask one question. Hit if me. Montreal Screwjob does not happen, do you still feel the same way? Or does that send that over the top for you? If the Montreal Screwjob does not happen, who's to say that we're here? Because who's to say the <laughs> WWE Network exists? And who's to say WWE exists? <laughs> or or to, to take it a different way, I mean, those two guys might have had another five years. 
Exactly. If it doesn't happen, right? Like, what if it doesn't happen and Brett goes and he's like, screw WCW, he comes back, and then Brett doesn't get hurt with Goldberg, and Brett's able to have sort of a twilight in his career like Sean did. And then could you imagine like those two guys as vets having like retirement matches or send offs, sort of like uh, Michaels and Taker did? Like, that would have been that would have been awesome. So, yeah, yeah. and it's no, and you're right. Like, Sean and Brett is definitely into me the top 10, top five, too. So, yeah, I, I would, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you there, uh, you yep. know, having one or over the other. Yep. Now you bring up an interesting point there, Gino, because think of it like this. Imagine if when they launched SmackDown in 98, 99, whatever, imagine if you have Austin rock on one show and Brett Sean on the other. Yeah. That's all you want as yeah. a wrestling fan. That is all it's checking all want. the boxes. Yes. And if you're WCW, how do you compete with that? Somehow, Things unfolded in a certain way to where they let Brett walk and WCW still managed to implode on itself. Now, bringing everything back to the Royal Rumble of 94, this was the start to a storyline that we can argue went all the way to the Montreal screw job. Because if you remember how the Hart Foundation got formed, yeah. it was Brett coming out after a match between Owen and Davey Boy, and yep. cutting this tremendous promo, one of the best promos he ever cut, where Owen and Davey Boy were crying yeah. in the ring at the reunification of the family. You can argue that was the end of the Brett Owen storyline, and you can argue that spanned three full years. Now, this match, leading into this, I've got so many questions. One, how is Pierre still wrestling? 26 years later, how has he reinvented himself as this cyborg crazy dude who fights like a madman, even though he's got one eye? It's but insane. The bigger, the bigger question I have for both of you, this is the bigger question and nothing else comes close. Why does Raven have a putter? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, this is one of Darren's voice. Remember, yeah. Darren loves him some Johnny Polo here. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> this, the, I laugh Every time I hear, we're the Mounties, just because, you know, the Mounties music a few years later, a few years before this was, I'm the Mountie, and they just changed it to, we're the Mounties here for, uh, for the, uh, the Quebecers, and, and, and they come out, and we get a huge ovation for Brett and Owen. Uh, DiBiase has one of his small flubs here where he calls Owen and Brett the Brett brothers. And then he, I mean, uh, the heart brother, he kind of realizes it gets stumbled up, but uh, not, not many mistakes really from Deebs. He was great throughout the night and he keeps calling Owen the shadow. Like this is a match that he's doing a great job with, with he, he hates Brett. He wants Owen to be the bad guy. He really wants Owen to, uh, to lean into all of his feelings. And Brett is in early uh, the match starts and then he tags Owen Owen with an arm drag that is awesome He doesn't release it and he just flips it right into a pin It's like little things like that That the, the they do Owen and Brett are so so good um, He Another thing Instead of falling for the back body drop He stops like that's smart wrestling That's another thing that like Kurt Angle, Bret Hart, Owen do Some guys that are just they don't Daniel Bryan that's something that you would see in a Daniel Bryan match Where he wouldn't just fall for something stupid That the heel would want him to fall for That's just a smart wrestler um, We get the heels double teaming Bret We get all four men in the ring And then Bret and Owen turn the tables on the Quebecers uh, And the Quebecers regroup outside of the ring Bret with a shot to the midsection of Jacques And then Owen works on Pierre A couple of near falls there Big cross body by Pierre 
And the heels work over on Brett Jacques distracts the ref while Pierre chokes him Then we get the hot tag to Owen House of Fire on both the Quebecers He's got the sharpshooter in But he gets attacked from behind And then they double team stun gun Owen Drop him right on his neck across the ropes Owen drops kick, drop kicks them both One with each leg And then the hot tag to Brett Brett comes in with the hot the uh, the drop kick, and then we get some of Brett moves The side rush and leg sweep, the backbreaker Double noggin knocker Johnny Polo then pulls the middle ropes As Brett goes back to run off the ropes Brett tumbles to the outside And he's selling his knee Bad, he's got a mad, bad knee injury Can I jump in here really quick? Please, please do Ted DiBiase as the line of the night right here Looks pretty bad <laughs> That's not a bad Ted DiBiase laugh I'm No it isn't It isn't It was good It was good I agree I'm glad you, you jumped in Right at that point too um, And So the, the Quebecers are really Working on Brett Outside of the ring They're working on Brett's knee He can't get to his feet The heels are just Destroying him And the ref is Holding Owen back Every time Owen's Trying to come and check On his brother Trying to go over uh, Ref is not letting him and then Owen actually does make his way over to the side of the ring And he he's able to help Brett Who's been outside the ring for three minutes now So no, no reason why he hasn't been counted out um, Owen actually throws Brett back into the ring And then the heels are just doubling Brett in the ring Jacques lost in the, the Boston Crab Owen comes in and breaks it up Pierre is in the ring now or He hits a leg drop to the back of Brett's neck Which just looks nasty off the top uh, of the of the ropes, Brett is just getting crushed. The crowd is really starting to get into it now. Go Brett, go chance. And Brett rolls out of the way of the finisher while Pierre is laying down on the ground. Brett tries to lock in the sharpshooter, which we've seen him do a few times, where he's laying on his back and he locks it in. But when he tries to stand up with the sharpshooter, he falls over and he collapses. And then the bell rings. He didn't give up, but the referee stopped the match. Um, by his on his own discretion, Fink tells us that even though Brett did not submit, the ref has ended the match, and Owen is furious. Uh, I mean, he just goes ballistic. We get the big turn after this, so I'll go to Darren, and then I'll, I'll clean up what, anything that that we miss. DZ, you know, for about twelve to fourteen minutes, this was a really good match. The last couple is more about the storyline moving forward. You know, the Quebecers are guys you laugh at. But in a situation like this in a tag team They could really work Especially when you put them in there with two guys like Brett and Owen So awesome Start like first 10-12 minutes Then we get the great story And the, the Owen turn at the end And the kick his leg from under his leg And all that stuff And just something that I love watching back I get nostalgic every time I, I see this This is like one of my Another one of my like closet favorite matches I love this tag match because it's so much that comes out of it yeah, and, and as a Brett fan back then, you, they, they did a really good job because they, they threw you a curveball. And the curveball that they threw you were was was this. Look, they had they had planted the seeds, obviously, in a major way for the story. So, you know, you're thinking in your head, this is not gonna go well, and, and these two are gonna are gonna come to blows. But then what they do is two weeks before the Royal Rumble, they have the Quebecers lose the tag title. On Monday Night Raw to the one two three kid and Marty Jannetty, so now you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, what the hell now, right? And then a week later at Madison Square Garden, they win it back from from the same you know tag team. So now six days before the Royal Rumble, they win it back 
And you're thinking, okay, so they want it back. They, they give you a little bit of a curveball. You weren't sure. But now you kind of feel like, well, if they want it back, then maybe it's because Brett and Owen are going to win the titles at the Royal Rumble at least first before there's some kind of a blow up. So they, I think they did that maybe to make it a little less obvious. And I think it was a good curveball along the way with the story. The match is great. Uh, it's a really good tag match. They all work really well. Um, there's a couple of awkward spots in the match between Brett and Owen in relation to a couple of like double team moves and tags that are weird. Uh, and the storyline is so good and Brett and Owen are so good that you don't know if they're just kind of fumbling, working together a little bit or if they did it on purpose because they're supposed to be this team with some tension that there's questions of if they could work together, even though they're brothers and they haven't done it before. So are they doing that to show kind of some awkwardness between them as part of the story? Or were there a couple of small little screw-ups in there? I don't know the answer. And I'm sure Brett would tell you it's part of the story regardless. So you're never going to find out. Um, <laughs> you're but, right. No, you would yeah. you would take credit for that for sure. <laughs> and he absolutely would. He would say, oh, wow, you caught that. Yeah, we worked on that for a long time. Um, you know, But look, the match itself is really good. You get all the signature moves. Owen does some great stuff. Uh, his His – you know, belly to you know, belly to belly overhead throw suplex is one of the best you'll ever see in wrestling. He hits it here flawlessly as well. Um, you know, obviously when the Brett leg thing happens, and now you're you know, Brett and Brett sells this like all night. I mean, all night. They have to walk. This around. is to me the best, like one of the best sales jobs ever in WWE. Like the way yeah. he is the whole like the limp into the ring in the rumble. All throughout the time he's in the room, I mean, it is, it's pretty damn, like, he did a great job of selling, and, you know, we love Brad, I'm, you know, I'm not, but this, this is one of the things that he, you know, babyface in peril, this is why he was one of your top babyfaces for a while, because he could put, he could make somebody look good and really sell something. There, there is one point early on when he's, when he's outside on the floor, I don't know if you guys saw this, where, you know, the, the Owen is trying to get him up, and the Quebecers keep kind of going back at him, they hit him with a chair, they hit him with the uh, with the putter, and there's one spot where Brett is kind of just like curled up in in like somewhat of a fetal position, but not really. Where he's just laying, and it looks like he, he like forgot about the leg for a split second, and all of a sudden, like nobody's touched him for a good ten seconds, and all of a sudden he just reaches out to the knee and like screams again out of nowhere, like oh shit, like I forgot about that. Um, that's the only time I picked up on anything. I mean, you know, the guy had to sell this leg not only for this match, but then through the Royal Rumble, uh, which was not which was not easy to do. Um, you know, the finish is great uh, in terms of the story. You know, you would like to have some, you know, a bit more finality, but it works with the storyline. And obviously, you know, when Owen kicks his leg and and and, and Brett takes the bump, and we go from there. Uh, you know, and and then he, I mean, not only the promo, but they actually catch Owen. Prior to the backstage promo with Todd Pettengill, they catch Owen walking up the aisle to go back through the curtain. And they get him, and he, and he, cut, and he cuts a promo right there. And, and it's a very clean, kind of seamless promo where the whole story is the man is selfish. He only cares about himself. He's hogging the limelight once again. All he had to do was tag me. Just tag me, Brett. But you're too damn selfish it so was so good. just walking up the ring he never stopped 
No, he, it was great. He delivered the monologue while walking, looking at the camera. It would. I, I would argue that that twenty-five seconds might have been the best twenty-five seconds of of Owen talking on camera in his entire career before he gets to the you know the promo backstage. I know uh, he had a bad leg. Why yeah. didn't he just tag me? Oh, oh my so god, it's it so, so good. good. Yeah, and, and and it kind of showed you, you know, we use we we make jokes sometimes, Andrew, that Owen can get a little bit fumbly with promos, and he does certainly at times. But that that promo walking up the aisle to go back was perfect. It was really good. Um, this match, there are a couple of things that, if you just look at it as a standalone match, don't make a lot of sense. Brett is on the outside for what seems like forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's four minutes at least. It, there's, like, there's it's three before Owen even comes over to him. Full minutes. I always time these things out because I'll, it'll be taking so long. I'm like, okay, I got to see how long this actually was. Yeah, and he doesn't get counted out. Right. Now, if he had just gotten counted out because he had a bad leg, would that have been worse? I don't know. I still think it would have worked. I understand I'm picking nits in what's obviously a very good match. Obviously, the hearts can go. The Quebecers were very talented workers. Jacques Rougeau was a great hand for a very long time. We mentioned Kevin Owens. Jacques Rougeau was one of the guys who trained Kevin Owens. So the green grass grows all around, all around there. Um, One little thing that I'll mention that we haven't brought up yet. After the match, when they're trying to get Brett out of the ring, who do they send into the ring to do an interview? Ray Rougeau. Jacques' brother. Yep. And who's the guy that tells him off? Pat, Pat Patterson. Patterson. Yep. God bless Pat Patterson. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. No, he's not ready. He's hurt. You can't talk to him now. You just kind of hear him like saying some things in the background. And uh, yeah, just sad, sad stuff. And it was, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had a Pat Patterson note there too. Just, whoa. And um, yeah, DZ mentioned. Owen's furious afterwards He's kicking the bottom ropes Vince said that uh, Owen should be mad at the Quebecers And Ted said no he should be mad at Brett For not tagging him in and trying to hog the spotlight And Owen just berating Brett Screaming at him Brett struggling to get to his feet And then uh, he, he gives him the uh, the sweep the leg And he screams to the crowd And he just has a the big heel turn for Owen Massive boos from the crowd DiBiase loves it Vince wonders about the family back home We get that Owen promo as he walks down the aisle And the refs and officials check on Brett They're talking about how Brett There's no way Brett can be in the Royal Rumble later on There's no way and um, So they're not sure it's up in the air Will Brett make it back later And then we get Owen backstage with Todd Pettengill And it's sort of you know the same type of thing That he was just saying when he was walking down the aisle Just in a few more words He screams Brett is selfish His ego is too big He doesn't care about anybody He was concerned with him And then Owen says I don't care about anybody I was concerned with myself today And that's why I kicked your leg out from under your leg um, he looks it, at he looks at Todd after he says it with this look of like oh, oh crap. <laughs> and what, what's cool? Another little point of this that I like is that as he's cutting the promo, Brett is being wheeled down the aisle on the stretcher, and they put it up on the jumbotron. So you know that Brett is seeing this as he's like in pain, being being carted out. Brett seeing his brother call him out and say, "That's why I kicked your leg out from under your leg." So another like. That's just something they don't put the finishing touches on a lot of things today. Now, I'm not saying that this is perfect. Like Andrew pointed out, the finish there, the fact that Brett was sitting outside the ring for a few minutes, there's things they could have cleaned up, but they 
You could tell with the, the stuff they cared about How much time they really put into it We don't get that feeling all that much um, Today This is just some, some really good stuff And um, he bumbled some words here or there But the emotion was so awesome you, just, you really can't recreate that kind of brother emotion a lot These were probably a lot of real feelings from Owen He was, you know, a nice guy A funny guy, he loved his brother I'm sure But every younger sibling feels some of these things That he was saying Those are true feelings that he, I'm, I'm sure he'd heard Throughout, oh you're no Bret Hart you know. And so this was his moment He had a great, great 94 um, As he had sort of alluded to In, in his one of his promos that we saw in the build-up packages So uh, DiBiase just loves this I mean he just freaking loves this And as he's you know talking about how great it is The bell rings for the IC title match We get IRS versus Razor Ramon You know when IRS comes out He's going to get the mic for a second and say Isn't this nice Every tax cheat in the state of Rhode Island Showed up here tonight And I've got some news for you If you don't want the IRS kicking in your door In the middle of the night Pay your taxes <laughs> It's just so Basically simple Heel promo And the crowd just boos the living Crap out of him they hate this Guy so much I honestly Forget every time we watch him How much heat he would get He would get the crowd insane With the Irwin chance And then what was really weird about This is We don't get Vince telling us we're going to go to Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon from Radio WWF for this next match or anything like that. We just get Gorilla and JR like instantly. This was bizarre. And they just called the I one match. I have to think I have to think that they cut something out that explained right? the transition. This is I mean weird, maybe yeah. there are completists out there that can set us straight on that, but you're right. It was very awkward and it made me think that they cut something out Maybe some sponsored thing that they didn't mm-hmm. want in the master Or there was some upload thing going on with the video But yeah, it was weird It was really weird Because we saw them do this at times through this era Where they would go, oh, let's go to our other broadcast team They're going to call this match They did it, I can think of two or three different shows where they did it So it wouldn't have been weird for Vince to just say We're going to go to Jim Ross and Gorilla for this next match Which, damn, you know, we've been praising DiBiase throughout most of the night. He has a really good night, and I think him and Vince did fine together. But I, I got, I love this commentary team. You know, I just, I love them. And uh, Jr. is really good here, and Gorilla's great. Gorilla's good as the as the color man too. You know, we know Gorilla a lot of time. Where you know he's the play by play guy, but being a wrestler, he could absolutely give you some color. Um, and and this was good. They, this match is actually. Even a lot better than I remember I just don't like the ending, the finish Whatsoever, we'll get to there in just a second But um, we get Razor Ramon IRS And we Let's see, JR at the very beginning Is talking about how the Hart parents are gotta be in tears Gorilla said they should disown Owen And uh, JR tells us when and and How Razor won the title They start quickly, Razor on the attack IRS stole Razor's gold Necklaces and apparently they're in his Briefcase uh, oozing machismo All over that briefcase (laughs) Razor Razor was uh, Just beating IRS down early with Punches, IRS has to duck out of the ring A few times, heel move and the crowd Just loud with the Irwin, Irwin Razor is really quick paced here in charge And IRS steps out of the way Sends Razor flying over the top rope He goes up and over um, Then IRS clothesline outside of the ring He slows it down with a headlock Razor is able to battle back The ref gets a ref bump squashed in the corner IRS tries to use the briefcase But Razor stops him and he ends up using it But the ref is out from that bump Just a, a moment before So no one's there to count 
Razor hits the suplex off the top ropes That back suplex He signals for the Razor, the razor's edge And he's got it all set up And then Shawn Michaels comes running in Nails Razor with the other IC title belt Razor, IRS, the ref They're all laying out in the ring for over a minute IRS comes to He crawls over He pins Razor Now, I kind of forgot about this He actually he didn't get announced by Fink but the announcers say that he win the match So JR and Gorilla are talking about him as the new IC champ IRS celebrates And um, he's standing next to the referee But he never gets announced by the Fink Hebner runs down to tell the other ref what happened And Razor gets up and hits a Razor's Edge And then they count one, two, three Even after counting and ringing the bell The ref, the first ref looks confused after he counted Fink then announces Razor as the winner. I actually like the match. Everything up to IRS winning, the ref coming down, turning it. If you're going to restart the match, that's fine. Give me a bell. Say that we're going to have this match restarted. The referee has been told what happened. This match must continue. We got none of that. The, the match was over, and then Razor just did a Razor's Edge, and all of a sudden he wins the match. That, that's what I didn't love here, Darren. There were, yeah, the, the match is not great. Um, you you get Razor's signature stuff. Uh, his fall away slam is one of my favorite moves of all time. I don't know why, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, I just always loved it. I, I thought it was such a cool move, and he always hit it effortlessly. His suplex off the inside second turnbuckle was also a favorite move of mine. It's probably why I liked him so much as a wrestler when I was a kid. Um, yeah, there, there are a couple of things that bother me. Number one, um, you know, Razor gets the first foreign object hit when he takes the briefcase from IRS, who granted introduced the quote-unquote foreign object to the match, but Razor used it and knocked IRS out, but the ref was out. So at the time, Vince is saying, oh, this match should be over. You can count to three or 33. Um, well, yeah, but what about the fact that he hit the guy in the head with a briefcase? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I, I get it. IRS was going to use it, but he still cheated. <laughs> so then, of course, it's a monstrous miscarriage of justice when Razor is the one that gets hit by the quote-unquote foreign object when Shawn Michaels comes down with the IC title belt. And, you know, you, you can see what's happening when uh, when Earl Hepner comes down and starts to explain to Joey Morella, you know, what's going on. But all of a sudden, like, you know, the camera's on the two refs. And all of a sudden, the camera comes back, and, and he's got him in the razor's edge, and he hits it, one, two, three. There's no announcement. You know, there's no, uh, you know, initial ruling for IRS. There's no referee reverses his decision because of outside interference. It just, and I get it, like, they did it in a way that I guess there wasn't time for that. But it's just a little clumsy to me and uh, how they went about it. it. But the match, I mean, look, I'm a big I'm a big razor guy at this time. This is not one of his best matches. The finish is... Uh, okay with some questions I guess But you know the crowd pops The crowd loves it gets a huge reaction When he when he gets the one two three So you know it's I guess always the- so fascinating To me and I'm sure this is something Andrew You know Andrew's hit on this a few different times It's like you see how over This guy is like how is he not Getting more main event Opportunities uh, they, 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 in they, these they, In these they, few years it just doesn't yeah. This guy was as over with the crowd As honestly anyone probably Besides Brett at this time Yep. And, and and that was only because Brett had been there for longer. Brett had already been a, a champion and done like everything at every level. And he was probably the next guy. 
as far as over He was way more over than Luger ever was And they would try to get Luger over I mean, this guy was super over from Like, as soon as he turned, honestly like, As soon as he Because he was one of the Andrew, he was one of those kind of cool heels, even Like, when he was a heel, people sort of liked the bad guy And we could see that I think it was what It was by like SummerSlam 93 Where they started turning him He had that match I think with DiBiase at the beginning Like King of the Ring he's facing Brett But at that point he's already getting Sort of getting some cheers in on the turn Yeah now if you want to make the argument That from a work rate standpoint He wasn't quite there yet At this time you could make it But then he'd have the match With Sean And at that point That should have been it He should have been a main event guy from that point forward mm-hmm. And for some reason Vince went with guys like Mabel Vince went with a number of other guys Including someone we'll talk about In just a little bit And for some reason Razor never got the main event push He was always an upper mid-card guy That the fans loved to see He could play face or heel He'd get the big reactions. He had a couple of cool moves nobody else was doing. This match wasn't necessarily anything special. Did it tell a decent story? Yes. To me, this is around the same caliber as the Tatanka Bam Bam match. It's not anything you're going to go back and rewatch, but for what it is, a heel riling up the crowd, the face coming out, the heel appearing to win by nefarious means, referees coming out to keep the match going, heel gets his comeuppance, face escapes with the title. It's fine. Check the box and move on. And compared to the next match that we're going to talk about, this looks like the match of the year. The only, and it's funny, I like the the Brett and Owen Quebecers match quite a bit. I like I like this match actually. I, I don't mind it at all. To me it's at least on the slightly like on for what I would be expecting for these two, I thought it was fine. I thought Razor had a, had a lot of uh, fire early on and it, and it was but I don't like the end really of the Quebecers Brett stuff and kind of what the, we we talked about. I don't like the end of this and I really don't like the end. We we're going to talk about the next match that we get to um but again, I, I'm a little bit higher on the beginning part of this next match. First, we get the build up to the Undertaker Yokozuna, and I gotta say, these might be my favorite Yokozuna segments. These, the um, what were I? Why can't why can't I think of the word what they used to call these? These um, you know, like vignettes. Vi- exactly, they're not the promos, the vignettes. The, we would see these a lot more, a lot of times to introduce. People, you know, the we think about the amazing ones that they had for Mr. Perfect or DiBiase when they were getting introduced as characters. These were awesome with Yokozuna building the casket over probably like a six week period. We would get different vignette where we would check in on the process, the progress of the casket as it was the different stages of being built, always in these eerie places, and the Undertaker just sawing it up and. And smoothing out the wood And Paul Bear just Oh my Undertaker Yokozuna A double wide casket for you and we, Not I, bad Not yeah, bad not, yeah, not bad Not bad I I, I used to be you know um, in some of the choirs So I can get the, the, the high pitched Paul Bear You know um, I like these DZ Like I like these These were some of my favorite Undertaker segments I like this This Part of the Undertaker character It just sucked that this poor guy I was mentioning with Andrew Like we get this match and Yoko Is not great and he's not 
And going back and looking more and more, I when we talk about guys that I'm higher on, you know, when we go back and look at Bam Bam and this and that, the more I rewatch Yoko, I, I am more disappointed. I kind of thought he was a little bit better. Or I Thank actually, you. Well, and I think, Darren, I sort of thought that they booked him stronger. Because let's talk about Yoko real quick, okay? He He's booked like a monster, wins the Royal Rumble, and then he's in the title feud, and then he's in the title at WrestleMania with Brett. A match that Brett should have won. A match that Yoko wins because Fuji throws salt in his eye. He then loses the title right after to Hogan. He wins the title back from Hogan because of the awful finish that we've discussed here with the camera shot, like the spark right in Hogan's. Hogan can't lose clean. Yeah. Can't do it. So he doesn't look even really good in the Hogan feud. And then in the Luger feud, Luger beats him at, at SummerSlam. And it's not like he ever gets a clean win over Luger anywhere. So in his most major feuds throughout the time where he was in the main event against Brett, Brett really got the better of him all the time. Hogan, I mean, he didn't beat Hogan clean, even on Hogan's way out. Luger was getting the better of him all the time, but Yoko was able to hold on to the title. And in the first like six or seven minutes of this match, I think he got one offensive move in on The Undertaker, and that was throwing salt in his eye. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll even I'll take it a step further because at, at this time I was also going I was going to a lot of house shows in the in the Northeast area, and at this point in time the house show main event was consistently Brett versus Yoko, often with the cage stipulation, and he wasn't even winning those matches clean. Like he was winning those matches because somebody was coming out and doing something to Brett. Or Brett was about to jump, you know, jump off the cage and, and somebody comes in and holds his leg and, and Yoko would like slither his way out the door. Yeah. I mean, it, it like even in the house show matches, he was not booked that way. And For I a dominant looking big heel, yeah. he's booked like the Miz. Yeah, he is. And 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 for this particular story, I think what Vince did was he just took like the Kamala reaction to the casket stuff. And said, "Oh, I was that was funny, you know. And when Kamala would would run away and fall down, and you know, uh, Kim Chi and and Whippleman would have to calm him down, and he had to look. He was so scared, you know. We should do that again. I mean, really? The guy weighs like eight million pounds. Like, you know, what is he supposed to be afraid of? And you know, that that's what the storyline was. You know, Yoko was scared of the casket and." You know, they were doing those promos where Cornette was trying to talk about the fact that he's Yokozuna is not scared of anything and all that stuff. So they basically just took what they did with Kamala and they did it with the monster champion who they never really booked as a monster to begin with. So, yeah, it was it was really strange. The vignettes were cool. The Undertaker stuff, you know, uh, the double wide, double deep thing. And, you know, remember when he's just kind of like smoothing out the wood, the sound. So great. The sound of like whatever he was using to smooth the wood out. It, it was almost like a scary sound, you know, like, and, and it was like so slow and deliberate, you know, Yokozuna, you know, and you would hear it, you know, next Sunday and he would do it again. You know, it was just, it was slow, deliberate and kind of frightening. And uh, yeah, the vignettes were probably the best part of the whole thing. No argument here. The vignettes were great. And then the bell rang. My first note for this match, it's three words. It's very short. 
shoot me now. <laughs> Those who are regular listeners to this program will know I am not the biggest fan of one Yokozuna. Forgive me, but I need more out of my main event heel than he's fat. (laughs) I need more. I need more development in so many other ways. Yoko has two good moves. I love his belly-to-belly suplex. That's his best move. And he's got the bonsai drop, which is a legitimate finisher. I grant you that. Other than that, nothing. And I just, I remember him... I don't know why I remember. I just remembered him being better, or I thought he was better, or he. I don't know why there's been this like stigma, or not stigma, or just sort of like a reputation that he was a really good worker. I I haven't seen it honestly. Yeah, and that to me screams Bret Hart is a miracle worker for dragging this guy to a three star match in the WrestleMania 10 main event. He just is. Uh, that's how good Bret Hart was. To me, Bret Hart proved as much in that one three-star match as he did earlier in the night when he went five stars with Owen. That's the mark of somebody that's a genius at what they do. So the backstory to the booking of this match, you'd think it would be convoluted. You'd think it would be something ridiculous that would spawn the ridiculousness we've seen. The Undertaker asked for time off. That's it. The Undertaker asked for time off, and Vince thought everything that we saw would be a good idea. (laughs) It was not a good idea. Now, we mentioned this at the top of the show. The first couple minutes of this match are fine. Taker's working a good pace. He's forcing Yokozuna to keep up. They go to the floor, and that's when the nonsense starts. Yoko throws the salt in Taker's eye. Taker throws this punch the wrong way that goes into air at nobody. Uh Uh-oh. That's my uh uh-oh moment. Yoko gets the chair and throws some of the worst chair shots I've ever seen, (laughs) one of which catches the Undertaker flush in the back of the head. Um, So now we're into negligent. They go back into the ring, and Taker gets the worst choke slam imaginable. (laughs) Like, Yoko just falls backward. He doesn't get airborne. He just, he falls backward on his fat ass. He can't, he can't get airborne. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to run down the list of all of the run-ins in this match. Okay. (laughs) I'm not counting Fuji and I'm not counting Cornette. This is everybody running in from the back. Crush. The great Kabuki, who I had completely forgotten was in (laughs) WWF at the time. Yeah. Janichiro Tenru, who I knew was there. Bam, bam. Adam Bomb, Jeff Jarrett, The Head Shrinkers, and Diesel. And if that wasn't ridiculous enough, you know it's getting bad when green smoke comes out of the urn. I don't know what the backstory is with that. I know green mist means one thing and red mist means another thing. I don't know what green smoke means. I know white smoke means we have a pope. I know black smoke (laughs) means we don't have a pope. What does green smoke even mean? The land of Oz? Maybe, maybe. So they put him in the casket. Yoko wins. Taker gets wheeled out. And the casket starts smoking. Darren, I know you have part of this promo memorized. Would you like to tell those listening what Taker said when he was quote unquote in the casket? 
Oh my god. Um, I, I'm not going to do the whole thing. I'm not asking you for the whole thing. I care about our, our listeners too much, but just the gist. So the the gist the gist of it is, and 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 I'll do some some specifics of it. The gist of it is the Undertaker is going away for a while, uh, and at some point uh, he will come back. Uh, where he goes on to say, um, you know, it start it starts with with a cool line, "Death be not proud," <laughs> which basically is implying that he's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And then, and then he says, "The spirit of the Undertaker yes. lives within the soul of all mankind." All mankind. Yes. So, like, are you alive? Are you dead? Like, I don't. This is a little. And and Darren, and you can keep going on with this. But what's funny about this time? This is like one of the longest promos he's ever cut. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he wasn't talking a lot because Paul Bear would do the talking for him. I mean, he would do the like Yokozuna rest, you know, just like small little one lines at the end, or I'm getting your casket ready. He actually had like you know when, two minutes here. I mean, when when he start, I, I think the start of it is be not proud. Yep, that's the start. <laughs> the spirit of the Undertaker lives within the souls of all mankind. <laughs> The eternal flame of life that cannot be extinguished. The origin of which cannot be explained. The answer lies in the everlasting spirit. Soon all mankind will witness the rebirth of the Undertaker. I will not rest. In peace. Well done. And then, and then, and then, the Undertaker, in quotes, levitates. From <laughs> the casket the gets electrocuted. Yes, okay. it does. I skipped, I skipped a step. I'm sorry. I skipped a step. The casket explodes. <laughs> so the casket explodes, and the quote-unquote Undertaker, a.k.a. Marty Jannetty with a pulley system, is up on top of the video board and he goes up into the catacombs of the arena. The entirety of this, from when the bell rings to when the quote-unquote Undertaker gets levitated up to the top of the arena, takes half an hour. Gino, (laughs) this was your pick. That is a half hour I will (laughs) never get back. I have made a note of this and I was going to make both you and Darren pay for all of this in what we watch next week. However, my better angels won out. I'm keeping it in my back pocket, however. And if either of you force me to sit through main event Yokozuna again, I think we've exhausted all of main event Yokozuna at this point. Yeah. I think we have. If, if I am forced to sit through main event Yokozuna ever again, I'm bringing my ace in the hole. I'll tell you what that is later, but I'm just saying you guys wouldn't like it. And I think Darren would spontaneously combust. This is the worst thing I have ever seen on any major wrestling program. And everyone involved should be ashamed of themselves for thinking this was a good idea. Darren, you get a pass. You were 10. You were there. I get how it could look cool to a kid. The audience loved it because there were a lot of kids. That's fine. It's 26 years later. And on the WWE Network in 2020, where we know what wrestling is capable of, 
This looks like garbage. Gino, let me, let me just provide not my view, but a wrestling fan's view who used to write for Bleacher Report, who talked about this very night. His name was Dan Power. <laughs> and the title of the, uh, the article referencing this night and this very moment is WWE Royal Rumble Memories. The night I became a true fan. <laughs> and he goes on to say that it was a magical night for him. It was magical in the dead man suffering multiple finishing moves. And then he goes into the, uh, you know, the promo and the arena is plunged into darkness. And uh, the casket explodes. And the Undertaker resurrected and disappeared into the ceiling. And from that very moment, I became an unconditional fan of professional wrestling. So there is your counterpoint to Andrew's take. My that rebuttal? Is... Yeah. My rebuttal? He's wrong. He knows he's wrong. <laughs> and he should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> I think the part that I watched a few times at the end was was what's great is that so even the part of him like levitating here's w- w- the the cat he's supposed to be in the casket i guess yeah. and we're seeing him in the casket but we're seeing him on oh, the jumbotron forget the so green when he levitates he <laughs> levitates off of the jumbotron right <laughs> like he doesn't come up from the casket where he's actually supposed to be he levitates like he's coming out of the screen Yep. Which is even, which I thought was hilarious too. Um, it wasn't like the casket starts being raised up. It's just he he's the spirit of the taker went from the casket to the jumbotron and then threw the jumbotron up, and then we get his body, Marty Janetti, aka, uh, who just gets raised up to the ceiling. That was my my favorite part on what was a definitely wrestle crap kind of worthy segment for us to talk about. I had a lot of I fun. just want to point something out before we Please. move on. Gino, you watched any part of this multiple times? I thought that was hilarious. And I watched You watched it multiple times. I I will tell you that every show we do, every episode of a TV show I recap, every everything I watch multiple times. So I have to sit through some bad shit multiple times. I'll tell you that much. But <laughs> yeah, this one I did the same, and uh, I just like to make sure I know everything. I don't miss everything. And my jaw is dropped. I, yeah. I Darren, I am without speech. Uh, Listen, don't, and don't and don't forget what tremendous storyline this moment gave us. Oh, what storyline was that? Because months later, Ted DiBiase would bring back. The Undertaker from the dead, except it wasn't the Undertaker. And then the real Undertaker comes back, and we get the Undertaker versus the Undertaker. It's, I know. <laughs> so brutal. You guys see now why I'm not the biggest fan of early to mid-90s WWF? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. there, there were okay. there were such a like opposed. It's like Undertaker, poor guy, just had to live in this world. Like we said, with think about this, we're talking Kamala to Giant Gonzalez to then the Yokozuna stuff to the next year he's at Mania with King Kong Bundy, who's just years past his prime at that point. Who is a great heel and was, has had good runs here and there, but he's just 
a poor guy got got stuck with a lot of bad uh, a lot of bad dance partners. To As- to uh, to Andrew's point, you could make a legitimate case that Survivor Series 1992 was the end of good WWF, and coming up next was the beginning of a lot of bad. That yeah. was that was that show doesn't get talked about a lot. We we actually. We did a rewatch of it months ago. It, it's a really good show. Mm-hmm. Survivor Series yeah. 92. It's a really good show. After that show, WWE, WWF goes downhill for, for quite some time. It, and that, and it, it's not a coincidence that for a lot of that point, Yokozuna's on top. Yeah. It's not. It, you know, it starts at, at the very end of 92. I think he has, he's on that show, right? Is it Virgil that he squashes or? He, Virgil, yep. Yeah. Yep. And that that's he wins the ninety three rumble, and then we get the build, and we get basically him for as like your main event guy for you know a year and a half, even even more than that. Um, and uh, yeah, we get into the rumble now, and we get that quick string of Royal Rumble promos from the participants. Although these weren't really anything to write home about, uh, just a little quick hitters. Macho Man says, "I'm going to be the three time champ and crush, crush." And Double J goes uh, for all the marbles Tatanka said he's going to be the final one standing Diesel said he's taking the rumble Doink and Dink say the, the rumble is finally here And I'm going to get a shot at the title Ha 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 uh, Shawn Michaels yeah. says he's <laughs> he's going to be the new WWF champion And Lex Luger says this is the opportunity he has asked and waited for Anything uh, of those jump out to either one of you? Uh, they're not like the 92 ones yeah, You know not, like I mean, not- we, we, we they're not they're they're just so quick that like yeah. nobody says it, it's like it's almost like everybody got handed a flash card <laughs> like here here's yeah. your line you know okay and they're all like the same like the same type of thing so yeah, yeah we no, nothing there I'll let Andrew go but no, nothing jumped out at me um it, one observation and one question the observation is it hit me far more like the Ollie Williams Family Guy weather reports where he would just say <laughs> a couple of words and then they'd go back to the desk why was Dink there. <laughs> just why why did we have to put up with dink why was he in these promos why did he come out with doink for the rumble when he was in no way a participant and in no way involved if he was brought out and then subsequently like murdered by bam bam that would have been fun i would have thoroughly enjoyed that and instead he's just this little dude watching as i don't know if it's his father or his friend or his brother or his fellow clown whatever i don't know what the doink family tree looks like if somebody wants to make that if somebody out there who's listening wants to put something together on doinkancestry.com i don't know but why did we have to put up with dink why was dink a thing you know, there's a great story on something to wrestle with uh, Pritchard and, and Conrad, and they talk about how Vince, when he brought in Doink initially, he wanted to do a WrestleMania that was a complete circus themed WrestleMania. He and did. Doink, and did. Doink in the main event. He wanted everything to be like a big top theme with the animals all over. Like this was one of the, the Vince visions that they talk about when they're sitting at the pool and stuff, and all these guys were like, Come I don't on. know, Vince. I don't, I, I don't know, Vince. You know, and he seriously, and and uh, Pritchard talks about it all the time. He laughs, and they're like Vince. He thought he was like, "Can you imagine? We'll have a whole thing like a circus. It'll be great." And 
could you imagine Doink in the main event of Mania, you know, in a circus type thing? So this is a uh, one of the the ideas of Vince. Thank God this one never uh, actually came to fruition. Amen. We're into the Rumble. Vince and Ted set up the Rumble. They mentioned that Mr. Fuji's got a few guys, and they wonder if Brett will make it. And this was one of uh, the stories always about Howard Fink. Uh, that he loved the Royal Rumble because he would get to explain the rules. This was like his time where he got to really cut a promo, like and talk longer than he ever got to talk. And so he would just go on and on and on and make sure everybody knew every detail about everything in the Royal Rumble. And you know, the best part of the Fink was at the very end when he goes, And now let us all find out who drew number one. It, Great, I would get so excited And uh, it's Scott Steiner Vince wonders if Rick is coming out next I mean, Vince, you booked this thing, right? Can you just tell us? Like, you can just tell us right now if you want And this was uh, only a few years after he did that trick with Axe and Smash, too Yeah, yep And I will say, one thing I really like about this Royal Rumble And I I feel like, because we've just talked a little bit about Pat Patterson This was always one thing that everybody said about him That he was the master of the Royal Rumble in setting up things that would have callbacks or preludes to to something to come later. We saw a lot of that in here where guys would go right after someone they had a feud with last year or two years ago or three years ago, which is great as a fan when they remember all that stuff. And it's so easy to get us excited for it. I think I felt a lot of that throughout this match. And I, I'm sure it was Pat doing his, his awesome work uh, as always. Cause that was one thing that, Many people talked about how he was one of the absolute best at this The finish guy And just setting up this rumble This was his baby So uh, number one, Scott Steiner Number two, head shrinker Samu And um, Vince says due to time constraints now Instead of every two minutes It's going to be every 90 seconds per participant Number three is Rick Steiner He comes in, he saves Scott And both Steiners work on Samu A couple suplexes Ted DiBiase wants to see the two of them go at it They're able to eliminate Samu who sort of hangs himself up on the ropes briefly before uh, going over the top? Number yeah, four. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, yeah, it was a little, a little awkward there. Uh, four is Quang, so they're eliminating him right as Quang comes in, right with the green mist. He gets it right in the eyes of uh, of Rick, and um, Owen Hart comes out at number five, and uh, we'll go to DZ here. Owen is able to eliminate Rick pretty quickly, but man, isn't it amazing how? Just an hour and a half before Owen is getting the cheers with Brett, babyface tag team, and he is just getting the absolute like main event heel booze right here. Monster boo. Biggest booze. I mean, he he comes out that curtain. It's like Roman Reigns on Monday Night Raw after he beat The Undertaker. I mean, those are some loud boos raining down. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, look, he taking on all the heat, doing everything right, you know, coming out, throwing his arms in the air like he's the man. Uh, you know, Quang, of course, is Salvio Vega with a mask. Um, you know, but for me, this this Royal Rumble really doesn't start until Diesel comes out. Um, the first six guys, you get Bartcon after that. For me, the first six guys, I mean, Owen is big, and I'm not going to foo-foo over, over him. But to be honest with you, he's actually only in the ring for four minutes. Um, th- this Rumble really picks up a lot of steam when Diesel comes out. And the first, the first uh, eight or so minutes of it are, are rather inconsequential. I've got a joke for you guys. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Yes. Andrew Champagne bringing the wrestling What sound is made when 300 pounds of crap hits a fan? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Quang. 
<laughs> Shout out to Scott Keith's blog of doom for that one. That's a favorite in that comment section. It's a great line. And I have no idea why they did this this way. They have the great Kabuki who was the first guy to really make the mist a thing. And they had Quang do the mist. This guy from Puerto Rico under a mask who's apparently a martial artist in his spare time. How did anyone think Quang was a good idea? It's just, I, I it just, we didn't see much of Quang, uh, uh, thank goodness. So Owen's five, Bart Gunn's six. He comes in, he goes right after Owen. So now we got four in the ring Scott, Steiner, Quang, Owen, and, and Bart. And Vince says, uh, there's something going on backstage. We don't hear much about it for a few more minutes. Then number seven is that Darren said, this is when business starts to pick up. We get Diesel, Big Daddy Cool. And DiBiase says, that's a big man, almost as big as me when I'm standing on my wallet. Uh, Diesel quickly quickly tosses Bart Then Scott Then I guess one of my only gripes Or with the, or one of my few gripes With this rumble is that Owen gets tossed like super nondescript here After having a really big night And kind of assuming that Owen's going to be around At least for a while or get some sort of interaction With Brett in here Which in maybe in the long run is kind of cool That they don't touch here And it takes a while for them too But it, it did seem a little weird that Owen is just Pretty quickly tossed out um, oh, Quang misses a kick And by the time we get to number 8 Diesel had just eliminated 4 men um, In what 90 seconds We get Bob Acklin Number 8 he shoots a double leg He uh, almost gets Diesel over And then Diesel shrugs him off This was your WWF title match later this year 10 months from now Diesel yeah. wins the title from Bob Backlin On a house show at the end of 94 It's bizarre to think that these two guys are later Both WWF champions later this year Being as how they are presented in this match. It wouldn't be that surprising to say Diesel was, but Backlund as like how he is here, just a totally different version of Backlund later in the year. Um, so Diesel has five eliminations in two minutes, and he's just waiting. Billy Gunn comes flying in. <laughs> this is when DiBiase starts getting really good with some of the responses. Vince says, "Let's see what he can do," and Ted says, "I oh, doubt he can do much." It's <laughs> just like giving them all one-liners. Big Daddy Cool quickly tosses him. Uh, Diesel's waiting in the ring And we see backstage Kabuki and Tenru They've attacked Lex Luger So now they don't know if Lex Luger is going to make it Virgil is number 10 Who Vince says is uh, an alternate for Kamala Virgil gets in a few strikes Ted DiBiase is excited to see Virgil Have to run in with Diesel And uh, in seconds Virgil is out And Ted says he should have never left me <laughs> Just another <laughs> great line from, uh, from Deebs And then So this part was the Diesel dominating He's just like throwing everybody basically in one through ten out, and then we get Macho Man at number eleven, a huge ovation, and Vince calls him one of the all-time greats. Ted says the man who is a legend in his own mind, Macho Mouth, and uh, Macho's all over Diesel here. Um, so DZ from Diesel to Macho, it's just kind of fodder for Diesel up until Macho comes in, and we have like a, another legitimate contender here. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to use Yokozuna in 93 as an example cuz he actually wins the rumble. This is this is the first time that McMahon uses the rumble to introduce his next star that's not winning the rumble. Yes. This is the first time he uses this going to bring in a guy, go on a run, eliminate a bunch of people in a row and be the guy standing tall in the ring. Obviously, we've seen that happen many, many times since most, obviously, most recent he did it with Lesnar in a different situation, but 
this is the first time that this really happens. Uh, and it's done extremely well. Um, Diesel handles it very well. Uh, you know, he goes through a bunch of guys that obviously, with the exception of Owen Hart, which are not, you know, considered, you know, big name guys. Backlund would end up winning the title at, at Survivor Series later on the year in, in a weird storyline uh, with Bret Hart. But uh, I, I always watch this and I wonder for about 30 seconds after he tosses out Virgil and he knows that the next guy coming out is Macho Man Randy Savage. And here is Kevin Nash standing in the ring, the, all eyes, 14,500 people looking at him. And a year ago, he was Vinny Vegas in WCW yeah. with no future, with going absolutely nowhere. He had been uh, four different characters there. None of them went anywhere. And Oz. He, yeah, Oz with the green sh shit and all that stuff. Green smoke. That's where they got the green smoke. <laughs> it was Nash's idea. <laughs> Nash's idea. But, but here he is in the middle of the Royal Rumble match, standing alone in the ring, and here comes one of the biggest legends in wrestling history. I can only imagine what was going through his mind at that point in time and the nerves that he had to feel at that moment because that was his moment. And if he screwed it up, who knows where it would have gone. He didn't screw it up. And 10 months later, he was the WWE champion. Kevin Nash handled himself like a star here. That's for darn sure. I love the way he went out, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. DiBiase has a great quote when Virgil runs in. Of course, DiBiase and Virgil had that long backstory. DiBiase goes, oh, where did he come from? Yeah, yeah. And you can tell there's still resentment there from when Virgil embarrassed him and wound up beating him. That was a really cool storyline that I wish had gone on a little bit longer because back then, that was how you made guys stars. You elevated guys from the lower mid card up to a level where something like that could potentially happen. And when Virgil came running in as an alternate, you had DiBiase on commentary, Virgil going up against this hot young star in Diesel, and Virgil doing what he could in the little time that he was with him to get Diesel over. A lot of those guys took some pretty big bumps to get this green as grass seven foot guy that could move over. And Diesel looked great. It took Savage coming out to stop him. It's a really easy way to get somebody over. And a lot of credit for that probably has to go to Pat Patterson because he did this multiple times with multiple guys in multiple rumbles. We are now up to number 12, Jeff Jarrett. Spend oh. my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning I, I, too I, slow. It. <laughs> I was not, never a Jared guy either uh, He runs in When Macho almost has Diesel out This is always one of those things that bothers me about the Royal Rumble Why the hell is he saving Diesel? It's like Macho's almost got Diesel out Come on in, just give him the shove You're good, who cares, baby face heel It doesn't matter, but you know This is obviously not the time they wanted Diesel out yet It's just from a character standpoint um, He Jared actually thinks he eliminates Macho But Macho uh, Saves himself and Macho's able to quickly Toss Jeff Jarrett and then number 13 is Crush we know what's going to happen Here Crush immediately goes after Macho Man they battle back and forth while Diesel Sort of rests in the corner I think he's legitimate Tired at this point I mean what else has he Ever done this like this 
level as DZ was saying a year ago he wasn't doing much now he's been in the ring for 15 minutes going at it like being the main guy in this match throughout so he's a, a little gassed here and then we get number 14 doink with dink um so as they're walking down the ring to the ring diesel and crush are double teaming macho and this is another one where like if i'm making a list of probably the five most important people in this royal rumble match i'd probably have owen and macho as like four or five or like five six or to- right right in the mix, and both of them get eliminated in such a just nondescript. Just oh, Crush just to- tosses him over. That's it. There goes Macho. It's weird. Over. It, it's like during a countdown of another guy coming down. I know it. Yeah. It doesn't make they make nothing to, of it at all. Um, it's it's very bizarre, and that's it. It, it kind of frustrates me a little bit, and that. Leads to Crush and Doink Who have had a feud for a year or so But they flip-flopped Remember it was Crush who was the babyface And Doink who was the heel at Wrestlemania 9 So we're up to Doink now um, Who squirts water on both Crush and Diesel And then Bam Bam is 15 So what's cool about this little air um, Little section, Darren Is that we get the Macho Crush The Crush Doink And then the Doink Bam Bam Who have all had their interactions and then Bam Bam and Doink Are going to continue to have interactions throughout 94 so this is kind of that stuff I was talking about with uh, with Pat in that like oh this is a good moment You know what put them out there they've got a little history They can go at it for a little bit people remember That I like seeing this kind of stuff in rumbles So yeah and, and This is a this is a weird rumble For the following reason um, If I A lot of the guys early on in The first half of the rumble Several are in there for seconds. Most of them are in there for five minutes or less. Um, the second half of the rumble goes on forever. And if I asked you who was in this match longest, you might have thought Luger because he came in, you know, kind of kind of late, but not that late, and it went long, and he was in till the end. You might have thought Shawn Michaels. The answer to the question of who was in this match the longest is Bam Bam Bigelow. After a nine-minute match or eight-and-a-plus-minute match earlier in the night. 30 minutes and 12 seconds, Bam Bam Bigelow comes in at 15. Now, this is what I mean by this match goes on forever. Bam Bam comes in at 15. He's eliminated twenty at 23. That's only eight spots, but he's in there for 30 minutes. And an, I'll give you another ridiculous one. And we haven't spoken about him yet because he didn't get in. Mo of Men on a Mission is in this Royal Rumble match for 22 minutes. And it's a product of the fact that everybody who comes in between 15 and 23, with the exception of the great Kabuki, or 15 and 24, I should say, is just in this match for a really long time. And the second half of this Rumble takes forever because of it. Yeah, um, I also think it feels longer than it is for the same reason that some of early to mid-90s WWF is a little bit hard to watch. There weren't a lot of top-line guys at that no. point. No. They, were, they were still making guys. I mean, you had, you had Brett, you had Luger, Yoko had just defended his title, The Undertaker was dead and levitated, Um <laughs> Razor wasn't in this match for some reason. There's no good reason why he wasn't, but that would have added some star power to the proceedings. I mean, you had guys like Men on a Mission, you had Doink, and 
I mentioned those two because remember when I said the audience popped at really weird times? Yeah. Two of the biggest pops in this rumble outside of Bread and Luger were for Doink and Mabel. What does that tell you about WWE's main event faces at the time? Yeah. Just brutal. And also anybody that sheared Mabel, it, 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 you need an intervention of some sort. I don't care if it's 26 years after the fact. Face Mabel was quite possibly the most lame thing in hindsight that I've seen in a long time. And we, we say big guy that can move. Hey. Um, this guy moved slower than Continental Drift. <laughs> uh, D, by the way, Diesel was eliminated during this kind of stretch at 13. Um, and here's another weird thing. You talked about crowds popping at weird times. Diesel was a heel, partnered up with Shawn Michaels. Diesel had just been the kind of finishing touches on putting the Undertaker in a casket and sending him to his demise. After getting eliminated and walking back through the curtain, the crowd is chanting, Diesel, Diesel, Diesel. For a monster heel who just buried the Undertaker in a championship match, he gets a huge pop. He really does, and they 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 definitely show some respect for him. And yeah, probably, and, and and don't be surprised at all if that response and that reaction started to get the wheels turning in Vince's head about this could be a guy. In when we're at fifteen with Bam Bam, uh, he goes after Doink. Gorilla presses him over the top, which actually I like. Um, yeah. we, we very rarely see that We see the big man like pick someone up all the time And then just never throw him over the top He yeah, actually does that So it's just a diesel crush and bam bam Just those three It just is, was so weird to not have left Savage in there a little bit longer Like at this point the three big men could be working on Savage And it just I mean even just sitting in the corner You talked about Mabel getting in there Loud whoop there it is chance um, So we got here, here we go Diesel and Mabel SummerSlam 95 main event uh, four big men in there right now Mabel, Crush, Diesel, Bam Bam Just a weird four to have in Sparky Plug comes in He's taking the place of the one, two, three kid That's Bob Hawley uh, Vince says, maybe he will win Maybe he will go to WrestleMania to face the champion DiBiase, yeah. I doubt it <laughs> <laughs> Number 18, Shawn Michaels uh, Diesel teases Going after him, they shake hands But everyone quickly teams up to toss Diesel As Shawn helps them push him out um, so we're down to five in the ring Sparky, Mabel, Sean, Bam Bam, and Crush And uh, this was one of the This is what Darren was just talking about We get the crowd cheering for Diesel on his way back Loud Diesel chants Great performance from the big man So this was good stuff And we got the uh, the Sean Diesel Like seeds being planted a, a little bit here DZ And you just mentioned the cheers As we are uh, up to number 19 with Mo. As Shawn Michaels skins the cat, but uh, overall, great performance from the big man. Yeah, yeah, I'm. You know, he's one of the big stories to come out of the match. Did everything right. Love the effort. Uh, it's definitely a big part of the reason why, you know, he takes the big step forward. Now, it, it's kind of weird though, because, and, and WWE would be guilty of this. They heat people up, and then they cool them down. You know, after this, and they go to WrestleMania ten. Diesel's a complete non-entity at WrestleMania 10. So, I mean, think about it. You use the Royal Rumble match to heat the guy up, right? He, he, he tears through guys. He eliminates seven people. You got the crowd hot for him. And then you go to WrestleMania, and Sean is in this iconic ladder match. 
and Diesel gets thrown out of the out of ringside after about 90 seconds, and that's it. And you don't and see he, him again. And so, even when he wins the title at the end of 94, it comes out of nowhere. I he's, will, not, he's not even being built like up, like winning matches like repeatedly. It's I, kind of like he's he's in the tag team with Sean and he just I'll, wins it at a house show. I'll I'll do you one better. So I was at I was at that house show at Madison Square Garden, which came just um just a few days after the uh, the Survivor Series. Not only did it come out of nowhere, um, but going into that house show, I didn't even know what the, the title match was. Like, there wasn't even, like, a flyer that, that showed this. And it was, it was so strange because the weird part about it was, up to that point, Diesel was still a heel. He never had like this baby face turn, right? Like he shows up and and just kicks Backlund in the gut, jackknifes him, wins the title, goes nuts, and the place gives a monster pop, and we're all just sitting there like, what? <laughs> what what just happened? So yeah, it was it was very, very bizarre to say the least. Yeah, there wasn't a lot about Kevin Nash's career that would be considered straightforward. We mentioned all of his gimmicks in WCW. We mentioned Oz. We mentioned Vinny Vegas. He talks his way out of the company so that he can join WWF and be Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. He gets there. Shawn informs him, hey, listen, none of these guys like me much. You're going to be my bodyguard off screen, too which, yeah. of course, he didn't sign up for. But yeah. he wound up using that relationship to his benefit because even back then, who better to learn the business from than Shawn Michaels with how good he was? I didn't hate the way he got eliminated in this match with HBK coming in, no. helping push his buddy out. That foreshadowed something a little bit down the road. But Darren's absolutely right. You've got a guy that if anything comes out of this Royal Rumble, it's Diesel's going to be a player and they could have done a lot more with him before they did. Now, would it have made a difference long-term? I don't know, but it's worth exploring. We are up to number 20, Greg the Hammer Valentine here. We haven't seen him uh, all too often at this point of WWF, but we got a good pop for him. Now there are seven in the ring. Both Vince and Ted show some respect for uh, the Hammer. Number 21 is Tatanka He gets a good ovation uh, He and Shawn Michaels battle This was Wrestlemania 9 The year before They had a match uh, for the IC title Kabuki makes it 9 in the ring He comes in at number 22 um, There's only He's only 9 in the ring for just a second Because they all team up And they get Mabel out And Mo tries to save him But they all fight off Mo And they end up tossing Mabel Number 23 Here comes Lex Luger He goes right after Kabuki And then shots to everyone there are nine in the ring again before Luger is able to eliminate Kabuki. And then here comes Tenru at 24. Vince forgets for a second that Kabuki just got eliminated. He says, you're going to see Kabuki, Tenru, and Crush team up on Luger. And then he's sort of like, oh, Kabuki's... He, he tries to pretend sort of like Kabuki just got eliminated. Oh, Kabuki's out of there. It's like, nah, he got tossed up about a minute or two ago. Vinny Mac. Um, Tenru goes after Lex with a couple nasty... Chops to Lex Luger and we'll uh, we'll get to 25 here before we get over to DZ So nobody comes out of 25 They assume this was where Bret Hart was supposed to come And Vince says what a bad night for the Hart family So at this point we still have 9 in the ring Still have 9 in the ring And do you know who 25 was supposed to be? I do but I'm not going to spoil it 
<laughs> I mean, of all the names, you want me to spoil it? Or you want to? You want to wait? <laughs> Does Gino want to venture a guess? Are you, we're not talking kayfabe. We're talking like who is it really supposed to be, or who do they say it's going to be? Well, on the on the well, it's if you want if you know both answers, you could do both. Wasn't it Bastion Booger? That's correct. Yep. <laughs> yeah so which is hilarious so, you know like we're all assuming it's bret hart and it's freaking bastion bugger and yeah. and he says he got a little sick which is just great why he didn't come out <laughs> you can't it, there's so many weird things in this world rumble that go on but bastion booger being the mystery guy like because because you're sitting there and you're like well, wait a minute who didn't come out at 25 oh bastion booger what <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, this is where you get into the stretch where, where guys are in there for a long time. Uh, Bam Bam is still going. He's in there for 30 minutes. Uh, Sparky Plug, whose uh, kayfabe name at the time was Thurman Sparky Plug, uh, was in there for 21 minutes. Shawn Michaels is going to be in there for 29. Mo is going to be in there for 22. Greg Valentine for 20. And Tatanka for 20. Luger for 21. Tenru for 17. Basically, you're just watching the same guys kind of punch each other. For a good 15 minutes here. Um, but yeah, so this part of the match for me kind of drags a little bit, Gino. And I know that they didn't want to, you know, the, you don't want to end a Royal Rumble probably in 40 minutes. But this part of the Royal Rumble, there's a lot of unnecessary fluff going on. Here's my big problem with this match. And it's the difference between Lex Luger and Bret Hart. They made a big deal out of Lex Luger getting beaten up earlier in the match backstage. Right. Luger comes out and is he selling it all? Nope. Not a bit. You wouldn't know. Brett comes out at 27 and it's like someone took a saw to his leg and like chopped half of it off. That's the difference between Lex Luger and Brett Hart. Yep. No, Luger right. shrugs everything off. And to be fair, Luger more than held up his end of the bargain in this match. Yeah, he did Luger well. is when he was motivated a very underrated worker. He had stuff in the NWA with a bunch of guys that was great. He had some good matches with guys that could go in WWF and in WCW. The problem was they had butchered his booking by this point so much that anything they did with him was going to be dead in the water. And I think deep down he knew that. That was a big reason, of course, why he made the jump from WWF to WCW when WCW launched the Monday Night War. Now, Luger enters. He no-sells the beatdown. DiBiase has a great little comment when Tenru comes out, says he's there to do a job, not to win, which is a great little inside line of wrestling lingo because if you're not winning, of course, right. you're jobbing. So I thought that one was pretty cool. We get to 25. Everyone thinks it's Bret Hart. Vince goes into mourning for the losses of the Hart family and everything that's going on. And da 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 da. da. And then Bret comes out at 27 and the place goes berserk. So, yeah, 26 was the model who made it 10 in the ring for just a few moments. And Tatanka and Lex go at it, which is cool because we're going to see Tatanka and Lex go at it later in the year. They feud for a while. Andrew mentioned 27. Here comes Brett really selling that leg injury. Hoblin, crowd just erupts. Ted, Ted says, a lot of guts, but no brains at all. He's stupid if he's out there. So we've got 11 in the ring. Now, as uh, number 28, here comes head shrinker fat two. Rikishi makes it 12 in the ring. Brett and Lex team up a few times uh, First they team up to get rid of Crush 
Brett is actually dishing out some offense here too, which is pheno- like amazing. And and not like like you like Andrew said, not like not selling. He's still selling while he's dishing it out, but he's able to hobble to his feet and throw a punch here and there and still look pretty good doing it. Um Janetti is number 29. He beelines right to Shawn Michaels. So again, a really cool um, throwback to these two guys who have had uh, so much history. Marty almost sends Sean over the top with a punch. These two, Greg Valentine, Rick Martell, Bob Holly, Bam Bam, and Tatanka, Brett Luger, Fatu, Tenru, and Mo. That's who we have left in as number 30. Adam Baum comes in to make it actually 13 in the ring at one point. Brett, if it, there's a moment here where Brett is just, he almost looks like a drunk guy wandering around. He's just kind of on his feet, like looking around at everyone and just kind of like, where am I going next? I thought it was hilarious. He kind of just like will lock lock his eyes onto one target and then just kind of stumble over there and throw a couple punches at him. It's it's just phenomenal how he's just bumbling around the ring. Um, and this is when Vince tells us about Bastion Booger how he got sick and didn't come out at twenty five. We get Tatanka and Martel going at it. That's a WrestleMania eight uh, look back. We get Bam Bam, who's been in over for 30 minutes. DiBiase just loves Sean. He keeps mentioning how impressed he is by Sean. And Ted is really shocked that Brett's still in there. He doesn't think Brett's career will ever be the same. The Hammer then gets eliminated. He gets a nice cheer as he walks out. Tenru tosses the model. We're down to 10. Still 10, though. You know, after number 30. Like, we don't see this ever in these rumbles nowadays. Um, Adam Bomb then gets eliminated by Lex. Uh, Then... Fatu tosses out Mo. Now we're down to eight. It's Sean and Marty, Bam Bam and Tatanka, Lex and Tenru, Brett and Fatu. Bam Bam then tosses Tatanka. Great showing from Bam Bam. Uh, then he goes out. Lex misses a splash. Uh, he goes after Lex. He misses a splash and then he goes up and over. And the forearm by Lex ends up eliminating Bam Bam. Sean is able to get Marty out, so we're down to five. Sean, Brett, Lex, Fatu, Tenru, Brett and Lex counter Irish whips onto the heels and they toss out they toss Sean and Fatu right into each other. Brett and Lex team up and eliminate Tenru. So the final four, it's Brett, it's Fatu, Sean and O oh, and uh Sean and Lex. And remember Owen was the one who was actually in this same final four in that that Royal Rumble they did at the house show just a few days earlier. All four men go to a corner. It's kind of cool. They have like a moment where everybody looks at each other. And then Sean has this leap across the ring where he goes after Brett. He just leaps after him in the corner, and and they start going at it. Uh, Lex is going at it with Fatu on the other side of the ring. Um, they're this is fun. This was fun. Like Final Four, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and then Brett and Lex toss Sean and Fatu, and they sort of look back at each other, and it's just the two of them. They square off. They start trading punches. And they go over the top together. Darren mentioned it earlier. I mean, this was really like I, I, we see it four, five, six different times. You, they look like they go over at the exact same time. They they really did. So uh, I, I liked the end of the the match. I thought it was pretty well done to the point where you have two guys that any either one of them could win. And I think even when Sean was in there, you could have made the case that Sean. You know, wouldn't have been a huge surprise. He probably wasn't quite ready yet, and we'll see him win the next two Royal Rumbles. But uh, I liked, I liked the end of this. It was just, it's strange, Darren, to see how different it is where they actually had thirteen guys in at the end of this match. Yeah, and that's why it kind of dragged out for a while. Like, like I said earlier, um, now we're going to get to the one main beef that I have, and it's a main beef. There's little beefs and everything, but this is a main beef. 
So you, you you spoke about the fact that they did a Royal Rumble kind of at a house show a few days earlier where it was the same Final Four except Owen was in plates of Fatu, and they were kind of testing it out. Um, okay, here's the problem. At that point, Owen had not turned on Brett yet. So that didn't happen till this very night. So whatever it was you thought you were testing – you weren't testing for what the actual environment was going to be. No, you're absolutely right, because because Owen was the face as a face right. in in that in that rumble. He wins it as a face, so it's right. it, it was almost like they were trying to see. Like I don't know if they were trying to work if it was to like lay a lot of things out um, up to the finish, but it's it. I completely agree with you. It makes it doesn't make sense to like to what they were doing. It, yeah. it was almost like Vince maybe thought this was what they were going to do initially, and then was like, you know what? No, we can't do that. We're going to go in a different way. I don't. I, I'd rather have Owen get built maybe a different way than winning the. I, I don't know, but you know, it, like you said, it does. It didn't really add up with that. Now, I, I num, I'm going to say a couple of things. Number one, no matter what anybody tells me about any testing or anything that they did, whatever, there's no way that this Final Four should have been anything. But Brett, Luger, Sean, and Owen. That should have absolutely been the final four because no, no, no. nobody's buying Fatu can win. I know. Okay? Nobody's buying that. You you because of what went on earlier, you as a Brett guy, you would be legitimately concerned that Owen was going over there as a mm-hmm. Yep. You know, you would be really, really concerned about that. It would plant things in your mind. It would have you thinking, you know, they've been screwing around with Luger for months. Brett, you know, is always up and down and part of it. Sean is an up-and-coming guy. They would really, really have you kind of mangled in, in your own mind as to what was happening. Number two, I genuinely believe that that was originally the plan. Because if you look at the lineup for this Royal Rumble, Fatu's partner came in at number two. Owen came in at number five. Fatu comes in at 28. Okay. Brett comes in at 27. There is no doubt in my mind that on some piece of paper, yep. at some point, it was written down that Fatu was coming in at five, mm-hmm. three spots after his partner, and Owen was coming in at 28 yep. directly behind Brett. There's nobody that will convince me that that was not the original plan, and my God, they should have stuck with it because that should have absolutely been what happened may i make a counterpoint of course the counterpoint is this proves that wrestlers are not smart because do you know why fatu was in the final four (laughs) i I don't know people kept trying to hit him in the head (laughs) you never ever 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 hit a samoan in the head it never works that's no homework. They didn't do their homework. They didn't want to. No. Their... no, they didn't. It's entirely their fault. And I do not blame WWF bookers in the slightest. It was their wrestlers trying to map out a match. And nobody asked Fatu, hey, what happens if we hit you in the head? They went. They tried to hit him in the head. They broke their forearms into about 9,000 pieces. And Fatu went into business for himself and just threw everybody over the top rope. And that's why Fatu was in the final four. Yeah. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it because I like my story better than yours. Yeah. But, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, do, do, you, do you think my story is probably what happened? 
Yeah, yeah. I just I I I, I needed to bring something original to the table. Yeah, yeah. It, and 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 we get like even the stuff after the match. I kind of like because it seems very uh like Fink does a great job yeah. with how he starts and stops. And the winner is, and he goes back and he asks him again. And the winner is, you know, and he does. And finally, your winners are, and he announces them both. And the two guys sort of look, you know, Jack Tunney comes down to talk with Fink and the refs are all talking about it. And I love, I thought that DiBiase and Vince did a pretty good job too. Cause at the beginning, Vince says, Oh, I think it's Luger. And DiBiase says, No, you know, I think it's Brett. And then they flip after they've watched it a few times. They've changed sides. Now all of a sudden, Vince thinks it's Brett and Ted thinks it's Luger, which is just great. You know, they were able to to do that like through the five or six times we saw the replay. As Darren mentioned, we don't get any angle of their feet to the floor. We get about as close as seeing like maybe their like their shin, like where their shin would be. And they both seem like they hit like really at the same time. Um I liked it. And it was for the time, it was I remember being in my mom and dad's room. Seven years old watching this And not even seven And like going crazy Not like ballistic Like what They're both the winner I remember the moment when they turned around And it was the two of them Because you know I'm seven so I have nothing against Luger here Like he's a fine baby face to me I'm rooting for Luger If it's not Brett I'd much rather have it be Luger Than most other you know in here So when these two guys turn around and I'm like Oh my, it's spread. You know, I can remember just jumping up and down and, th- and like, remember, like, you know, this is one of those times where I'm like, Dad, what do you think? And my dad's like, Oh my God. You know, like, Dad, who went over? Seriously, come on, man. And my dad's just like looking at me, like rolling my, rolling his eyes. You're like, not like I'm asking my mom, Mom, come on. Like, who, who won this thing? I'm, I, re- I can seriously remember like jumping up in their room and being so pumped when that moment when they turned around and the crowd realized, Oh, it's going to be Brett or Luger. And right. they're not even in the ring together for like 20, 15, 20 seconds. They just sort of have a little brawl. They back up into the the ropes and just go over together. And there was a moment afterwards where they kind of gave each other a little stare down. We wondered if there was going to be some beef between the two and they shake each other's hands. And yeah. we don't, and that, and what's cool about like leaving this show, we don't know what's going to happen next. Like you wanted to tune into Monday night raw the next night because you're starting to wonder, oh, like is Luger? How is this going to work? Are they both going to get shots? What's going to happen? Like we didn't know. Obviously, the way they set it up at WrestleMania was perfect. And what's so great about like coming out of this Royal Rumble was it the best Rumble ever? No. Was there a lot of star power? No. Was there probably only four or five guys who legitimately had a shot that we wouldn't have been surprised if they won? Yeah, that's that's probably. But what I liked is it felt like they were they did a really good job of. Like I said with Pat, the throwbacks to things And then building stuff out of this Because you got Sean Diesel stuff that was building up We got Diesel as a monster heel Even earlier in the night, Sean ran in with Razor So that's a storyline that's continuing on We get the Brett Owen stuff continuing on We got Brett Luger now moving forward Um, There were just a lot of, of pieces moving forward Which I like a lot about this Royal Rumble So overall, I give this show a, a pretty good grade Like I think the ending of a couple of those matches, the way they ended the Quebecers Brett, the way they ended IRS uh, uh, and Razor, the way the Undertaker stuff, at, you know, once everyone starts coming out, those stuff, those things could have been better. But for a pretty down time in a down period 
of WWF, this was not a bad show at all. I thought this was a pretty good show. I, I like the Rumble and almost, you know, the, the Taker. Like I said, you take that out. Nothing else is bad. Bam Bam Tatanka's fine. The you know the tag match is fine. The IC title match is fine, and that's what's the mark of a, a pretty good show. Is that there was nothing that was really long in this show that felt like you had to fast forward through. Except for the thirty minutes of the Undertaker levitating and all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thank the, you. <laughs> that's about from from when he gets from when the crush starts coming out to the yeah. the, the that Taker part. You get about fifteen minutes. That is is pretty crappy. But uh, yeah, other than that, I didn't mind most of the show. So I, I have a question because um, I've read different things about it, and, and I genuinely think that I, I do know the answer, but correct me if I'm wrong. The whole reason that this went down the way it went down in terms of Luger and Brett being co-winners, it is because Vince genuinely didn't know what he wanted to do. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. I think he really wanted to see these two guys stand in the ring and see how the crowd reacted when they were right next to each other. Yeah. And literally and, like have the, the fans pick their, their baby face moving forward. And, and they kind of did because they were yeah. raising hands and you were getting crowd reactions. Um, obviously Brett's reactions were always going to be bigger than Luger's, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I've read different things and there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, internet stuff out there and, you know, rumors and things that were going on with Luger, um, you know, even that weekend that, you know, and stuff like that. But I, I genuinely believe that it was just because Vince really did not know who he wanted to put the belt on at WrestleMania. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I, I think I, the way it worked out was, it, I mean, we got an all-time performance from Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. In exchange, we got an all-time stinker out of Lex Luger against Yokozuna, but there was a lot of blame to go around for that match simply because the most over guy in the match was the referee, which is never, ever, ever a good thing. Um, Lesnar Lesnar Goldberg? Yep, exactly. Um, And there are a couple of other examples of that with people at ringside. Uh, It just, it never works, and it's always, always, always a bad thing. This Royal Rumble... It's not my favorite one. It probably doesn't crack my top five. It's fun. There's not a lot of star power, but I thought it was booked reasonably well for what WWF had on hand at the time. Just remember that there is a complete lack of star power there at the top of the roster, and everything starts to make a little bit more sense. The Brett Owens stuff is really good. There's a couple of matches that would have been okay TV matches that fill time, and then you have the worst thing I've ever seen on my television screen, but all told it's not the worst match, the worst watch rather that we've had in reviewing wrestling on this show. I've proposed a couple that have been comically bad. There have been a couple of others that have been bad, but historically significant, but uh, the, the Brett Owen stuff is a must see stick around for the Royal rumble. That's pretty good. And, and by the way, Gino, we were talking about like this time being, you know, not not a very good time, uh, you know, in WWE and, and having a lot of things. And at this time, I, I was actually also watching a lot of WCW because there were guys in WCW at that time. And, and, and you could legitimately make an argument when it came to star power that WCW, even in 1993 and 94, uh, early 94 anyway, um, had more star power than WWF. Uh, especially um, like more seasoned names. 
Yeah, Flair, with Flair and Steamboat, Rude. Yeah. Flair you know. and Vader. Flair and Vader were in a program, and and you know people that are WWE fans, I say Vader. If I go, oh, okay, Vader. Yeah, if that's your reaction to Vader, then you don't know anything about Vader. No, no. And, and you just all you know is the WWE booking of Vader, and you didn't watch anything that he did in WCW, which is well, quite frankly, shame on you. But I mean, you know, at that time, WCW, you had Flair and Vader. You had the Road Warriors, you had Sting, you had the Nasty Boys, you had Rav, you had Rick Rude, you had the Big Boss Man, you had Dustin Rhodes, you had oh yeah Steve Austin as stunning Steve Austin, you had Cactus Jack, you had I believe Lord Steven Regal, I believe Ricky Steamboat, you said I believe was there, uh, even guys like Marcus Alexander Bagwell, you know who was you know a young on the way to becoming Buff Bagwell. WCW had a much much fatter roster when it came to names at that point in time than WWF. And let's not forget the guy they would bring in a couple months later. What was that guy's name? Oh no. It's, it's this, this, this big guy with the red Brother. and yellow and American flags and a whole bunch of cronies that always seem to show up. And by the song? way, he's the man. Or what, how was his yep. WCW he's, song? He's, a, he's yeah. American made, yes. And it's funny that we mentioned this. I don't want to jump the gun on too much, and I'm not going to say the show that we're going to be watching next week until I'm asked. The one that we're not going to watch, the one that I am keeping in my back pocket in case any of you make me watch Yokozuna ever again. <laughs> it's in 1994. It's a WCW show. It's Starcade, and do any of you remember the main event of that show? Is that it's ninety four? Ninety four. Starcade ninety four was oh what the it was Hogan against Butcher Butcher, which was Beefcake. Yep. Oh my, the Butcher. Know that know that I have that in my back pocket. If either of you should make me sit through anything horrible ever again, wasn't Mister T in that show? Might have been. Yeah, I think he was. You're right. The best match on the show was the first match, which featured Vader against Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And if that's the best match on the show, what does that tell you about the rest of the show, gentlemen? Do what? not mess with the bull. You'll get the horns. <laughs> now, now, now it's starting to come. Do you know who else was on that show? Uh, I've got the lineup in front of me, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> on that show was a very young pre- Triple H. Oh yeah. Yep. yep. He fought. He fought. I believe. Tara Rising. What's his name? John Paul. Oh, that was when he was John. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that was when he was. Didn't okay. he fight? Didn't he fight the Dutch Wonderkind Alex Wright? Oh, that's they went great. fourteen minutes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So I have that in my back pocket. Anytime either of you decide to do anything stupid or make me sit through anything that's remotely as bad as the Undertaker Yokozuna nonsense from this show, gentlemen, you have been warned. I thought I thought you were gonna. Well, you said you haven't. You said you haven't seen the Chamber of Horrors match at Halloween Havoc. Nope. See, I thought, see, I thought I, that's that I, I, me too. I thought I was immediately thinking Chamber yeah. of Horrors. Nope, I, I'm not going to go for comically bad. I'm going for torture. Well, okay, I mean, great. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it is pretty bad too. So where where do we head, Andrew? You are next, and then Darren, you'll be picking our show uh, for next week. That we uh, for for next week. What are we going to be talking about though next week? What's our homework, Andrew? All right. So 
I mentioned that this Royal Rumble doesn't crack my list of top five, whatever. The one that I'm going to mention is probably third on my list, and we've covered the other two. Again, I was going to go to Starcade 94, especially after watching the Yokozuna crap, but my better angels won out, and I've realized, you know what? Pat Patterson just passed away a couple of days ago, and it's fitting that we're talking about the Royal Rumble now for any number of reasons, both Patterson-related and the fact that, hey, next month is the Royal Rumble, right? Well, the show that we're going to be watching not only has what I think is the third best men's Rumble of all time, it is historically significant because it has the first women's Royal Rumble. Nice. We're going back to 2018 for that year's Royal Rumble. Now, nice. I remember this show pretty vividly because I shouted out a wrestling community that I'm part of. I'm on the site of, you know, every couple of days I hop on. And there was genuine concern over how they were going to work a women's Royal Rumble. Because there are certain bumps that, for optical reasons, you don't exactly feel comfortable seeing a, a female take. And I have said, guys, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. This isn't the 1998 women's division with eight failed lingerie models taking bumps. This is completely different. And you know what? It worked. They had to use some smoke and mirrors, and they brought back a couple of legends for uncomfortably long runs. We are going to be talking about Michelle McCool somehow getting half an hour for reasons passing understanding except for who she's married to. But that Royal Rumble is good. The men's Royal Rumble is great from top to bottom. There's a fantastic surprise return in that match with a guy that hadn't been in the WWE in several years making a or hinting at a return. He'd come back full time later in the year. There's an AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn match earlier on in the show that's pretty darn good. It's a fun show, and I'm looking forward to it. Pat Patterson, his best creation was this Royal Rumble. God bless his soul. We're going to be doing it for at least one more week. I like it. Okay, this was a good one. This was a fun one. And uh, this is, I think, probably the most recent show that we're, that we're going to be one discussing. One of them, yeah. I think yeah, so. other than, you know, if we've done like a, a review of one of the shows or uh, over the last couple of years when, when it actually happened. So, cool. 2018, Rumble. It's going to be Rumble season now uh, for a little bit. I think the next after Darren, I'll probably pick one more Rumble too as we'll be uh, sort of in Rumble mode for the next uh, uh, month, month and a half or so. DZ, you got uh, uh, a big week coming up, so best of luck to you and uh, and your owners as you continue to uh, to have uh, some horses that have had some really good luck and, and maybe expanding your horizons a little bit. And, uh, and Andrew, hope you have a great week. Coming up, uh, Champagne and JD. Darren, give us your follows first, and then Andrew, uh, let us know where we can find you. Sure. Twitter at the track seven, uh, you know, in full fledged, you know, football mode. I've been following Turfway Park a lot and put, posting some picks there uh, because, uh, as you alluded to, my ownership group, uh, we have horses stabled there. Uh, at the time we're taping this, is the night before our biggest race. We're running an allowance race Wednesday night. So hopefully by the time this is posted, uh, you know, I, I am have another picture on the way from the winter circle, but nice. uh, yeah, I've been following turfway quite a bit. So I'll be posting a lot of stuff in depth on their meat. I'm a big synthetic surface guy. I know people don't really know that about me, but for some reason I handicap well on it. So be doing a lot of that and uh, yeah, hopefully just enjoying the holiday season here in New York as best we can. So at the track seven 
always hot and heavy on Twitter. And, uh, yep, looking forward to next week. At Andrew Champagne on Twitter for me. Not entirely sure what's going on the holiday season. I am supposed to be flying back east on the 17th. I don't know what the heck I'm going to be doing, and I probably won't for sure until towards the end of the week. But in more exciting news, in addition to my duties with racing picks where I'm doing daily pick four write-ups, I've just rejoined the freelance writing staff over at Bet America. I had gotten uh, a couple of bylines there, and then COVID hit and the world broke. But I'm back there now. I went three and one. We're recording this on Tuesday night. I had three Cowboys, four Cowboys props, rather. Three of them hit, and one came up a couple of yards short. So hopefully off on the right foot there. Champagne and JD is continuing its interview series with track announcers. Last week, we had the one and only Pete Aiello join us. That was a lot of fun. This week, Bill Downs from Indiana Grand is going to be on the show. That's going to be a blast. We're really looking forward to that one. Uh, so there's a lot going on and, uh, well, as far as the holiday goes, we'll just have to wait and see, but that's sort of been the story of the year, right? You got to get Keith Jones on. He's retiring at the end of the year. That's on. Uh, trust us. We've talked about that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You guys are getting through the, uh, the who's who of track announcers, Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne. You hear him with me every week here on the old wrestling rewatch. And we will be back again next week talking about Royal Rumble. 2018 the first ever Women's Royal Rumble looking forward to That one don't go anywhere folks Plenty more on that's what G said Stay tuned yeah, had a lot of fun talking about one of my personal favorite Royal Rumbles with Andrew and with Darren. Coming up next, we'll have the 2018 Royal Rumble, the first ever women's Royal Rumble. So we have two Royal Rumbles to talk about uh, next week's episode of uh, the old wrestling rewatch on That's What G Said. That's going to do it for us here. Big thank you to everyone for tuning in. Big thank you to all the sponsors of That's What G Said. A uh, big thank you to, to Tyler and uh, Don Landis, Chris Griffin, Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali for joining me. Next episode coming up in just a few days. It's going to be a lot about the NFL playoffs. We're going to have Dave Weaver joining me for the Saturday games. We're going to have Eric Etoff, 21 Sports, joining me for the Sunday games. We're going to talk Saturday, Sam Houston with Andy Villanueva. Wrestling with Chad Cooper. Gabe Vartanian joins me to talk Santa Anita Saturday and the Live and Breathe Facebook group. And we're going to talk some Gulfstream Park Saturday, a little NBA segment, and some Cobra Kai. Yep, all of that on the next episode. That's what G said. Have a nice couple of days, folks. We'll talk to you soon. As the Dodgers bring home